everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 362. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span and Bix. What a show we have this week. <laughs> the first of three weeks of just, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, oh. three uh, patron-requested 2000s shows in a row. Yeah. <laughs> This one was the, actually the easiest one to do because it's 2000. Yes. Because the uh, all the stuff's on the Observer website. All the Observer and stuff. Uh, 2005 Depth was not, as I'm finding out now doing the notes. And 2008, I don't think so either. Well, when was but, the, uh, I think the merger was in June or early July, wasn't it? Well, we'll see. Hopefully that's on there too, to make my life easier. But yes... Three straight 2000 Patreon shows, and we begin this week with Sean Dickinson. He put down the $25 to request this show we're going to do, and you can do that as well by going to patreon.com slash between the sheets, where you put $25 down, and uh, you can pick a show for the week. Now, we have some criteria for that. Make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already. Have two shows in your mind just in case, because it could be something we've done. It could be something that somebody else picked on the calendar. And if there's any questions about that, just get one of us and we'll uh, make it right with you and we'll get everything straightened out. Ten-year rules in effect. Get this information in before 30 days. Wednesday to Tuesday. All that stuff that's on the Patreon website. You follow those rules and you can get your show talked about here. And, of course, on our Patreon over the weekend. Um, we Well, in fact, not over the weekend, but before the weekend, but still. It was in the last few days as we record this. The latest uh, episode of Titan Gate went up. Titan Gate episode three. And we can go ahead and announce now that next month should be the last one. So we'll make it four episodes of Titan Gate 92. So um, if you haven't listened yet, put that $5 down and listen. Because these are essential shows to listen to these days in this current climate yes. of world wrestling entertainment. Yes. And uh, we decided that based on what's in the newsletters and all that, we're going to adjust our previous plan because there wouldn't have really been much anything after or really that even would have fit. So we're going to end right after Pat Patterson returns to the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, because that, that's pretty much, you know, the real, I guess, stopping point of this whole story in a lot of ways. Yes. But um, yeah, a number of different ways. It's, I mean, it's fitting. Yeah. So. uh We'll look at what we'll uh, we'll have from here, and you know we'll decide some for August. But there you go. July is uh, the end of the Titan Gate run. So, Patreon.com/slash Twenty Sheets five dollars gets you access to all of that. All right. Well, Sean Dickinson wants us to do this show, so let's get started. Let's go to the week that was July the sixth through the twelfth of two thousand, and to the monster known as World Championship Wrestling. No. Which takes up half the show in the notes. No. When he was running WCW in the late 90s, Eric Bischoff loved working the people and the boys, even if no money was involved, which led to some of the some work shoot angles, most of which drew no money. Hulk Hogan was involved in many of these. Remember his retirement in late 1998? That was an angle to improve the morale of the boys, who by this time hated Hogan. The guy who rallied the boys against Hogan was Kevin Nash. Hogan and Nash's story went, couldn't get along, and when Nash got the book, Hogan retired from wrestling. The wrestlers celebrated. New guys are going to get pushed. In reality, Hogan and Nash were working together, planning an angle. 
Nash get the respect of the wrestlers for standing up for the rest of the locker room to Hogan and eliminating him. The wrestlers were all led to believe Hogan was gone. Morale went up. Hogan would get a vacation and get to come back as world champion. Nash would have to do a job to lose the title, and he'd get to end the Goldberg win streak. Were either of those ideas the best for business? Hindsight certainly speaks volumes. Hogan and Vince Russo worked their own angle last year at Halloween Havoc. It was actually similar to this one, except Hogan was in the Jeff Jarrett position. The angle we're going to talk about with Bash at the Beach, Hogan and Jarrett. Laying down for Sting in the main event. The buy rate for that show was a .52, a figure they'd never come close to since. Hindsight again speaks volumes. But hey, the boys were fooled. If you can fool the boys, you can fool the marks, was the dressing room cry. Look at WCW's business after both Hogan's previous angles of this type. It points a picture as to who the marks were that were fooled. Certainly Hogan wasn't a mark. He's never been before. And Dave doubts he'll be this time. He looked good. He got to come back on top. The company went into the toilet, cost the company millions as they fell further and further behind the competition. But it was talking the internet. Personally, Dave really really thought Sonny's angle was well done for business. Denied the show from all accounts since they played us up all week with clues and played it up big with arguments from the boys. It seemed most of the company thought it was real. Several did. The natural skeptics are probably more than publicly let on backstage. Dave actually only had one person in the company call him the night of the show who thought it was a shoot. But everyone who called thought they were about the only ones who didn't think it was real, saying everyone else believed it. By the next morning, the beliefs were starting to change as things worked out too conveniently. But me and the company were still the belief it was a shoot. The big clue everyone was clinging to was that Eric Bischoff stormed off during the show, flew home as to not be at Nitro, and was getting the word out how mad he was that it all took place. Mad? This was the best received show the company put on a long time. If, based on Hogan's explanation of what went down, that Russo reluctantly agreed to a finish, that Brad Siegel and Bischoff also agreed to, and double-crossed Hogan with Jarrett laying down when they got out, got out there right out of the 1997 Survivor Series playbook, it would be Russo, not Hogan, who was the one whose WCW tenure would be presumed gone. Without the Hogan incident going down the way it did, leading to Russo's speech, the Booker T. Jeff Jarrett title match would have been a different kind of anticlimactic title win that would have meant nothing. Hogan gets to be Bret Hart and swerve himself into position of trying to be relevant again, just as he's trying to make himself count him red and yellow, Stone Cold, Terry Balea, and the finally the return of Hollywood Hogan to smaller and smaller ratings and attendance figures all year. Russo gets the respect of the dressing room for ridding it of the Hogan cancer and even got to mention names of frustrated guys that make them feel important. And most importantly, if it worked, he'd have undying loyalty, something that Booker needs to get things accomplished and something no Booker and WCW's had in years. He gets to book TV to get the younger guys over and has a whole crew of major names to feud with them when they come back. Why were there two belts there? Why wasn't Hogan's mic cut off? If it was a shoot in that situation, and with someone as politically savvy as Hogan, he would have talked longer. And there's no guarantee of what he would say being able to work perfectly in the Russo's later speech, which was so perfect to get him over as a hero to the boys and the internet types that he lives for getting over too. The fact they made for good television was a rarity, because these type of angles usually aren't great angles. Under those circumstances, it would be Bischoff, not Russo, that would make the speech. Why wasn't Bischoff the peacemaker behind the scenes? And why would he leave before the end of the show? Why were the announcers instructed to say Hogan hadn't arrived? The idea of which helped get over there would be no would be a problem, which they teased before it ever happened, and get over the story the company had put out as a shoot. Hogan missing Monday and Tuesday's TV, and the ability to come up with a finish of the baby match because Hogan refused to lose? 
and they talked about it during the show as if it was a storyline when he was already there, unless it was priming the public for something. Most importantly, no way it was going into the ring like that. They had the backstory cooked up, pushing it all week in front of the wrestlers. The word was out that Booker was going to end the show as world champion. Hogan was going to get to look good and beat Jarrett by DQ due to Scott Steiner's running in, which also happened to be the basic read-pump finish for the Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels match in Montreal, which also had a similar backstory of all the behind-the-scenes all week. And when that match was over and became legendary, we knew its basics would be repeated in rings for years. How would that possibly make sense to lead to a Jarrett Booker team match later with T winning the title? At least having it come off any different from the other million title changes this year that have meant nothing? Even if the cat could make a ruling regarding interference and ordering Jarrett back out, having Booker T and not Hogan come out at that point would be a natural letdown and still leave Hogan far too strong for a guy who he supposedly wanted gone. Though this story certainly took the spotlight and a sense away from T- Booker's winning, it added tons more attention to their match. We know Russo's obsessed by the match that made Montreal famous in wrestling, as he's done all shoots of it so many times in both companies, well past the point of them meaning anything. This came off too much like an all-shoot or something that only happens once or twice in a lifetime by people who live for the swerve. But no, Hogan refused to do anything but take the belt clean, and Russo's hands were tied. Hogan is perceived as selfish enough and disliked enough in the dressing room that this could happen. But the idea that he'd demand to win the belt that isn't worth anything to where it falls apart. His speech on Bubba the Love Sponge the next day going through all the details, including that he was willing to put Jared over in the match if he had to, was too predictable. All right, we'll stop here for the moment, Bix. Um, what do think about what D- Dave is saying so far here? Which part? I mean, just anything. I mean, just it picks up. You know, pick anything that catches your your eye. Um, That's stuff that he's saying. Okay, Montreal ripoffs that Russo has done so far: Survivor Series '98, uh, Starcade '99. Um, that's at least two already. Well, we had well, just mentioned Halloween Havoc 99 with Hogan and Jared. But are those Survivor Series ripoffs? I mean, I guess if this is, then yes. So that's at least three, and we're lo- still less than that, three years removed from Montreal. And and if you count Starcade 99, that's two and that's two and three months. Yes. <laughs> and three and less than the in the less than a year that he's been in the company. And there's probably some other ones that we can't remember because there's so much shit that was going on in that era that sometimes things, you know, fall by the wayside. Yeah. Uh... But all this working and working and working and working and working, you know, we got to work the boys, got to work the boys. <sighs> the obsession of doing that in WCW, I mean, as Dave points out here, look at the the, the examples of Hogan in general being part of that. And how business took a tailspin after all these times. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, was it entertaining for the internet fans? Yes. But this is, this is 2000, 1999, 2000, stuff like that. The internet is not that big yet. I mean, you're really booking for a niche set of fans at this point in time if you're booking for the internet fans. Yes. You're sacrificing your business for internet fans. 
which is so stupid. Yes. Um, what else? The two belt thing, if I remember right, for at least a little while, they had been using a more silver-colored cast copy of the original Big Gold Belt, right? Something like that? Yeah. And we're still using it here. That's the belt Hogan leaves with after the Jarrett laydown pin. And then when Jarrett comes back out later to defend against Booker after Russo says Hogan can take that belt and it can be the whole Hogan belt, he comes back out with the original belt. Jeff does. Mm-hmm. Which was an interesting touch. Yeah. Coincidence, so to speak. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we'll talk more, more about this as we go along because uh, I will talk about, you know, my firsthand experience of watching this and, you know, that as we get to it. It's too soon to say a bash at the beach will change the course of WCW's history like a Survivor Series counterpart and deal with the WF nearly three years ago. It was a lot better than what they've been putting out. Clearly, if it was a word, the only ones in on it appear to have been Hogan, Bischoff, and Russo, maybe Brad Siegel. Jeff Jarrett and Booker T both knew about the later match, and Booker knew he was getting the belt. They even went to the extent of having Johnny Ace book a complicated finish, this time with Hogan winning the title in front of Jarrett. At least according to Hogan's version of the story, he said next morning with Bubba, as he insisted it was all a shoot, which has been his vehicle for pushing all of his recent works. Well, let's go to Hogan on Bubba the Love Sponge, shall we, and the Pro Wrestling Torch. Hogan won the Bubba the Lust Bunch radio show on Monday morning and detailed what had happened. He said what happened was a shoot, and if he could, he would show up on Raw that night. Hogan said Russo didn't have any ideas for him, but still wanted him to put over Jarrett. Hogan said he agreed to a DQ win, or even a job in the middle, but he would only do so if he knew plans that involved him for Nitro on the next pay-per-view. Hogan said Russo stumbled for answers and said he was too old and didn't have any legs left. Hogan said Vince McMahon is 55 years old and tearing down houses. Hogan said he asked to get out of his contract in exchange for doing the job, and at that point, Russo blew his top and left. Bischoff then met with Hogan and offered him a creative finish that Johnny Ace came up with. He said he went to the ring. He felt things weren't right. He said he kept his ear to the crowd just to piss off Russo. Then when Jarrett went to, the ba- to his back when the bell rang, Hogan said he asked Jarrett to get up, but Jarrett said he had to do what the boss said. Hogan said he put his foot on Jarrett because he always preached to other wrestlers to do what is best for you and your family. When Hogan got to the back, he asked some of the other wrestlers where Russo was. None of them knew. Doug Dillinger then escorted him out of the arena. Hogan said he wanted to send his son and friends to his limo and then confront Russo. When the host asked Hogan why Bischoff would go on go in on such a scenario that they had 50-50 power, Hogan said apparently Russo proved he has a bit more. He added he didn't know what Bischoff's deal was. Hogan said he liked to get a release and go to the way because Vince McMahon always knew how to use him. He said Kidman should be a big star since he jobbed to him. But Russo fed Kidman to Juventud Guerrero right after the Hogan feud, killing any momentum. He said Kidman was in over his head, and he only got heat by being with women. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So what do you think about Hogan's story here, Bix, on Bubba the Lust Bunch? So far, it seems like he's going along with the work, which makes me wonder if he's seen the Russo promo yet. Because the Russo promo ends up being the issue. He probably hadn't seen it yet, which would be crazy since this, he does the he does this interview, you know, the morning after. Yeah. But this doesn't sound like he's legit pissed at him. No. He's going along with the work. 
Or do you think that Hogan even heard that promo but then got pissed later? Because I've seen that too. That Hogan was fine with the promo, but something happened later that really got his goat. I guess. Where did that version come from, though? That was speculated back in the day. I mean, I remember hearing it back then that Hogan, for for some reason, just, you know, um, he changed his opinion, so to speak. Okay. Should I – shall I – Jump in now with the version that's in one of the court rulings from the lawsuit. Since I guess we can say these are the agreed upon facts, relatively speaking. Well, I mean, it's up to you if you want to do that now or not. I mean, or do you think that's better for later? I mean, because we got a lot. A lot well, this part isn't long, actually, so I can I can read this here. It's up to you. That's whatever yeah. you want to okay. do. Um, let me make sure I'm starting at the right point. Okay, so they give the basic backstory. Then they say... Balea acknowledged at his deposition that the Hogan and Russo characters were supposed to hate each other. In discussing the script for the Hogan-Jarrett match, it was decided that instead of Hogan and Jarrett actually wrestling, Jarrett would lie down in the ring so that Hogan would win by default. According to Balea, this was set up was to set up a tournament which would lead to the return of Hogan as WCW champion. After Hogan won the Jarrett match by default, Hogan left the arena with the championship belt, pretending to be mad because Jarrett would not wrestle him. Okay, so he definitely didn't hear the promo then, unless he watched the, a tape of the pay-per-view. Yeah. And this is morning radio, so I'm going to guess he hasn't yet. Um, then Russo came on the air and delivered a speech known as a quote-unquote promo, which Balea claims was not part of the storyline. In this speech, Russo called Ho- Hulk Hogan a quote-unquote goddamn politician, who <laughs> quote-unquote doesn't give a shit about this company. Russo said that Hogan, quote, wants to play his creative control card, end quote, and Hogan knew that his beating Jarrett was, quote-unquote, bullshit. Russo promised that they would, quote, never see that piece of shit again. He said that Jarrett would defend his title against Booker T, who had been, quote-unquote, busting his ass for 14 years in the WCW. Okay. (laughs) Sure. And could not quote, get a goddamn break because of the Hulk Hogan's. Russo closed with, quote, and Hogan, you big bald son of a bitch, kiss my ass. After this promo, Jared and Booker T wrestled for the world championship. Booker T won the match and was awarded another championship belt. And then it's after this event, WCW did not use Belay on any more events in the year 2000. So. He definitely left the Uh, building right away. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So maybe he saw it later. Who knows? I don't know. But yes, and uh, but, but I mean, it's it's uh, very possible that he had not seen it when he did the Bubba interview. Yes, and for what it's worth, and keep this in mind later when we play the Russo promo, um, when Hogan was asked his deposition how the Russo promo was different from any other negative speeches made about the Hulk Hogan character, he said, "Quote the difference in." and maybe this should say is, is that negative speech, as compared to any other negative speech that's been said about me, is it's the first time anyone has ever given a negative speech without running it by me and consulting with me and all of us agreeing on it that we're involved. (laughs) All right, well, let's go to uh, Wade Keller. And so Wade has a lot of thoughts on this. A lot of thoughts on this. Despite being largely well-executed, despite many people within WCW thinking it just might have been a shoot, 
the popular theory within WCW paints a picture of an Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan master plan that's been in the works for the past month. It's a plan that will lead to a separate promotion from WCW in September that will air on TBS and compete with WCW. It will likely begin with Bischoff, Hogan, and perhaps Hall and Nash and others invading Nitro in September. Here are the two facts that lend credence to this September invasion theory. One, starting this week, Vince Russo has been put in charge of booking Nitro in the pay-per-views, while Ed Ferrara has been put in charge of writing Thunder. Terry Taylor, who is on vacation currently, will presumably help out in the writing of both shows. Two, Thunder, though, will be scaled back to a B-show for the next two months. Fewer big names will be on the show, which will lead to a decrease in ratings. The ostensible reason for the downshift and focus on Thunder is so Russo can totally concentrate on getting Nitro's ratings up and more competitive with Raw, plus use Thunder to give the younger wrestlers a chance to shine without being overshadowed by the bigger names. The suspected real reason for the change is that it will make it easier for Bischoff and Hogan to look like heroes come September when their rival promotion takes over the Thunder time slot. In essence, Thunder's being sabotaged for two months in order to set the bar low for when Bischoff and Hogan take over the show in September. Bischoff and Hogan could show corporate suits to surge in ratings when they took over Thunder. A few corporate suits will dig deep enough to realize that the ratings were manipulated downward for the previous two months. Bischoff made his big splash by signing away top stars from WF and turning Hulk Hogan heel and riding the NWO wave. Come September, WCW believes WF will be vulnerable because of the channel shift from USA to TNN. As a result, the theory is they are planning a major invasion angle of WCW similar to the Hall and Nash invasion of Nitro. The end result will be perhaps Brad Siegel making a storyline decision to give the rating star of Thunder to Bischoff and Hogan so they could do what they want and avoid butting heads with Russo. Then Siegel will reason Russo can do his thing without interference from Hogan and Bischoff. Or perhaps Thunder will shift to a Bischoff and Hogan control as a result of a big match on Nitro. The wrestlers who may be part of the Bischoff-Hogan left faction promotion have been, one by one, disappearing from WCW in recent days and weeks such as DDP, Kimberly, Lex Luger, and Elizabeth. At Sunday's pay-per-view, the groundwork was laid for Hall and Nash to be part of the invasion. Goldberg beat Nash, which means Hall's WCW contract was ripped up. The official line out of WCW is that Hall will never work for WCW again. Nash, meanwhile, was nowhere to be seen on Nitro Monday. Perhaps wrestlers who have been shelved in recent months, such as Brian Nas, Roddy Piper, and Dustin Runnels, will also show up in September. The game plan may be that every week or so, a new wrestler will jump from WCW to the new Bischoff-Hogan group, and the hope is that we recreate the type of tense who will jump this week anticipation that was the trademark of Bischoff's glory days, i.e. Hall, Nash, X-Pot, Jeff Jarrett, Tilly Biasi, White Rotunda, etc. The official stance behind the scenes in WCW has been silenced ostensibly due to a legal gag order from Siegel and WCW's legal department. The gag order is convenient because it provides an excuse to ignore the controversial situation, rather than having to explain it and lie about it to keep the secret intact. Meanwhile, Bischoff is back at home in Phoenix, Arizona, and was not at TVs this week. He has not spoken officially since walking out of the arena after the Hogan incident at the pay-per-view on Sunday. WCW announced Tuesday night that Bischoff is taking some time off to allow Russo room to work. WCW knew the reason that Bischoff wasn't around until September. Giving Russo room to work seems plausible enough. The September Bischoff-Hogan invasion is just an educated theory based on nothing more than WCW personnel putting pieces together, but it's the most popular belief behind the scenes right now. Some believe it's the plan, without question. There are still many who believe there's a chance the situation may have actually been a shoot to one degree or another and not part of a larger scheme. 
obviously, some somebody's feeding Wade this theory heavily. Yeah, and, and it make and it makes you wonder, you know, if Hogan doesn't get legit pissed off, could this have been something that was a feasible plan in the works? Maybe. Because as much, I mean, look how detailed and, and Wade is on all this. Yes. You know, so I mean, it, it seems like this is this is not some bullshit that's being fed. It seems like there may be something to this. That's clearly not and, and, Wade's idea. And, and 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 we mentioned a name that we know was talking to Wade Keller, Terry Taylor. Hmm. So I can see Terry Taylor being involved in this, and Wade had other people in WCW too. But I mean, he's getting this from people, obviously. Yes. This is a fantasy booking on Wade Keller's part. So, how do you think that would have turned out if if that such a thing happened, where they tank Thunder and then Hogan and Bischoff and they do a whole NWO type deal with Thunder? I don't think it changes much. In the end, it probably doesn't. But who knows? You know, it, it ended up being better than what they did. <laughs> it would have been, been better than what they did do. So, all right. Well, Vince, staying with a torch here. Right, we're going to stay with a torch for a minute. Vince Russo's at the TV since he's insisting this is not a work. It's actually possible Russo was worked and that Hogan and Bischoff have been manipulated. Russo, knowing his temperament, predictability. Hogan is demanding a release from his contract as a result of what happened Sunday. And as was the case with the Brian Pillman, Eric Bischoff orchestrated work shoot years ago. Lawyers are sending legitimate legal letters to WCW concerning what happened. Hogan's contract does give him creative control over his angles and also states that he has to be billed as wrestling in the featured main event. The contract requires WCW to use Hogan on a minimum of six pay-per-views per year is $675,000 per show. The deal also gives Hogan buy rate incentives, but those who haven't been reached in some time due to the decline in buy rates for WCW pay-per-views. Sources estimate Hogan made eight to nine million dollars during the first year of his contract. When he didn't make as much last year, sources say that because of the way he, the deal is structured, the least amount of money Hogan can make is between five and six million per year, regardless of whether WCW makes money. Sources from women in WCW who have seen Hogan's contract firsthand say he signed a deal on June first, nineteen ninety-eight. The four-year contract calls for Hogan to wrestle during the first three years and then serve as a consultant for the fourth year. Apparently, the final year of the contract was added to give WCW assurances that Hogan couldn't make an immediate jump to the WWF after the third year. As part of the deal, Hogan was originally paid $25,000 per Nitro, or 25% of the gate attendance, whichever was greater. At one point during WCW's peak, Hogan said they made $110,000 for working the TWA Dome in St. Louis, Missouri, due to the large attendance. Other sources say Hogan's guarantee pay for Nitro may have gone up to over $60,000 due to the declining attendance. Last July, WCW agreed to pay Hogan $3 million to settle a dispute over royalty rights regarding a WCW video game. Apparently, there was a gray area in the contract, which Hogan tried to exploit. WCW intended to give Hogan 25% of the all royalties that the game earned. Due to the gray area of the contract, Hogan claimed that WCW owed him 25% of all the game's profits, totaling $5 million. One story going around is that last July, Bill Bush met with Hogan in Florida and agreed to the $3 million settlement. Another source said Bush took a firm stand against Hogan, did not agree to the settlement. That person said Bush turned the matter over to Brad Siegel. 
is all this contract stuff true, Bix? Is, I mean, does it hold form to what you have information-wise? You mean since we literally have the contract? Yeah. Um, more or less, yeah. Uh, the royalty thing is interesting. So, Hogan was claiming that the contract gave him 25% of all the profits the game brought to WCW. WCW was saying he was entitled to 25% of the royalty pool, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, let me see. Where is royalties in here? I'm looking at a copy on Scribd. Maybe I should open it on my computer. But let's see. Okay, merchandise and licensing activities. Uh, come on. Okay. Uh, okay. What? Okay, it says he shall receive a royalty of fifty percent of the actual license fees received by WCW on the licensing of his name, license, or character. Actual license fees shall be defined as the license fees actually received after distributor fees and direct expenses actually incurred, and shall not and not to exceed fifty percent. Um, in the event that his name, likeness, and character are used here in conjunction with other names, likenesses, or characters, which it would be, he he shall receive 50% of the pro rata portion of the actual license fees received by WCW. So the contract says 50%, not 25%. Um, looking to see what else it is. The, um, okay, wait, the NWO promotional fee that we've talked about for wearing NWO t-shirts everywhere. Okay, yeah, so the contract as we have it actually says 50%. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hogan can pay, buddy. I mean, Hogan was getting paid. Wow. Okay, and it said 50% of the pro rata portion of the actual license fees received by WC. That seems pretty clear, though, that it's talking about the royalty pool, though. Yeah. So what exactly would his dispute be? Maybe <sighs> more and more. Is this Hulk Hogan? And also, is this all of the games that were out up to that point, or one of the games? Or I think it was just that one. That What was the one that came out at that time? Thunder? So, I'm trying to think which games came out when. Uh, okay, wait. Thunder came out January 99. Uh, let me pull up the list of WCW video games, actually, so I can... When did the N64 game come out? That's what I was going to check next. Okay, so World Tour was November 97. Revenge was October 98. And let me see who's on the cover of these two. Hogan is on the cover of Revenge, along with Nash, Raven, mm -hmm. and Goldberg. Yeah. Um, and who's on the World World Tour cover is Hogan and Giant. Nitro is Hogan, Sting, and Giant, and that initially came out June ninety eight. PlayStation. That's February. the first one. Yeah, February the first of uh, of the inland developed games. Yes. Yeah, not not the uh, yeah. I'm not counting WCW in the versus world. Uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, February 98, North America, PlayStation, February 99, and 64, North America. And then when did I say Thunder was? January 99? 
Mm-hmm. So this could be collectively for uh, Revenge, Nit- I mean, N64 Nitro, I guess, and Thunder, right? Based on the time. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, 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 I'm intrigued by the discrepancy in the percentages, but also the fact that the way the contract is written seems to make it pretty clear that it's a split, it's out of the royalty pool. Yeah. Anyway, Bill, he got paid. Oh, Hogan's always going to get paid. That's one thing you say about that man. <laughs> yeah. And one thing to remember, too, like, get his. as far as success, those N64 games, I mean, uh, I believe World Tour sold more than Revenge. World Tour was one of, if the not, highest-selling third-party N64 game in its entire existence. Yeah. So. All right, staying with the torch for now. Meanwhile, according to multiple trusted sources, WF considers WCW's situation a total storyline and doesn't even officially approach the subject of any production meetings on, at Raw Monday. They're not preparing to negotiate with Paul Hogan, and Hogan has made no official contact with anyone in the WWF. Of course not. No if Hogan does indeed, Yes. I got you. If Hogan does indeed lead WCW, he will have the opportunity to put up or shut up regarding his boast about big money offers from Fox to start his own promotion. Or perhaps we'll see Hogan versus Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 2001. Well, you have to wait. Wait for that one. <laughs> it will happen, but you got to wait for that one. Um, yeah, now it's time for Hogan to put his money where his mouth is when it comes to talking about you know these new promotions. So, huh. mm-hmm. all right. So let's talk about the show, Bash at the Beach 2000. As for the show itself, back to Dave. On July 9th at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, it drew 4,447 paid and a six at 6,572 total fans for a gate of $127,010, as well as another $25,020 in merchandise. It was announced on the air as a sellout of 16,000 fans, <laughs> and one of the better whoppers told by an announcing team with zero credibility. But in their defense, who did a tremendous job under circumstances since they were clearly weren't clued in, and they made the Booker T. Jeff Jarrett match seem a whole lot better than it really was. 16,000 fans <laughs> in a building that's not even close to half that. There you go. <laughs> the, the show had a storyline throughout involving the cat and the young dragons. At the beginning of the show, cat got a limo and heard their music. They tried to attack him, but he laid them all out. And a few more segments, one with them stalking him and another where they finally laid him out, all based on an old, on an old Pink Panther movie. Well, that's nice. All right. Opening match, Lieutenant Loco Chavo over Juventud Guerrero to retain the Cruiserweight title in 1209. So good rounding of the match wasn't as good as you expect as Hoovy was doing a lot of clowning. Loco suplexed into the floor and gave him a springboard flying body attack and later a high plancha. The filthy animals came out wearing monster masks while Mark Madden acted like he didn't know who they were. MIAs came out in, in masks with General Erection wearing a Bill Clinton mask. Major Guns took off her top, causing Hoovy to be distracted and he got crotched. A series of reverses and near falls, ending with Lieutenant Loco using a tornado DDT for the pinfall three stars. Yeah, I mean, it's a good match for what it was. Cat did more comedy with the dragons. Jared did an interview while Mike also tried to pick up on the fat Viking woman, apparently trying to make a babyface turn by giving him a character that likes large women. Oh, yes, Bix, here we are at the beginning of uh, that angle. <laughs> What was the official nickname Mike Awesome had, Bix? I believe it was Fat Chick Thriller. Fat Chick Thriller. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, keep keep in mind we are less we are less than three months removed from them paying ECW how much money to secure this man. 
A lot. Yeah. Uh, Big Vito retained the hardcore title, beating Norman Smiley and Ralphus in 555. You know, I just see this here. Uh, Ralphus's name is John Riker, R-Y-K-E-R. Do you think that that was the name that was given to Chad Lale as a rib? Gave him that the, that the exact spelling of that last name as Jackson Riker? No, I don't think so. Coincidence, maybe. I don't know. Dave Long has forgotten about Smiley as the world backyard champion. Thank God. Smiley was playing chicken. Usual hardcore stuff. Smiley was putting an elevator backstage, leaving Vito with Ralphus. It got horrible, including a baseball bat on a trash can lid to the groin. Vito pulled out a table, which was already broken. He splashed Ralphus through the table for the pin. Dud. Not good. Not good at all. So, there you go. Goldberg was backstage with Scott Hall's contract. It was a most remarkable piece of paper. Having returned to its original form after being crumpled up as well as eaten on previous TV shows. <laughs> WCW, everybody. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Uh... You know, I mean, it's... Maybe they were ahead of things. Maybe, 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 maybe they had, they had the idea in mind because, you know, there's stuff in some of this wrestling today, especially WWE. The television sometimes makes no sense, you know. And then there's stuff that happens on a pay per view, like wait a minute, you know, that doesn't jive with what happened on television. So maybe, maybe things, maybe they were ahead of the game. I don't know. I don't know. They're trendsetters. All right, next, Daphne defeated Miss Hancock in a wedding gown match. Oh, I know wedding, we're not going to play the they clip put a, of this. They put a wedding cake at ringside. David Flair came out with hair clippers. Hancock did a horrible handspring elbow. First, the girls pulled Mark Johnson's pants off. He looked ridiculous. David Flair had his pants pulled off. He looked semi-ridiculous. Daphne put Hancock's face in David's crotch. Crowbar ran in and took his own pants off. So then he and David started doing spots. Imagine how ridiculous David Flair usually was trying to wrestle. Multiply that by having both guys working in their underwear. The shears got involved, and there was threats to cut Hancock's hair. Then as things could possibly get worse, Hancock grabbed the mic and said she knew what everyone came to see, and she took her for dress and started dancing in her panties. They explained she voluntarily lost. Ended up with everyone throwing cake at each other. Negative one star. Oh, wait, this is not the uh, miscarriage angle. That is the mud wrestling. <laughs> well... Here's the thing. She knew what everyone came to see, and she was right. So there you go. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> At least there was a payoff in that regard. <laughs> oh, my God. Chronic. Won the WCW tag titles from Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak in 1336. Somehow, just four days after their horrible sunburns and goofy tan lines, their skin was perfect, and their tans were even. WCW, everybody. Chronic has a cool ring entrance, Dave says. <laughs> Chronic. Well, this was well, weird because... well, I'm guessing Dave doesn't know that it is an obvious ripoff that entrance music of a song about uh, poop sex. <laughs> Maybe it does. You don't know Look that. it up, everybody. This that's, was... not, that's not a thing I'm making up. Maybe he did know. Maybe he's yeah, into Oh, you that. think Dave is a Static X fan? He might be in the scat. I don't know. This was weird because the match was real bad. Since I just Brian like Clark to remind everyone already... that Chris Zellner said that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I don't know. 
Everybody has their own fetishes, Bix. I don't know. This was weird because the match was real bad. Since Clark, Brian Clark was hurt, he couldn't do much and the band doing so. Brian Adams never looks good. But there were times the crowd really would be into it, and other times the match dragged badly. They did a lot of near falls. In fact, both the pay-per-view and Nitro the next night had a totally different match style that today seemed based on, on all-fans near-fall structure, which makes sense with Johnny Ace working here. After a lot of near falls, they did a double-team move where Clark clotheslined Stacy off the top and Adams pinned him half a star. I mean, the one thing you said about Chronic is they were all, they were over, but the problem was this match was way too fucking long for a Chronic match. Thirteen thirty-six against Pelosi. These are not the guys. Yeah, too. Yeah, them, yeah, them too. This is not that's the, the the type of match you need to have with all these guys. No way. No. Chronic. All right, uh, Chris Canyon pinned Booker T in ten oh five. Good match at this spot where Booker took the brick out of the book. Canyon hit him with the book. Booker sold it for a near fall, but then got right up. With them explaining it by saying he was playing possum. Booker did an axe kick and a urinagi for a near falls for Jeff Jarrett came out and hit Booker with a guitar to lead to the Canyon's pin. Three stars. Yeah, it was a good match. Really good match. And, and, and Canyon, of course, is doing positively Canyon at this point in time. And the loaded so, book. Um, yeah. The loaded book, yeah. And... Um, this finish is going to play into what happens later on the show. Little did we know. So there you go. Setting the setting the table for that. Next, Mike Austin beats Scott Steiner by disqualification in 9-11. Awesome always works hard with his Japanese work ethic to make a match. He can't deny Steiner's physical talents. They're having easily the best match on the show until a really lame finish. Steiner used a Steiner recliner once. Cat came out in order to break it. Steiner punched him. Also came back with a low blow and a power bomb with a bridge for a near fall. And splashed off top for another near fall. After a rough bump, Cat came in the ring with a kick Steiner, who moved, so awesome got it. Steiner gave Cat a belly to belly and gave awesome one, put the recliner on Cat, said he stripped him of the belt if he put it on. He did, got DQ'd, and stripped. Steiner suplexed awesome after the match, and assuming there was a slip, and awesome landed wrong. Three and a quarter stars. Yeah, I mean, 2000 Scott Steiner, Mike Awesome, I mean... This was a really good match for them. Yeah, Steiner has a little bit of a resurgence in, uh, what would you say, like mid to late 2000 before his back gets completely fucked. Yeah, which is a shame. Yes, because he, he was never talent. after that either. Oh, no. Vampiro beat the Demon in 640 in the pre-take graveyard match. Oh, Lord. A Asia was also involved. This was like something of a, from a bad Saturday morning kids show. With the bad lining in the graveyard, it's hard to watch and a total waste of time. They ended up in the river. Vampiro kidnapped Asia. Asia was laying dead, and Vampiro came out of a casket and spit stuff in Demon's eyes. Finally, Vampiro hit Demon with one of those breakable tombstones. An actual headstone, not a pile driver. <laughs> Put him in a casket, threw him in a grave, and lit it on fire. Negative two stars. Thoughts? Bro. I don't have the Undertaker anymore, so you're the new Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it felt like, didn't it? Yeah. But, also, he doesn't have China anymore either, so he also has Asia. <laughs> yes. Asia. All right. Because she's bigger than China, which is a ripoff right. of the Nicole Bash should be called Russia because she's so much bigger than China. <laughs> so. Yes. All right, Shane Douglas pinned Buff Bagwell in 753. 
Shane in his pre-match speech talked about how he was just that damn good. He might as well have said, I'm just that minor, just that minor league repeating it, though, you top guy's catch, right? In fairness, the <laughs> top guy who stole his gimmick, so. <laughs> That's the funny part about it, too. Yes, I, I'm guessing <laughs> Shane noticed these things. and uh, Yes. Hey, hey, Twirl- <laughs> especially yeah. the Kangol hat. <laughs> yeah. Tori Wilson came out. At first, she slapped Douglas, leading to a Bagwell schoolboy for near fall. Bagwell then kissed her. She gave him a low blow. Whatever happened to that angle where Bagwell gave all the women these horrible lines and he could never get a date? <laughs> Douglas used his fisherman suplex for near fall. Bagwell came back to a blockbuster, but Tori stopped him. Douglas used a reverse stomach drop and a reverse stunner. Tori is now Shane's head cheerleader. Shane's at least good at getting a woman over. Two stars. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um I forgot that Tori didn't go directly from Kidman to Shane. Yeah. I thought Tori with Shane was fine. Shane always did better with a female valet. Yes. Whether Sherry or Francine or Tori. Yeah. yeah. And then we have this. Hulk Hogan pinned Jeff Jarrett to theoretically win the WCW title. Vince Russo came out looking forlorn. Jarrett came down. Russo told him to lay down. Russo threw the belt in the ring like he was mad. Hogan put his foot on Jarrett for the pin. Jarrett got right up, walked out, and didn't look very happy at the process. Hogan said it was bullshit like this that Russo was doing the ruining wrestling. The announcers went on and on about what they, were, what they just saw. It was real life, not part of the format, etc., Mark Mann, who hates Hogan, took great delight thinking it was a shoot, that Hogan was exposed for what he is. All right, let's watch this. This is the first time I've watched this basically in 22 years. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget watching this live. So let's go wa- watch this clip now. I'm not sure if I've ever seen this. I've seen the Russo promo from later. I'm not sure I've ever actually seen this. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to the year 2000 WCW Bash at the Beach and the main event of the evening. For the past few weeks, two of the biggest stars in the universe have been on a collision course. And tonight, they shall collide in this ring for the undisputed WCW Heavyweight Championship. Okay, I'm curious to see what that set of signs they cut away from was. Did you notice that? I came to see Hogan kick Jarrett in his slap nuts. I see that Okay, sign. that's what, uh, well, no, that was Okay, don't any of you people know what slap nuts, and then I they cut away before we can see the next sign. Yeah, there you go. All right. Are you Watching around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get her ready to rumble! 
don't think I realized they dubbed this on uh, the network. Oh wow! Yeah, I haven't heard this. Let me hear. I don't. Well, I don't think I've heard the Jared dub. They they left in Cho Cho Chosen One. I want to. I want to hear the music they use though. But not the very obvious ripoff of Cowboy. Yeah, I know. But right now, I think our attention has to go right here to the ring. What is going through the mind of Hollywood Hogan? This could be his last title shot if he doesn't make the most of it. And if indeed he can't beat the jo- It's just a less obvious ripoff of Cowboy, it seems like. I'm kind of surprised that, you know how WWE Network is, they didn't just start playing uh, the old Double J song. <laughs> Okay, so just for the record, they do it. They they use break down the walls for Jericho and WCW. What else did they dub with the WWF theme? I mean, because they could. I mean, you know what they could have used? They could have used the 1999 Def Jarrett WF theme song. Yeah, I guess. Not the Double J theme song, but the 1999 Jeff Jarrett theme song. Yes. The one that Deborah would use. Yes. One, if indeed the man I consider to be one of the greatest world champions ever does put Hollywood down in the match for the three where does Hollywood Hogan's career go from here? Yeah. Where does it go from here indeed? A lot of questions hopefully will be answered tonight. Hogan earned this shot with the win at the Great American Match. A shot he deserves. Will he make the most of it? Okay, I'm presuming that's a WWF sucks sign that got blurred because of WWF blurring paranoia, and this is a version from when they had to blur that. It's possible. It could have been just something really heinous. This is not like the chosen one to stand us up on a pay-per-view. So much at stake here. Jeff Jarrett is in the building. I wonder if Jeff Jarrett... Oh, my God, that's Vince Russo. My God, that's Vince Russo. <laughs> Wearing a San Francisco Giants uh, banning practice jersey, yes. Yes. Also, if you go by uh, fan signs, Jeff Jarrett is easily the most over-wrestler on this card. Oh, he won? Oh, God! Jeff Jarrett was easy to mess over wrestling WCW. Those slap nut shirts. Oh, yeah. I mean, people love Jeff Jarrett. Low key. I mean, everybody I knew, they love Jeff Jarrett. Slap nut. I mean, people, I mean, I remember at work, people just calling each other slap nuts and shit like that. I mean, he was over. Absolutely, he was. He was cool. He was over. Yeah. Yes. And Russo, I believe, would later explain that people should know this is a shoot. Because the character is a Yankees fan, but in real life he's a Giants fan. I mean, that's an interesting touch to it. You know? Not that anyone would get that. Well, you have to be really clued in to know. But yeah, he's right, because he always wore the Yankees jersey, Yankees stuff when he came to the rink. Yes. You know? 
Here he's wearing his Giants jersey. Yes, of so course. This this, is the, but this is not an actual shoot. The promo later is kind of a shoot, but this is not. So. Well, he, he kind of Mr. Russo's back. Welcome back, Mr. Russo. Yeah, a face we haven't seen in quite a while. Hey, Barry Bonds doesn't have the guts to show up to the All-Star game. Mr. Russo grabbed his shirt, grabbed his back. Here he is. We could talk for three more hours about the situation involving this man, Vince Russo. Here comes the gentleman, the Vince the champ. He stands six feet one. Okay, I gotta skip past this. We're just all dubbing, basically. Not a WCW pay-per-view without the cameraman having either dirt or his finger on the lens, of course. As you can see in the top left corner. <laughs> oh, man. With the ring was filled with what we found out then would be new blood members, but it was Russo who was introduced by Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett, the chosen one, has always been closer, closer to Russo than any other performer in By the way, it's probably worth noting, since they bring that up, um, on his podcast and stuff, Jeff insists that all of the timing with his contract and when Russo left, and then Jeff left, WWF for WCW, he says it was all coincidence that he had not talked to Russo about that, any of that at all. I can believe Jeff. Yeah. I don't think he has any reason to lie about that. No. But... Worth mentioning, because for all the stuff about them being close, and they were at various points, the thing that links them the most closely, (laughs) arguably, at least initially, really was kind of coincidence. Yeah. Why is he out at ringside here with Jeff Jarrett in his corner here tonight? I'll tell you what we're seeing. We're seeing Jeff Jarrett and Kaiser Sose himself, Vince Russo, in the ring. One of the enemies, one of the many enemies, according to Jeff Jarrett, that Hulk Hogan has made in this sport, and it's time to take a walk down Sunset Boulevard straight to Hollywood. Well, I don't know why Mr. Russo's here, but I do know I like it. I wonder if Hogan has a plan. I wonder if Hogan has help lined up. I wonder if Hogan has a man the stature of Vince Russo looking out for him. I'd rather doubt it, because Hogan has burned a lot of bridges. He's fresh out of friends in wrestling. Well, if you believe Jeff Jarrett, Hogan will not have a plan. He will not have a backup. It will be. Why is he coming out to the NWO music? Because he's very Hollywood Hogan again. But there's no NWO. Yeah, be Hollywood Hogan. And they don't want to pay for uh, Voodoo Child, I guess. Yeah. Because this is what was actually played at the pay-per-view, right? This is not a dub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The point of phrase. Mono on mono. Hogan and Jarrett for the World Heavyweight Championship. Is it ironic? Four years ago, 1996, same venue, the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. Same event. WCW Bags of the Beach. At Badge of the Beach, Hulk Hogan transformed to Hollywood Hogan. The NWO was formed. Did we ever think that four years later, he'd be coming out in the same colors, being cheered by the fans, going after the WCW title once again? I'll tell you one battle that's long overdue since the 
and hang on a minute. I was wondering what Hogan was motioning to, and uh, microphone. Here's the chosen one has taken it back up. You know something, Jeff Jarrett? You are the chosen one because I have chosen you to power bomb your ass through this match for my brother, Big Sexy. So come on down and get your ass kicked, Jarrett. Despite the fact that they entered in the order they did, um, Jeff is now standing by the entrance. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, uh, high-tailed the ring, yes. Like Babe Ruth, he's calling the shot, isn't he? He said, I've chosen you to powerbomb you right to the ring. Boy, and Jarrett playing a crafty game of his own. Now, is that Jeff Jarrett being confident, or is that Jeff Jarrett being scared out of his shorts knowing that he's going to step into the ring with Hollywood Hogan? Or is that Jeff Jarrett who knows something that Hollywood... Oh, so the duplicate belt is not silvery. It's actually more bright gold than the original is. This one, at least. It also doesn't fit Jeff particularly well for some reason. No. Hogan doesn't. That's good questions on both ends there. Whatever it is, scared, confident, it's a pretty darn good move to stay out, let Hogan have center stage, so to speak, let Hogan get it all out, all this animosity. We go back, though, a few weeks ago, the power, the jackhammer that was by Goldberg on the back of Hogan through the table, wondering if Hogan could even come back. We have not seen Hogan since that time. Hogan is we so all fucking knew, dark Scott, here. I knew, you knew, yeah. as much as you knew. Feels like I'm at John's. You knew that Hogan would make it like back here to Bash of the Beast. No, no, I, I knew he'd never, ever miss a big pay-per-view payday. What's That's Jeff doing? Wait a minute. What's Jeff doing? Is it Halloween Havoco over again? Russo's Wait a minute, Russo. What's he saying? Russo, I think, told Jared to lie down. What's going on? Look at... Russo is holding the belt up like, do you want the belt? Pin the man. Jarrett's down. I don't know. And Hogan is as shocked as we are. What in the world? Jeff Jarrett. This can't be Jeff Jarrett, a man that grew up in this sport. What, the, is there, what is going on? They just threw the whole title the to belt Hogan. Hogan. What the hell? Now, Russo. This is, I think we're deviating from the, from the norm here. Deviating from the script. I hesitate to say that, but what the hell is going on? I don't think Hogan had any idea what was going on. Yeah, Hogan's, I, don't, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know if Hulk Hogan... Drunk Earl in the red tank top is my new favorite wrestling fan in the history of wrestling fans on hard cam. I just cannot take my mind off Hogan, take my eyes off Hogan's skin. I mean, he makes superstar Billy Graham like Sheamus. <laughs> that is like, in Cal Yes, and Cal Velo. 1987 Billy Graham. Yeah, 1987 superstar Billy Graham, WWF version. Yeah. Like Shane. Hogan, Hogan has asked for another microphone. I think he wants to talk again. So, fans, uh, we apologize. Uh, Russo, what a, what a return. Is this your deal, Russo? Wow. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in, because of bullshit like this. Wow. My God, this is real life. One, two, three. We've got a new world champion, but I guess we do. Good God Almighty, are we going to have some splaining to do tomorrow? Look at, look at Hogan's face. Look at-
Jarrett just turned his back on Hulk Hogan and walked out. Vince Russo is gone. Hulk Hogan is the world champion, and this sport has never seen anything like this. I don't think Hogan saw this coming, that's for sure. Fans, I want to tell you, what we have seen is a slice of real life. Marmad face. There's a meaning here. This is real life. What to say. This is real. It to you, but there's something very deep in this. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not something they go over with us at the production meeting. No, there are swerves and there are swerves. We've all been swerves. <laughs> there we have. Did, did you see Hogan's face? How could you miss I it? I just saw your it face. lighting up this place. Like a, like a lighthouse, Hulk Hogan came into this thing thinking we were going to have a match. We didn't know if Hogan would be here. What would happen? What would Jared do? What would Hogan do? What would Hogan agree to do? I don't think anybody agreed to that. Well, Hulk got to win, and we all know that's what's important. To him it is. But no kid. Well, I know it's important, but to win it like that. <laughs> for the cho- After all these promos, to lay Promo. down. This is wild. This is pretty good. Hey, Here he lost it like that. Hold on now. Hold on now. To the back. To the back. But uh, well, they didn't go immediately to the back at least. Um, so you you don't you never seen this? I don't think so. Not before now. So what is your thoughts of seeing this for the first time? It's a fucking mark. <laughs> it's so fucking obvious. But I tell you what, I mean, when you're watching it live, uh-huh. I mean, I remember I was watching it with a whole group of people. And our minds were blown. Like, what in the fuck was did we just see? I forget. But then I was John me- or Joe, whose house this was at. This is Joe's house. Okay. But you know, but but me being you know the smartest of the wrestling fans, you know, I was explaining it to them. I was like, well, they just remember they just did this to Halloween Havoc. So I I knew I thought it was going to be something is playing playing off of that. Right. You know that Hogan had just done this Halloween never went anywhere, and it got brought up on commentary. Yes, they brought it up, so they're explicitly on commentary. I mean, you got to be a, a moron to think it's real now because of the way they're doing a commentary. Mm-hmm. All right, at this point in time, all right. Okay, this is some. This is a big angle. Okay, something's going to happen. So at this point in time. I pretty much have everybody convinced that this is, you know, a big angle, and it's all it's all a big, you know, swerve, and this is building to something. Something's going to happen. Don't know what, but something's going to happen. All right. So that's where everybody's mindset is at that point in time. All right. So next, Vampiro is walking around the back. Whole bunch of stains come out with masks. One of them actually, natural wrestler Chris Harris hit Vampiro with a bat. When the announcer asked him the question, "Is it that was a real sting?" God, after four years, they still make their announcements like idiots, and they wonder why nobody believes in their angles. When, when Van Pedro came back in the background, you could see Hogan and his son Nicholas leaving the building. Wrestling with shadows with young son Blade in tears as daddy was screwed by the evil promoter. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, now let's go to Vince Russo. And this is where things change a little bit regarding perception in, in the household that I was at. So let's go to one Vincent Russo. Yes. Vicious Vincent Russo. In the Mean Gene interviews Goldberg, which Dave has nothing to say about that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. 
Not, not even mention it. Wow. Goldberg, that is... That is the... Well, here's Mr. Russo what now. What the hell is next? Now what? I don't know. It's, Who's laying down in this one? It's, it's scheduled to be Nash Goldberg. We heard from Goldberg. Now maybe, maybe Russo can explain to the world what we have seen. And if he explains it, will we get it? Will if we understand it? Do we believe it? Look at what's coming from. I, I think we're going to hear the truth right now. I really do. We got to hear something. That's uh, not Vince Russo, the character. That's Vince Russo, the boss. Look at his face. Yeah. The there we go. Don't we? There you go. And it's more and more. Doesn't even know what to say. How do you explain what happened? Well, remember, there is supposed to be a promo here, regardless. Yeah. You know, it's the content that becomes the issue. Yes. Happened with Hogan and Jeff Jarrett. There's only one way for me to do this, and that's for me to... Tell it like it is. Here we go. All right, we need to hear this. Let's lay out. Let's lay out. Mm-hmm. Going to tell us later that we're going to a VTR. <laughs> oh, man. You know, three weeks ago, I left WCW... More man's face. More real than I thought it would be tonight. Three weeks ago. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I left WCW, and quite frankly, I didn't know if I was going to come back. And the reason I didn't know I was going to come back or not is because... From day one that I've been in WCW, I've done nothing, nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain. The fact of the matter is, I've got a wife, I've got three kids at home, and I really don't need this shit. tell you the reason why I did come back. I came back for every one of the guys in that locker room that week in, week out, bust their ass for WCW. I came back for the Booker T's. I came back for every single guy in MIA. Jared, I came back to the guys behind that curtain that give a shit about this company. And let me tell you who doesn't give a shit about this company. That goddamn politician Hulk Hogan. Because let me tell you people what happened out here in this ring tonight. All day long, I'm 
playing politics with Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan tonight wants to play his creative control card. And to Hulk Hogan, that meant that tonight in the middle of this ring, when he knew it was bullshit, he beats Jeff Jarrett. Well, guess what? Hogan got his wish. Hogan got his belt and he went the hell home. And I promise everybody or else I'll go in the goddamn grave. You will never see that piece of shit again. Amen. But I also, I sat out there with the people just like you. And I know you paid good money to come here tonight and nobody is gonna be ripped off here tonight. So Hulk Hogan now has the WCW belt. And Hulk, let's refer to that as the Hulk Hogan Memorial Belt because from here on in, that belt don't mean shit. Because there will be a new WCW belt. And as far as I'm concerned, that belt still belongs to the one guy that bust his ass week in and week out in the middle of this ring. And you people can love him and hate him, but he doesn't screw anybody back there, and that's Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett is still the official WCW champion, but he will defend that title in this ring tonight. And he will defend that title against the son of a bitch back there who for 14 years has been busting his ass in WCW and can't get a goddamn break because of the Hulk Hogan. 14 years. And I'm talking about Booker T. Booker T and Jeff Jarrett are the two reasons why I'm in this damn stinking business to begin with. So tonight in this ring, for the WCW title, two deserving guys, Jarrett and Booker, will compete for the WCW and they'll tear this goddamn out down. And Hogan, you big bald son of a bitch, kiss my ass! Say to to add to what to add to that. We have seen a man pour his heart out. This is great. If Russo was a woman, I'd marry him. <laughs> we've seen a man, regardless of what side you take, we've seen a man, Vince Russo, who we all know, we all have worked for for many months, who has busted his rear end for this company, pour his heart out for you in a shoot, that, as we uh, call it in the wrestling business. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, I mean, they're back doing it again. But the thing is, is, okay, what Russo was saying there 
that's what turned the tide with me because knowing how Hogan is and hearing Russo say that, I knew, oh shit. You Russo know has worked, worked himself into a shoot. The actual tell is him calling Hogan bald because no one lets anyone, Hogan won't let anyone call him bald. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yep. So I knew that. And I told the guys there, I said, that, that what this Russo was saying there, I mean, there was some, there was truth behind that. That, that. that this is some real shit here. Yeah. And the announcers are playing it up, of course, still because they were supposed to, and, you know, because it was supposed to be a work shoot promo, but it became the real deal there. Yeah. And that's the thing about it. And when you get in those type of situations. You know, that's where you don't know what's what's real, what's fake. But then you hear the buzzwords, like, oh, shit, yes. But still, though, it, 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 it still makes it where there's doubt in, my, in the people's minds. Well, you think it's a, you think it's a work because they kept saying, and this is a shoot. Yes. Yeah, they keep playing it up. So they're playing up what was what it was supposed to be. But then it, it became more than what it was supposed to be. Yes. All right. Let's let's see what Dave says about this. You nobody fucking re- mark! <laughs> Dave said nobody reacted to what he said. It was kind of embarrassing having him do his pep talk. Paul Heyman's uh, first, uh, before the first ECW pay-per-view show will be on the mat speech. In the paid and paper crowd, apparently not computer savvy enough to be in on all the things that happened during the week, had no clue what he was talking about. Russo talked about his wife and three kids, how he didn't know if he would come back, but if he did, he was all loyal to the rest of the WCW. Dave says, everyone in WF will test. If nothing else, Russo is loyal. He came to save the career of Booker T. Hey, did he make him GI bro before the discrimination lawsuit got more heated? MIAs, FAs, and Jarrett start ripping on the egomaniac Hogan. Hogan playing his creative control card. Wrestling with shadows because Russo is to this day obsessed with getting over that the other fence was right. He said that Hogan insisted he went to talk in chairs. So he gave Hogan the belt and said, you'll never see Hogan again. The basic theory seems to be eventually breaking up WCW into a Bischoff-led group on one show, which would be the old Millionaires Club against a Russo-led group on another show, The New Blood, which is probably the original idea for April, but they felt swerving everyone with them, being put together and giving 12 weeks of programming. It made no sense. It was more important, Dave guessed. Well, Dave just co-signed Wade there, Bix. Mm-hmm. He then said Jared would be Russell Booker T for the new title because the old one was dead and buried, the birth of the ECW title, because Hulk Hogan... Like Ric Flair, the fat man, Dusty Rose, Carrie Von Eric, and Ricky Steamboat, whoever else Douglas said in that speech, can all kiss his ass. And he did all that right off his head. It made great TV for Dave, but the crowd reacted about it like they did when Andy Kaufman faked the shoot and fake breaking character on Saturday Night Live all those years ago. He means Fridays. Fridays. Yes. Yeah. I didn't put the Shane Douglas thing together in that either, you know? The correlations with the Shane Douglas throwing the belt down promo. Yeah. Well, who's in WCW that time? Ha, <laughs> <laughs> So, well, what are your thoughts after watching that, Bix? I'm wondering, first of all, if Dave knows that the Fridays thing was a work shoot. <laughs> um, if he doesn't call him bald, none of this seems out of sync with what they were doing. Yeah. And that requires you knowing that Hogan wouldn't have let him do that. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Hogan could have had the gist of the promo relayed to him by someone. 
who wouldn't have thought to have included that detail. Yeah. You know, so it may, it, it makes more sense out of why he goes on Bubba the next morning and he seems to be playing along. All right. Now's as good as time as any, I guess, to go ahead and read from the Nitro book. Oh, boy. All right. Um, on the weekend leading up to July 4th, Bischoff flew to Wyoming to participate in a family gathering marking the holiday. He was soon informed that Russo was apparently back in the picture, and he immediately touched base to review the pay-per-view arrangements. The conversation was cordial, Bischoff recalls, but the one point of contention centered on the marquee match. According to Bischoff, Russo claimed to have no vision for the outcome of Hogan versus Jarrett, leading to the call ending ambiguously. Subsequently, Bischoff and Hogan agreed to maintain an open dialogue with a view to selling the issue on Saturday evening, the night prior to the event itself. In a sad turn of events, however, Independence Day ended with news of devastating personal loss as Eric Bischoff's father passed away, and for his son, Bash at the Beach promptly took a back seat. Meanwhile, back in the creative saddle, Russo held court over a booking meeting, allegedly asking the room a pointed question. If we could put the belt on anyone, who would it be? The answer was unanimous. According to the committee, most deserving of the honor was Booker T., a consummate professional and seven-year company veteran. At that precise moment, Russo claims he decided that regardless of the scheduled card, Booker was to leave Bash at the Beach with the title. And perhaps audition of sorts, the former home he stand out and immediately squared off with Jared on the July 5th Thunder, narrowly falling to the champion by pinfall. Particularly observant fans noticed Jarrett wearing a replica of the belt for the Thunder match. A curious occurrence given what was to come. On Thursday, July the 6th, ring announcer David Penzer, a staffer's responsibilities were gradually increasing over time, received instructions to ensure Booker traveled with a suit for the next Nitro. On Friday, July 7th, standing in the parking lot of Minneapolis Funeral Home, Bischoff attempted to finally rectify the main event conflict. He conversed with Russo before the service began, but still there appeared to be no resolution in sight. Later in the day, Russo then contacted John Laurinaitis to relay a proposal to Hogan. The proposal detailed the match involving outside interference in the DQ and then to keep Hogan strong, whilst ensuring that Jarrett remained his champion. Invoking the creative control clause in his contract, with specific language concerning approval over the outcome of all wrestling matches in which he appears, wrestles, and performs, such approval not to be unreasonably withheld, Hogan quickly shut down the idea. In response, Russo suggested an expanded scenario, effectively doubling the chaos and conveying Hogan's superiority without booking a title change. According to Russo, the updated suggestion was received positively. He loves it, Laurinaitis allegedly confirmed. But late Friday, an ostensibly affirmative change of heart, Hogan instructed his attorney to fax a letter to WCB's offices, reneging on the outcome after all. The communication failed to reach Russo, however, meaning that the parties traveled to the show with differing assumptions on the booking plans. Uh-oh. After taking care of his unfortunate family business for the moment at least, Bischoff landed in Daytona at noon on Sunday. He immediately called Russo upon landing, asking clearly, he claims, for the pre-show production meeting to be postponed until he arrived. But when Bischoff entered the Ocean Center, the meeting was practically drawn to a close. It was clear to me, Bischoff later reflected, that Russo thought my preoccupation with my father's death gave him the chance to take over everything that was going on. In response to calls Bischoff, Russo argued that the decision to start early was a matter of practicality, not malice, representing a genuine effort to get ahead of schedule. At that point, based on his own version of events, Bischoff approached Hogan to suggest an updated outcome, a DQ loss as agreed to previously, followed by the star taking the belt to set up a subsequent tournament. In accordance with this scenario, a new champion would be crowned in Halloween Havoc. 
shortly before prompting an impromptu challenge from Hogan, the real champion. I would think confusion to try to calm Hulk down. Bischoff later wrote, there be plenty of people in press around. We work everyone there. Trying to make it look as if Hogan was quitting with the title. That will force WCW to have a tournament to decide a new champion. According to Bischoff, Russo agreed unequivocally to the strategy, understanding plainly the events were to lead to a champion versus champion showdown in Havoc. Conversely, Russo recalls disagreement persisting, ending in his suggestion with Hogan and Bischoff present, that the writer cut a scathing promo on the star after the match. Subsequently, Russo then proposed a booking about between Jeremy Booker T, leading to Booker trapping at the WCW champion. It's a notion that Bischoff disputes to this day. This Russo is one of the most delusional human beings I've ever come across, he says with disgust. There are people that bullshit, and there are people that believe their own bullshit. He's the latter. He literally creates things in his mind, and he's very convincing, by the way. He'll talk about them in such a way that you would believe them to be true. He's that delusional. Pathological is probably a better term. Ultimately, once the match unfolded, it resembled an amalgamation as described memorably in the death of WCW at three prior angles. Drawing Marshall Screwdrop, Finger Poker Doom, and Halloween Havoc 99, Terry simply laid down for Hogan to score a pin. Interestingly, as his, per his own conversation with Russo, Jared believed Hogan to be steadfast against doing the match. Subsequently, in an effort to sell the legitimacy of the angle, Bischoff and Hogan left the building, as planned, even engaging in an argument with production staff. They got into a limo sitting at a loading dock next to the television truck, remembers Jeff Bornstein. Keith Mitchell ran out to Eric and said, you want me to cut his mic? Eric said, I don't care if he cut his throat. The limo took off. After a short transitional segment, Russo returned to the ring alone, unloading on Hogan. He took the microphone and ensured his promo was scathing indeed. And then he does the whole promo here. Shockingly, in a hastily constructed main event, Booker T then pinned Jarrett to catch the WCW title, apparently contradicting plans to hold the aforementioned tournament. After the event, fans who checked WCW.com were greeted with a surprising headline. Oh, what a night, is she missing red? While Hogan Bischoff digested the news later from their vantage point, it now looked as though Russo, having apparently gone to business for himself, had actually managed to double-cross them. Moreover, in detail agreed upon by all parties, Russo promised to call Hogan to discuss future plans. However, the behest of Brad Siegel, he was advised to leave the issue alone due to the ongoing expense of Hogan's contract. And so, literally overnight, Hogan was gone from WCW, eventually receiving a hefty financial settlement years later. In the meantime, Russo was promulgating the idea that due to a disagreement with Hogan, Jared had been forced to lay down legitimately, conveying the notion even in discussions with co-workers from Tony Schiavone, who was told the same in a private phone call. I remember watching a video of Jared and Hogan's Bash the Beach incident, says one former WCW employee. When Vince Russo walked by and joined us, I asked Vince, was it real? As we watched his tirade, he looked at me with a flash of anger and said, what do you think? He walked out a minute later, and I still don't know if the setup was a work or if it was truly a shoot. Well, now that we had these details from the Nitro book, Leading up to what happened, um, the interesting part of that whole story was Hogan had facts the thing, and nobody had the facts. And a WCW everybody moment. Mm. So they went to the building not knowing what Hogan was wanting to do. <laughs> to me, the you most know? interesting thing was the Brad Siegel thing, though. Yes. Which is insane because Hogan is guaranteed those pay-per-view payoffs, regard like I believe just regardless of what happened. Mm-hmm. 
So how did Brad Siegel think that this would even work? I have no idea. Yeah, it's kind of uh, perplexing in a way. Yes. It's almost as if he's trying to destroy the company from within to lower the selling price. Gee, I wonder why that would be. I was about to say the same thing, Bix. I I was going to say, I wonder what he knows. (laughs) When when did uh, Stu Snyder start with the World Wrestling Federation? The 2005 show, the 2000 show that we did the last one. I'm looking. Because we just talked about it. June 1st to the 7th. During that week. Press for, yeah, we just did it. Oh yeah, it was June. Yeah, we just June seventh, June first to the seventh. Yeah, yeah. Huh. huh? Interesting timing, isn't it? Very, very interesting. Timing. All of a sudden, he he get that. All of a sudden, Brad Siegel now is getting them into legal hot water with Hogan and taking Hogan off TV. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For more on this, folks, Patreon.com/slash/TwinSheets. Sale of the and uh, yeah, which. Yeah, I got an, wheels are turning in my head. Let's just say that right now for other things. So okay. wheels are turning in my head. We'll talk. We'll talk after. Into... We... Oh, go ahead. We'll talk. No, no, no. We'll talk after we we done, get done with this segment. Okay, I think you're having <laughs> the same idea. I, I, I did. I think. I think you're. Yeah, I think we are. Okay. All right. Uh, Bill Bill Goldberg pinned Diamond Dallas P- Nash <laughs> in four twenty one. Nash, if he didn't win and bring Hall bad, he leave the company. Not much of a match. Scott Steiner came out in the guise of Nash's best friend, replacing Scott Hall, who apparently wasn't allowed back for this angle, despite them hyping him like crazy, including on the show, and turned on him at the end. I think that's four pay-per-views in a row where the most hype match on the card had the exact same finish, Dave said. Goldberg and Spirit and Jack Cameron Nash have ripped up Hall's contract. Half a star. Yes, yeah, it's just stupid shit. The stupid shit, but it was building to something they thought was going to happen. Sure. <laughs> so there was that. And then we get Booker and Jarrett. Booker beat Jarrett to win the title, the new title of 1340. Nelson did a great job of getting the belt match over. They worked hard, but they seemed very nervous because the match had a lot of slow spots and things were off. They did a lot of near falls and they looking for a rep bump. They teased the belt shot finish. Jarrett then gave a recovering Billy Silverman the stroke, which made no sense. But Booker hit the Yernagi. Dave said they dressed him like Rock. On TV next day, and even gave him the Rock's finish. When Mark Johnson ran in, fully clothed, I might add, he counted the pin, three stars. You want to go? You you want to play the finish or something? I see you got a plan in the background here. Is that your your yeah, plan here? Yeah, I was. Tr- I'm trying to figure out the right spot to cue it up to. I guess. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it does look a little slow and clumsy. All right, here's the guitar. Let's pick up here. Because I mean, I remember everybody was celebrating at this because we want Booker finally won the belt. All right. Scott, and he's got it. And I want to tell you, he hits it right now. It's over with. Billy Silverman just got stroked out by the world champion. Booker does and see Jerry. Look at the standing and the, the with 
Yeah, basically the entire hard cam side is doing the raise the roof to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, folks, folks are going nuts because Booker finally won the title. It was the the the, the best way to end this show. should have been like a long time ago a long time ago finally the new wcw really is the new wcw uh, have we uh, i want to tell you we're gonna go into i should note by the way that um being that we talked earlier about how the chronic song is a blatant ripoff of a song about poop sex we should also note that the harlem heat booker t song as you heard just now that uh, tongue-waggling sample is uh, from a song about ass-eating. <laughs> uh, Sweet Pussy Pauline by Hateful Head Helen. I, I believe it's just a spoken word kind of rap thing with no... But it's also it's, it was also sampled. It's but it's also been sampled in other songs too. Yes, although the Harlem Heat theme in general is very sample heavy because it's got that the yeah. times and stuff and a bunch of the other stuff are from a few different Kraftwerk songs. But that's but 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 that's a song that was uh, you know public domain. It's not a WCW it was a production song or anything. Track. Yeah, it's production track. Production library. Cardiac arrest here from what went down. Booker T. Wait a minute. He goes in to help up the referee. Anybody who knows Booker T behind the scenes like we do knows that he is a hardworking, a gentleman, a great athlete, and a man deserving of not only the title shot, but deserving of this moment. He's, and I think he's, he's he's falling apart right now. I think tears are starting to flow down the face of Booker T. It's every young man's dream to be the WCW champion. And on this night of July in 2000, Booker T earned it and is lifted here tonight. I don't know what else to say. I do. Can I quote you from 1996? No. Only thing we can say is... Hold on, Mark. ...that Nitro is going to be one hell of a program tomorrow night. Yeah, did Russo do away with the credits, or were they gone before Russo? I think they were gone before Russo. Okay. You can also tell the crowd seems kind of shocked, because they pop huge for the finish, and you see all the, everyone celebrating, but they it doesn't sustain that much once it sets in. It's interesting. Well, I mean, they couldn't believe it, Yeah, I guess. They couldn't believe that Booker T actually won clean. Also, kudos to, I'm guessing, Johnny Ace, because Jared coming off the top rope with a guitar shot into the bookend was the exact right finish for that match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, once I, I mean, we could talk shit on fucking John Laurinaitis a lot, but John Laurinaitis, he knows how to book finishes. Yes. He's one of the best finished men in the business. In more ways than one. Um... So well, from what we've heard <laughs> lately, he's probably also one of the worst finish men in the business. <laughs> so the next day on TV, 
WCW acted like something had happened, but never touched on it, aside from Madden making reference after reference to guys who show up once a month and steal their check. They made reference to the idea they couldn't talk about things for legal reasons. All right, Dave had his uh, version of the Hogan-Bubba thing, and um, here's, what, here's what Dave said. said they had a meeting. Hogan's version was he went to a meeting with Jarrett Russo and Bischoff. Jarrett had to lead the meeting interfering the match. Hogan, Hogan said he thought it was weird because Jarrett never came back, and they weren't done going over the match. Hogan said he jobbed at Jarrett, but when he found out Russo didn't want to use him anymore, after asking what the plans were for him on TV this coming week, saying there was nothing left to do with him, only then did he insist on winning, which made Russo go nuts. He said he was trying to calm down Russo, who was cussing him out. He claimed Bischoff was on his side and started fighting with Russo. They called Brad Siegel, who agreed that Hogan could win the title, and Russo agreed to it, and Hogan thought it was resolved, and Johnny Ace came up with a finish. He said he had blades with him. The old-time wrestler's trick in the old days, they're afraid of a shoot, is to bring blades with them and put them in tape around his fist. So when you swing for real, you'll slice the guy up. Lord have mercy. He talked about getting the biggest pop on the show and recognized things were amiss when he saw Russo come out. He said the original finish involved Russo, but that Steiner was going to run Russo off and help Hogan win the title. He said he went looking for Russo backstage. That dirty rat fink has locked himself in his office from Wrestling With Shadows, but couldn't find him. He saw Russo and started yelling at him when Doug Dillinger told him that he didn't need a lawsuit and escorted him out of the building, and Russo had someone covering his back. According to two wrestlers, this would have been Steiner. He said he'd be on Raw tonight. He said he couldn't get out of his contract. He said he'd be calling him at man to see if he'd get his son Nicholas to show up on Raw tonight and give him the belt. We've already been through the legal aspects of going on TV with the other guy's belt in the Flair case in 91, when McMahon, which McMahon lost. Put over McMahon incessantly. Where that aspect of the story falls apart is that if it was a shoot and Hogan was that mad, the very person he would talk to would have been McMahon, even if they try and come up with some clever way to stick it at WCW. Even if they could come up with one that they could pull off legally, the call would have been made. Well, McMahon was very busy that day with an XFL press conference in San Jose, and we're not talking about that, folks, and the TV tapings. Hogan certainly knows enough people to get through to McMahon, and it doesn't appear any such call was ever made. When Bubba asked if it was a work or a shoot, Hogan said, I don't do works on your show. Still, Hogan's closest friends in the company the next day were openly talking about it being a swerve. Russo was still insisting the next day it was a shoot. Claiming people will know it's a work if Hogan ever returns to the company, and he doesn't quit. The explanation given by those close to Russo is that Siegel actually backed him and not Hogan. And Bischoff was neutral. But that wouldn't explain based on what went down. Russo not taking any punishment for double-crossing Bischoff, his superior, on a finish, and for Bischoff not being in television the next day to at least clear the air with everyone about what happened. After this all came, the word and the people in the company at this point expected everything like this could be a work, that Siegel made the decision that Russo would be in charge creatively of night show and pay-per-views, while Ferrara would be in charge of Thunder. Russo then announced he would no longer be appearing on television, and the further one now clear is going to be a Bischoff versus Russo feud and a split promotion angle. Bischoff was announced as taking a sabbatical. This, of course, would give the explanation that Hogan could return on Thunder with Bischoff down the line since he's still on the contract, while Russo wouldn't have to work with him. Let's go back to the Nitro book, shall we? Finally, at his breaking point, Bischoff indicated to Brad Siegel in no uncertain terms that he was doing Russo, ending an incredibly turbulent creative partnership. I'm disappointed that I ever put myself in that position, he laments today. Likewise, Russo regards their differences as too significant to begin with. Eric Bischoff and I are oil and water, he says. This has been proven over the years. We're just two very different people who can't work together. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. 
Yeah, let's go back to the Observer, because I, I want to go further before we discuss more. All right, after the show on Monday, the reaction was somewhat split. A few wrestlers close to Russo were believing it was a work. Large because company veterans were all openly saying it was with the exception of Kevin Nash, who was very influential backstage, but couldn't understand why Russo would go to such lengths to work the boys. A few others believed it was a shoot because Russo was acting nervous to everyone both Sunday night and Monday morning. They didn't know if he'd lose his job over it, and then the announcers were ordered not to talk about it. Nash, who was close to the situation, backed up that everything was played out largely, as Hogan said, and claimed afterwards that Hogan told him Russo had got him because there was nothing he could do about it legally because he got his win. The word was that only Glenn Gaberti, Jarrett, Bill Banks, and FRR knew Russo's plan for Jarrett to lay down in the ring. All right. So, what do you think about uh, – interesting that Hogan uh, – that, that you know, Dave's version of Hogan on Bubba has these things in there that only – it's been only in that interview. We never heard anything about then this other, this stuff happening. This supposed meeting with Jared Bischoff, Russo, and Hogan, and this, that, and the other. How do you? So how much? How much? Well, I mean, wouldn't the Nitro book have gone into detail about such a thing happening, considering everything else they detailed in the timeline? Perhaps. Wouldn't that seem important? Wouldn't that seem important to their to their story? Yeah. Um, and how about the, and, and and the whole leaving the whole leaving thing? I mean, wasn't Bischoff with Hogan and he left? Did Bischoff the same thing about Doug Dillinger and all that stuff? Yeah. Nash telling people that Hogan said Russo got him because there was nothing he could do legally because he got his win. That seems legit because that was how the contract was interpreted at first, if I remember right that it only governed the outcomes of matches and i believe the reason hogan eventually won an appeal was that um i think the argument was how does hogan have control over the finish of that match if the finish was just basically nullified immediately afterwards without his permission yeah although some of that was supposed to be with his permission so i don't know but still the idea hogan would bring that up feels like a real thing yeah well let's continue now the torch adds more information to what happened after the show after the July night pay-per-view Vince Russo hung out with several of the wrestlers at a hotel bar Russo is known for not frequenting hotel bars told a group of wrestlers that it was going to it was his going away party he insisted to wrestlers that what happened between himself and Hogan on pay-per-view was a shoot he also joked that he wanted one of the wrestlers to serve as his lawyer when, that when he met with Brad Siegel the next day what he claimed to be his firing. Several WCW office workers and writers are trying to convince people that the angle was a shoot, but they had the pay-per-view. Sources say Aaron Blitzstein, a WCW marketing executive, was telling everyone who would listen that what happened night four was a shoot. Ever since the incident, Disco Inferno has told friends he believes it was a shoot. Still, very few wrestlers or office workers believe the angle was a shoot. Even longtime allies of Hulk Hogan, such as Jimmy Hart and Gene are telling friends they believe it was a work, regardless of what they're being told. Well... I wouldn't be surprised if they think so, because they they were led to believe that's what was going to happen with the work. So, yeah. Staying with the torch. There are indications that Brad Siegel's being more assertive and involved in fixing WCW than any time in the past, if you want to call it that, I guess. Siegel is working more closely with Russo now more than any time in the past. The ideal scenario in some WCW wrestlers' minds is that Hogan knew what was going to happen at the bash, but now Siegel and Russo have turned against him and don't plan to bring him back after all. And that Siegel has sent Bischoff home for a while to let Russo succeed with an interference from Bischoff and Hogan. In other words, Russo has turned completely against Hogan with Siegel's blessing, 
And Siegel has been convinced by Russo to do things his way for a while without interference. Siegel has taken hard stands on a number of highly paid top stars, including Scott Hall, Lex Luger, and even Scott Steiner, who's down to his final strike. The guarded, optimist, guardedly optimistic buzz within WCW is that Siegel has decided, with the exception of Kevin Nash and Sting, to bite the bullet on the contracts of the top paid counterproductive names that have played WCW over the past few years. I wonder why that would be, Bix. <laughs> fixing WCW. I mean, price fixing is a kind of fixing. <laughs> I think it usually goes in the other direction, though. <laughs> yeah. The predominant front office chatter this week regarding the Hogan-Russo situation is that without a doubt, some element of it was a work. I.e. Hogan knew Jeff Jarrett was going to lie down for him, but the workers are working each other, and who comes out with power at the end is a question. And if there was a set plan for after the bash, it won't play out as all parties expected. Somebody will wind up double-cross. It'd be at Russo, Bischoff, or Hogan, and nobody's sure who would come out on top. It appears that Brad Siegel supporting Russo, but it could be part of a plan by Bischoff and Hogan to let Russo hang himself. That plan could backfire, too. The story making the rounds that Siegel met with Russo the day after the pay-per-view and ended up siding with him regarding the problems of Hogan. Most of WCW are laughing at the story because of the reputations of Hogan and Russo. The feeling is that Hogan or Bischoff would easily be able to charm Siegel into believing their side of the story if the incident were legit. While Russo has a bad reputation for dealing with his superiors, wrestlers are complaining amongst themselves that the rioters are paying too much attention to key internet wrestling sites. One wrestler complains that the internet has so much power that it's starting to decide who is booked to win and lose matches. That same wrestler said Russo, Bill Banks, and Disco Inferno are notorious for spending several hours a day checking the internet. Kevin Nash claims that he heard Russo tell Hogan that he didn't have anything scheduled for him at the pay-per-view. According to Nash's story, Hogan told Russo that it's reasons like that I had the creative control clause in my contract. He called Russo a jabroni, and so he was invoking the clause. Nash is also telling friends he thinks what he might saw might have been a legit conversation from which the worksheet will spawn. However, Nash is telling friends that he thinks everyone that happened on camera at the pay-per-view was a work. <laughs> Let's just love it. Let's just love this shit happening like this. Isn't this something? And that's the thing about the two, the, the Russo lit era WCW. It was, it may have been the most internet friendly promotion ever. Kind of. Even though they they were doing shit to piss off the internet. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they were deeply involved in all. And, I mean, you listen to those WCW live shows and everything they did. I mean, they they, they were all about. You know, trying to get over with the internet fans. Yes. I mean, that was their focus. And the newsletter fans, too, but mainly the internet fans. What Which there is a difference at that time, still, in a way. Because yeah. Dave, Dave's internet presence, you know, is not definitely what it is today. Yeah. And Torch, Torch, you know, definitely isn't what they are today, either. It's still mainly print well Tor torch has a fairly big internet presence at this point and they have the web various web exclusive content and stuff but Dave yeah there's that presence as much. yeah all right well let's get into way keller's opinion about this whole thing mm -hmm. this is all way opinion okay you'll like this sunday's vince russell hulk hogan incident was a lot of fun for people like us who are fascinated as much by backstage politics behind the scenes personalities as we are by storylines and matches the majority of the mainstream wrestling fans, though, were confused. Russo continues to talk over the heads of the vast majority in order to fool us and entertain himself. 
okay, there is a chance what happened Sunday was a shoot. There is a chance the story Hulk Hogan put out in the Tampa radio show was true. And the scenario that played out backstage on Sunday was exactly as appeared. A full-fledged argument that led to a covert plan by Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo humiliate Hulk Hogan by giving him what he wanted. A title went over Jeff Jarrett. When Bischoff stormed down the arena right after the in-ring incident, he left because he couldn't look Hogan in the eye. He felt disappointed his relationship with Hogan had come to that, and he needed some time alone to deal with his feelings. Little did Wade know he left with Hogan. Just as there is no such thing as a perfect murder, there's no such thing as a perfect work shoot. Here are 25 lapses in logic or suspicious coincidences that add up to strong evidence that what happened was part of an elaborate plan. Are you ready, Vix? 25 well, steps. All right. Pro- and you know what? Props away for going this deep. All right, number one. After the announcers finished talking about the just-completed Hogan pin on Jarrett, the cameras went backstage to show Vampiro coming out for his match. Just in time, Hulk Hogan, accompanied by his son and his son's friends, walked past Vampiro and right to the camera range. All right, I'm going to get your thoughts on every one of these real quick. I mean, your quick, you know, quick thought. All right. Does that play into an elaborate plan in your mind? Yes. Okay. Two, Hogan put his foot on Jarrett's chest and accepted the pin. It's more likely that Hogan, upon seeing what was being pulled, would have simply stepped out of the ring, said he wasn't going to be part of such an unprofessional charade, and set up Bishop backstage or called Brad Siegel. I mean... If this was a if this was a shoot shoot, why why would Hogan even step on his chest? Hogan would just walk out the ring. Right. You know. Yes. Three. The microphone was turned on when Hogan began to speak. Someone in the back has controlled the mic, and after double crossing Hogan, you think Bischoff would be backstage making sure my, Hogan's mic wasn't on? Absolutely. They, if Hogan was talking, it's part of the work. Four. On Thunder days earlier, before the Hogan controversy reached a boiling point, they put Jarrett and Booker in a remarkably exciting match that built perfectly towards a rematch on a pay per view. Looking back in hindsight, I'd say that was done on purpose, yes, with that thought in mind. Yeah. Five. During his reign against Hogan, Russo didn't mention Hulk Hogan is bald. Yes, Wait a minute, did. what? Yeah, he did. That Hogan is old. That Hogan has failed to draw TV ratings on feature any time in the past few years unless he was, I guess, a hot opponent for the first time in a pay-per-view caliber match. Or that Hogan is nearly crippled from all the wear and tear in his body over the years and can barely move as a result. What? He didn't <laughs> did mention he was bald. He did call him bald. What do you what could happen here, Wade? All right, six. During his rant against Hogan, the only negative thing Russo said about Hogan was something that reasonable people could disagree about, that being the younger wrestler should be pushed instead of Hogan. That The only negative thing? What? <laughs> Hogan doesn't hide from the fact he thinks he is a star worth building around, and the younger stars need to prove themselves before they reach his level. Russo focused on only one subject in his emotional rant against Hogan and didn't stray into that territory that Hogan in the past has asked people to stay away from during promos. Ball spot, age... Diminished draw, diminishing drawing power, poor physical condition. Again. He's called him bald. <laughs> yes. He called him bald. Seven. The announcers hyped their story as a storyline early pay view, but they didn't know that Hogan was going to arrive at the arena. Yeah, Hogan was there all afternoon. Had the blow up been between Russo and Hogan had not taken place, there was nowhere for that storyline to go. Well, that can just be explained by Russo being a terrible writer, but. Eight. Okay. Vampiro's graveyard match was scripted to conclude with Vampiro returning to the ring later for an angle with the Druids. It was a perfect transition into the Russo rant. Yep. Nine. Hogan agreed to be in WCW's world title match that came for Goldberg and Kevin Nash. Had Hogan's match been last, it would have been more difficult to still deliver an actual Jarrett Booker match. Yep. Ten. They needed a reason to keep Booker T in the arena, dressed, and ran to wrestle without letting him in on the plan double cross. They came up with the elaborate story to explain that Hogan was in the second to last match because they were going to do a DQ ending and then punish Jared by making that fight Booker T later. Why not give Hogan a rematch instead of Booker? 
Why should Hogan lose his title opportunity because Scott Steiner interfered on Jarrett's behalf? Eh, that's just bad booking, though. That doesn't really affect the worker shoot thing. No. 11. Since when did Hogan protest in a match finish lead to such a drastic action as trying to humiliate him on live television? Would Bischoff really believe that situation was serious enough to cause him to sever all business ties with Hogan forever? Hmm. 12. To avoid having to address suspicious elements of the situation, they came up with a legal gag order resulting from Hogan's threats to sue. Now Bischoff and Russo can have an excuse not to lie on to the faces of their friends about the situation. They simply can say they can't talk about it. Hmm. I can go both ways. 13. WCW announced on Tuesday that Bischoff was taking time off to give Russo space to do his thing, which plays perfectly into the scenario that Bischoff will be off TV until evading Nitro in September alongside Hogan. Yes, that seems like it's part of the larger work. 14. This all comes less than two months before the WF switches channels, at a time when Bischoff has said he thinks WF is the most vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. 15. Russo legitimately had problems working with Hogan. The situation, if it plays out in September as an invasion angle, allows everyone to save face and keep their jobs. It also satisfies Brad Siegel's desire for a big concept. 16. Bischoff knew Russo was asking Hogan to do the job to Jarrett, and he knew Russo had no plans for Hogan at the pay-per-view, but Bischoff didn't sense that it would lead to major problems if Hogan were presented with that plan that afternoon. Well, who knows? I mean, 17. Remember, were, this is all with hindsight where we know that the bulk of it was horror. But, yeah. yeah. 17. There were two WCW World title belts on the premises. That's a big that should be, <laughs> That's the big one right there, yes. 18. Stevie Ray was in on the booking sheets for night was on the booking sheets for Nitro last week before the in ring celebration for Booker could have been part of the plans. Hmm. Okay. 19. The, the entire scenario fits the landscape changing height that Bischoff has talked about on Thunder in May. Whatever plans he had, probably involving a similar angle involving Fox, fell through, and the situation closely resembles the next best thing. Yeah, because remember the talk they will get a TV show on Fox. For a shadow so. promotion of sorts, yes. Mm-hmm. 20. Russo wants to be Vincent Mann and believes it's good business to emulate WWF. This scenario, including creative control clause, fits the Brett Vince Survivor Series 97 swerve very closely. What do you think? 21. If Hogan really offered a job to exchange for his release, why didn't WCW jump at a chance to load his bloated contract? <laughs> yeah, given everything that's going on, that's fair. Yeah. During his tamper, 22, during his Tampa radio interview, Hogan made clear he wanted to go out to Russo, but didn't because Doug Dillinger's security prevented it. Plus, he didn't want to create a scene in front of his son and his son's friends. In other words, the scenario protected Hogan from seem, seeming weak and a macho. Yeah. 23, the plan from day one when Bischoff and Russo were brought back was to do a Russo-Bischoff feud. The bash set the stage for that. Of course. 24, Hogan, despite threats to WCW, went on a radio show and talked about the situation. Usually lawyers put gag orders on clients not to talk so openly to the media. Yeah, there's that. And 25. And most revealing is that Hogan, during his Tampa radio interview, ripped on Russo, but didn't say anything bad about Bischoff when asked. His excuse for leaving Russo, not Bischoff, was that apparently Russo has more power than Bischoff. If the angle were a shoot, Bischoff had to approve it. Russo wouldn't risk his job and ask Jared to go along without Bischoff and Siegel's approval. Hogan knows that. Hogan will realistically be more upset with Bischoff, a supposed friend, not tipping him off that he would be with Russo, who is a political opponent much of the time he has dealt with him. His avoidance of blaming Bischoff fits in with the eventual Bischoff-Hogan on-air alliance. Yeah? Alright, Wade goes more into the uh, deal here. Does it matter whether people believe it was a worker or a shoot? No. What matters is whether it was made for compelling television. Even more importantly, does it lay the groundwork for a major angle that will attract viewers over the long run? This angle does have that potential. I like the idea of two separate WCW-owned promotions. 
The competition between Russo's crew and Bischoff's crew will be a healthy, motivating factor. If Siegel setting up situations so Russo and Bischoff are judged on not just TV ratings, but also pay-per-view buy rates and profitability, it could lead to a smarter decisions by all parties involved. It also creates a playing field where each competing philosophy will have a fair chance to prove its superior. Russo's Crash TV feature Fresh Faces, or Hogan's more traditional star power booking. Bischoff and Hogan may see the situation as an opportunity to drive Russo out of WCW. Bischoff has let a skepticism of Russo's booking show through over the past couple of months. Hogan is open about his lack of faith in Russo. And Russo, Bischoff, and Hogan may have tried to work everyone on Sunday, but the biggest working probably goes on between them. They might have to pretend each other's best interests in mind, but the real shoot comments probably start as soon as Russo, Bischoff, and Hogan are in separate rooms. Oh, I'd say it started in front of a room of 6,000 people. But they were technically in separate rooms. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, a woman's in a car. Yeah. Alright, I mean, basically, this, this is pretty much the end of this. Yes. In a way, on, on the notes. I mean, basically, everything everything else is going to be mainly focusing on, on other stuff. So, at this point in time, I mean, it's not revealed yet, you know, a lot was going on. So, what are your thoughts? I think it's a total work for the most part, except for Russo's deviations. And then as Hogan becomes aware of those and of the plans not to use him anymore at all, and the reasons, because he should still be getting paid, even if they're not using him, um, that's what leads to everything becoming very real. Well, the thing is, is that where we're at right now, mm -hmm. Hogan has not seen the promo. Okay? Seemingly, yeah. Alright. Um, Bischoff is very real in his, what he's thinking, obviously, for the Nitro book. So, there's that. Hmm. And Russo, Russo's thinking he got over on Hogan now. He won for the moment. So, all right. Well, that's it for that part. Yes. On the of the whole WCW story for our week. Uh, one more loose end to tie from the pay per view. The Vampiro Graveyard match was actually filmed the previous night in Sanford, Florida. It's pretty cool when they have filmed something absolutely horrible with zero production values, and they're in anyway without editing the time down to a bare minimum. Oh, I have a story about that as we go to the Nitro book. Yeah, I was going to say, if I was going to ask if you wanted me to do that or if you wanted to go back, so go ahead. The preparations for another Bash at the Beach match seem to illustrate the creative chaos at play. They want to do a graveyard match, recalls production coordinator Jason Piccolo, and they came up with the idea late on Wednesday. The thing had to shoot on Saturday, the week before the pay-per-view, and they were going to roll it in as if it was live. And it's huge wish list for the shoot. It had to be in the graveyard. It had to be at night. It had to have multiple cameras across the graveyard. They wanted to have helicopter coverage. All this crazy stuff. First of all, from a production standpoint, I have to get everything into place in a shoot. And that is to have to be a graveyard. I must talk to at least 20 graveyards in the Metro Atlanta area. I spent all that Thursday driving around, taking pictures, and looking at different sites. And to this day, I still don't understand why this particular graveyard let us do it. It's in Decatur, Georgia. Decatur, where's greater? A historic graveyard. It's got graves dating back to colonial times before the Civil War. It's on a national, national register of historic places. So don't understand why they let us in there. It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, we find this place. I run all the gear. WCW had all these deep pocket deals with their vendors, all these handshake deals. 
I mean, we had to use this particular generator company. We had to use this particular audio person for everything. You know, they were pe- there were people closer, maybe people cheaper. It didn't matter. They had their people, and they used their people. So we get all these trucks moving, and I hang up the phone on Friday like, this is great. I just did this thing in two and a half days. Personal best, right? Then one of the riders with quotes around riders, because I don't know what those guys really were, <laughs> comes down and is like, cancel it. Cancel it all. Cancel it all. I'm like, you can't cancel it. These truck companies have already charged our card because it has to happen first thing tomorrow. They're rolling to the location to unpack. We're paying them. The writer said, no one called Vampiro to get on a flight from Vancouver, so he can't get here until Sunday. We're just going to do everything next week. I think the whole bill for that sheet was about $75,000 plus 20000 to cancel it. So he means 75000 for the actual suit in Florida, I guess. And then well, I think it's everything on the, the other expenses. WCW, everybody. $95,000. Jesus Christ. This company. All right, Nitro. Um, if, we have any, if we're going to play clips, we'll see. All right, Nitro on July 10th in Jacksonville before 53.57, which is 46.52, paying 87.290. The match squad is much approved from a combination of more of the All Japan style false finishes. No doubt attributable to Johnny Ace. More time allotted to the matches and more clean finishes. Leaving the run-ins and angles until after a finish. Not to mention most of the bad wrestlers. Okay, don't bring up Chronic's match. We're off the show, so they use good athletic guys against each other. The show went with Booker T doing an interview. He said his interview was not from a script. <laughs> he was dressed in rock light open shirt and talked about Goldberg, calling Goldberg and Mark. He brought out <laughs> He brought out his wife, Lavestia. Stevie Ray came out and teased ruining the celebration, but ended up praising his brother. While he was doing this, the fans were chanting boring at him, but they ended up hugging. So here's your Harlem Heat reunion right here. And, and it was very obvious that they were going to try to make Booker into their version of The Rock here with the way he was dressed. Presumably you know? because he's a black guy who does the Aranagi. <sighs> I guess. Or... I mean, mainly the black thing first, and more than anything else. But yeah, I guess I, he already did the Uranagi though before the bookend was his finish. Yeah, Jarrett challenged Booker later to a. Uh, I mean, excuse me. They, I mean, I skipped ahead. Uh, uh, this brought up Madejo Hearn, who's in another long list of women who can't talk. Scott Steiner beat both Booker and Stevie up with really lame bash shots threatening Lavestia. Booker got a nice reaction, but even with the world title, they didn't take to him like a superstar. Jared challenged Booker later for a title match, but Stone Cold Scott Steiner attacked him and knocked over the interview backdrop exactly like a famous Austin promo on Raw. Yeah, that's another thing, too. They're, they're trying to make Booker into the new Rock. They definitely were trying to make Steiner into Stone Cold. Kind of, yeah. There is that. Shane Douglas beat Crowbar in 335 with the reverse stunner. They didn't work well together. But Bagwell came out to a clean house on Shane afterwards. Kim in the interview and Jared shoved him. They brawled. In a hilarious segment, Tank Abbey came out with his shorts and a tux, while Three Cow came out all in tuxes with a supposed gold record. They came to the ring, and Shane Helms was on a ladder, hanging the gold record above the ring. Young Dragons attacked them. Tank KO'd all three with one punch each until the great Muda returned and blew mist. Muda got a shockingly huge pop considering his big United States run was in 1989, although he did make a big impact that year. Do you want to play Muda coming back? I am trying to queue it up, yes. <laughs> I totally forgot it was on this Nitro. <laughs> yes, and he makes all his new friends during this run too. 
Yes. Who all go to all Japan. <laughs> yes. How different is Japanese wrestling if Muda, the, Muda doesn't come to WCW in 2000, huh? He's taking his time. He'll do what he has to do. The young dragons have already See, here he comes, I think. Yeah, you're not kidding. He's waiting on his moment. He picked a spot. Oh, Jimmy Sock. Down he goes. Yang coming in. Oh, two dragons down. Can't no effect that time. international stars ever and he's with the dragons hey they're back <laughs> it was interesting too how the crowd didn't realize it was him until he blew the mist and boy did they pop the muda muda yep so and muda had just been there what 98 so he had been gone very long yeah he had had his nwo japan appearances yes but yeah fun moment there Pamela Paul shock with her uh, Rhoda headpiece. Oh, yeah. to Rhoda look there. <laughs> so she's interviewing Positive Canyon. It's hilarious. Alright, Jeff Jarrett beat Kidman at 434. Dave doesn't mention that promo here. And with the stroke. It should be noted that the match call on this show, Light of Preview, was generally way up because Johnny Ace had a hand in laying out a lot of the finishes. Which meant they did a lot of near falls and all Japan stopped pacing. Tori Wilson was out and gave Kidman a low blow lead to a near fall. Then Scott Steiner beat up Canyon and then said, have a nice day. At least he didn't say he was the game. <laughs> awesome was trying to hit on Nitro Girl Beef. What? A different large woman. When Cat gave Awesome the U.S. title, Awesome refused. Going babyface, said he wanted to earn it in the ring. Well, he would get a WCW title match out of the deal. Booker T. Ben Awesome in a title match at 807 to Yernagi. Lots of good near falls and a really good match. Scott Steiner ran in and put Booker in the recliner after the bout, but Awesome saved Booker and Steiner bailed. So awesome made the turn and they shook hands. Okay. Cat was mad at Oh, you still have more. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let me read this real quick. Cat was mad at Steiner for his antics and confronted them. They called each other stupid bitches. Cat, who has turned total babyface and is no longer playing the incompetent role, a black commissioner with a positive portrayal and a black world champion on the same weekend, right after an AP story about Bobby Walker protesting the Thundercard in Columbus, Georgia. Cat attacked Steiner, turned the tables on him, and was pounding on him until Booker made the save. Canyon then attacked Booker, and then Jeff Jarrett attacked Canyon, and Booker cleaned house on both of them. Cat then set up a three-way with Steiner, Jarrett, and Canyon, with the winner getting a title shot on the August 13th New Blood Rising pay-per-view. Goldberg then came out, so he wanted to be in the match, so it's now a four-way. All right. I just wanted to to understand who Nitro Girl Beef is. Okay. My God! Oh, look at this. Mike Awesome and Nitro Girl Beef! Well, how about... Is that Bertha Bay? Yeah. Of the spectrum. Yeah, listen, baby, listen up. This United States belt belong to you. Yeah, last night... Okay, I guess that's the end of beef. I don't know. I don't that, think that... I'm not sure. It looked like her. Looks similar. Hair and everything. Was, didn't she, was she in WCW when Russo first started? She was there previously, but I don't know if that's her at this point. Very possible. Yes. Anyway, um... Yeah, when was it that the lawsuits got filed? I'm trying to remember. 
Well, we we talked about on the last show about the protest. Yes. In Atlanta. Yes. So, but anyway. All right. Uh, they showed Norman finally training Ralphus. Big Vito beat Norman and Ralphus at 357 when Vito put him to a table. Smiley came back, hit Vito with a chair, and he fell into Ralphus for the pin. Paisley was in a bad mood until she saw Kiwi, his gimmick based on Mango, the Saturday Night Live character, that every woman who sees him falls in love with him. Although he didn't affect him in a character at first, that apparently isn't the long-term plan. No one, Kiwi? What? You want no one the Kiwi clip? No, no, no. Okay. Lenny Lane was back after doing a work angle everywhere that he hated the company and was quitting. At ringside with a large sign that said, Use me. Lance Storm then beat the artist in 350 with a half crab. Storm's gimmick is they played the Canadian National Anthem before the match. Some of the crowd stood at attention and more booed. Some boring chance that a lot near falls for the end. It isn't the same gimmick, but Dave says it's the Storm I don't entertain you gimmick almost encourages boring chance. If you remember WF and Furnace LaFond doing the gimmick where they were so str- so boring to get heat, and what a flop that was in getting them over, then Dave sees the gimmick as too similar. Well, isn't it something that Lance Storm, he's talking about the Lance Storm getting this gimmick here, and then what he would, the gimmick he would get in WWE when he goes there is basically the same type of thing? He would get the boring gimmick, yeah. <laughs> Amazing yeah. how that works, isn't it? Yeah. Grotic. Beat General Erection and uh, Corporal Cajun at 509 when they tried to do the Clark clothesline off the top on Cajun, and Adams pinned him. That was the idea. But what a mess that finisher turned into. <laughs> That's all Dave says. Sounds like a, her- a horrible botch. Ray and Hoovy were ringside on the mic and made fun of the match, saying it was all in slow motion, which is even funnier because they were right. <laughs> Jindrak and O'Hare attacked them in some of the worst-looking brawling ever. Match was bad even before the messed up finish. Stays at Palumbo were involved before it was over. Then Vampiro did an interview and brought Demon, his new partner, out of the casket. Vampiro was saddled with the lamest gimmick in the company. He ordered Demon to attack Asia, which he did until another fake Sting came out with the lights off so he couldn't see closely doing Sting's signature moves to lay Vampiro out. The fans booed the hell out of this because they could see it wasn't the real Sting, which only made it worse for TV viewers. The announcers trying to sell it was the real Sting. Dave doesn't know that it wasn't, but not one fan at home or at the building thought it was, and were booing and made the announcers look bad selling it. All those years, the previous bookers killed the credibility of the announcers, and now the new WCW immediately embarks on one of the biggest mistakes of the old WCW. And yes, this was Chris Harris, I think, too. Again, so not Sting. In the four-way, Jared got the pin to set up Booker T versus Jared on August 13th in Vancouver. That's the main event. Penny Canyon and 531 McGoldberg, Jack Cameron Canyon. But got pulled out of the ring in a pull apart with Steiner. It was never acknowledged it was Steiner who had Goldberg beat Nash the previous night, and Steiner never did an interview to explain why fans were in Goldberg and Steiner. Of course not. Oh, and, and real quick, Dave notes Steve Borden was the guy in Damascus Sting that people didn't believe was Sting at the Jacksonville tapings. <laughs> sting is so good at, at playing the, the fake Sting that people believed it wasn't him. Great. What an act. What an actor he is. Steve Borden, that is. As mentioned on Nitro over the weekend, Bam Bam Bigelow saved two children in a fire and suffered second-degree burns in the process. I remember the story. Yeah, yeah, he was a hero. Yeah, and I... It's hard to find much documentation of it. It seemed like it was legit. 
It was, yeah. it was like remember- a neighbor's barbecue or something, it turned out, right? That people that yeah. caught fire or something somehow? Yeah. 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 Thunder. Thunder was taped on July 11th in Charleston, South Carolina. It drew 5,555 fans, which is 2,106, paying 42,700. In Charleston. For a TV <laughs> taping. Yes. Now, Dave has his notes, and then we'll have a Thunder review. Notes from the show, Sean O'Hare has awesome potential. Wish they weren't exposing him before he was ready. He's the perfect example of why WCW needs an Ohio Valley Light territory to send these guys, send these guys to work four days a week, learn to do promos, and execute angles before they appear on Nitro. There's no telling what Sean O'Hare could have been in this business if he would have been brought up the right way. Just that simple. He might have self-destructed regardless, though. I mean, it's possible, but he was so fucking talented that his size is amazing. After coming back from a break with Judy Bagwell laying on a neck brace from a supposed diamond cutter from Canyon, which wasn't shown, they were asking if she was breathing. That was one lethal diamond cutter. From a wrestling standpoint, this show was pretty bad. Jared Canyon was okay, but again, the wig takes main event intensity away from Canyon's matches. Although, wait, he's not wearing the wig anymore at this point. From looking at yeah, the he was, on he? Nitro, that looked like yeah, after he was. Dyed his Oh, you think that was the wig? Oh, I no. thought it was his, the dyed oh, hair. But... He, that was black hair! <laughs> I think he had some Jared... roots when he dyed it, didn't he? Not on the front of his head. Oh, okay. I have to look back. I wasn't looking that closely. <laughs> there was black hair on the front of his head. Okay. He Jerry Kane was okay, but again, the wig takes minutes intensity away from the matches. There are lots of complaints after the show about the lack of star power. In particular, says Goldberg, Nash, and Scott Steiner were all advertised to appear. The word from above in WCW is that all show advertised from this point forward is to not list either lineups or even names appearing with the belief that it's WCW Nitro and WCW Thunder alone that sells the tickets. And then not by asking any names, the Sunday names or draws, that they're, that, that they're then there because no such thing as no-shows. Again, trendsetters. <laughs> Here's WCW in 2000 with a mentality that Vincent Mann would later adopt in WWE over 10 years later. How about that, Fix? That said, being the first one to do it, Lex Fix house show business by not advertising anyone. <laughs> sure, Brad and Stu had a lot of conversations about that one. Yeah. All right, Torch's uh, review of Thunder. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan just show and said Mike and they have been sidelined due to vocal cord damage sustained at the hands of Scott Steiner. <laughs> oh, boy. We'll have more on that in a second on the show. We might actually have to play this. Uh, Tank Evan three count beat Young Dragons of Great Muda when Courageous Pin Young Yang. Steve Ray came out and joined in on commentary. Yeah. Demon Demon with Vampiro pinned Major Stash in 149 with a love gun. Afterwards, Sting appeared above the big screen and pointed at Vamp. Backstage, Lance Storm and Billy Kidman argued. After they walked away, Canyon gave the Canyon Cutter to a crew member. Oh, is this the Can- thunder where Canyon is giving the Canyon Cutters throughout the whole show? Yes. Canyon continued to give different crew members a cutter throughout the entire show. Mark Jandrak and Sean O'Hare beat Lance Storm, Billy Kidman. Storm played the Canadian National Anthem, during which Kidman goofed up behind his back. After the match, Storm attacked Kidman. Backstage, Vampiro challenged Stane to a match on Nitro. Backstage, Gene Oakland interviewed Big Vito. Meanwhile, David Flair, wearing a suit, and Miss Hancock watched on a monitor. Hancock told David to win her the WCB Hardcore title. Vito beat David Flair with a spinning suplex to a table to retain his title. Backstage, the cat told Jeff Jett he would have to wrestle Canyon for a normal contender spot. Perfect event. Big Corporal Cage and General Action by DQ. 
Booker came to the ring, cut a promo. Rick Steiner walked out, apologized for what his brother did to Booker on Nitro. Rick shook Booker's hand and attacked him. Mike Austin ran out for the save. Backstage, the cat told Kidman he could have a match against Lance Storm if he didn't interfere in Shane Douglas's match. <laughs> right now, Vix is showing Canyon get the diamond cutter to the ring to a worker. And then, <laughs> and then go to the camera and do bang. What a great thing this was. Um, <laughs> cat told Kidman he could have a match against Storm if he didn't interfere in Shane Douglas's match. Shane Douglas and Tori Wilson beat Crowbar and Daphne when Shane hit the franchiser on Crowbar. All right. In a pre-tape segment, Mike Tanay interviewed Scott Steiner. All right, Bix. Let's watch this because this is this is the beginning of the Mike Tanay character that would come come to pass soon on Thunder. Okay. I'm scared. Should should we should we watch the canyon cutter that comes before that? Yes. Yeah, it leads right into it, yeah. Okay. All right. The beautiful North Charleston Coliseum, the site of WCW Thunder here tonight. And our thoughts are with Mike tonight. Wait, wait, look at this, Tony. And let's go to that very intense interview. There's a dude standing by the stairs, Canyon Cutters him. Outside the building. This boy's sick. Steiner, this past Sunday at Bash at the Beach. Whoa, 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 whoa. Man, look at. I thought this would be a nice interview. You got all the things to talk about. I got large songs in the world. I got my favorite freak here. Look how beautiful she is. You want to talk about things in the past. That's done with, man. I did that. It's over. Forget about it. I do want to talk about Bash on the Beach and, and that brutal attack on your so-called friend, that's Kevin right. Nash. That's right, so-called friend. See, that's where you're wrong. I don't have no friends. I don't want no friends. And I just keep it at that. Don't call him my so-called He's not my friend. I don't want no friends. You know, my, the image that I have is of you and Kevin Nash in the ring together. We've seen it for the last couple of months here in World Championship Wrestling. Why, why, Scott? Why would you do that to him? And in the process, you cost Scott Hall his contract. I don't give a damn about Scott Hall. He's not my friend. And what I did to Kevin Nash, it felt right at the time. It felt good. And it made me happy. So I did it. That's all you need to know. You know, in Scott Hall, we're talking about a man here who has a family, a wife and a kids, and now he's unemployed. <laughs> he's unemployed, just like those wrestling fans out there. You think I give a damn about the wrestling fans? I don't give a damn about Scott Hall. Why would I damn about the fans. I don't care about anybody. Get it straight, man. Try to understand me, all right? I'll try. You know, after I don't ev- need anybody. After everything that's gone down here in the past couple of months, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, Big Papa Pump is totally out of control. Scott, Maybe. are you out of control? Maybe. Because I'm not getting what I want to get. You know, look at Booker T. He comes back. The thing that pisses me off, I had to sit in the back and watch Booker T win the world title. He's got eight years wrestling. I don't give a damn. I've been kicking ten years. What do I get? I get what? I'm off at you too. What? Well, that, that, I got Frank. I got a Frankenstein. You call it a Hurricane Rada. Scott, it's a Frankenstein. It's not a Hurricane Rada. That, that was never what meant. Are you from? That was never where meant to from? discredit you. That what, was never meant from, to man? disservice to you. Everybody knows that the Frankenstein. You call it a Hurricane Rada. Why? Why? It was. It was an attempt uh, to get the luchadors over at the time. Who? That's all. The Mexican wrestler. I don't wrestler. give a damn about <laughs> It's the Frankensteiner caught the Frankensteiner. Which, when that, somebody sees it again, and you, you call it Hurricane Rana, I'm coming down, all right? I'm coming down to the desk, all right? Scott, Scott. Don't make that mistake again, all right? You know, Scott, you and I have always had a real yeah, good do, working do, relationship. I don't like the way you started this interview out, man. Of all the things to talk about, you got to bring up the past, man. It's the past, man. I could have been in a good mood until you bring up this bullshit. Let's talk about Goldberg. I don't want to talk about Goldberg. 
I told you, you want to hear about what I have to say about Goldberg? Look at the Iron Man magazine. I'm on the cover. All right? What I said about Goldberg, I said, I'll say a lot. If he wouldn't have been smart enough to get into Michigan, I would have kicked his ass 10 years ago. But since he was too <laughs> stupid and he went to Georgia, things didn't happen. Things will come around. Things have a way of working themselves out, you know? Scott, you brought up the fans earlier. and yeah, You, you hear the what, chance. I, what I say about the fans. I don't give a damn about the fans. Quit bringing them up. It's over with. The, fa- the fans love you. You hear the big Papa Pump chants. You hear them from the fans every week. You know what? You're making it real difficult for the fans to like you. I don't want nobody to like me. I got my freaks nationwide. They make me happy. The fans, I don't care. They can like who they want. Don't like me. I don't need them. All right? I got Medeja, my favorite one. That's all I care about, okay? You know, Scott, Screw it, the fans. It, it's obvious that you have an awful lot of hatred. Maybe, and a lot maybe. of anger. Short fuse, yeah. Well, the, people have pushed me. That hatred and that anger, it's bottled up inside you. And I'm just trying to find out where that comes from. <laughs> Is this something maybe that, that dates back to your childhood? I said, is this something maybe that would no, date what? back to your childhood? You know, the, what you say? My childhood? No, it has nothing to do with me. This is a stupid interview. Poppy, Poppy, please. Medeja, forget about him, you stupid son of a... He ain't asking the right questions. Come on, leave him. Come on, Medeja. (laughs) How long did he even have a hold of his throat? Let's see. Before he starts selling it. Because most of the time he had him by the shirt. Well, I mean, that's good. Because he probably would have choked him. Well, okay, so he's got the shirt. Um, no, he doesn't have a throat. That's good, well, though. He didn't need to check. No, but still, it's funny that he's selling his this major throat injury from someone who never touched his throat. Wow. Thanks. Also, it looks like there was an edit between two different takes there with a fake uh, tape glitch. Yeah. Although that could have been a real tape glitch because this episode of Thunder does have the uh, WWE Network disclaimer about original production technical difficulties. All right. Uh, get ready, Vix, for your next Canyon moment. Oh, boy. All right, Kidman, Kidman beat Lance Storm with a face slam. Backstage, Buff Bagwell spoke briefly with Judy Bagwell before walking outside the building. All right, Vix, here we go. All right, what do we got here? Oh, boy, Bagwell's One late. Person, Buff Betty can always depend on. Judy! That's his mother, Judy Bagwell. Is that his mother? Christopher, how you doing? Is that Kenya's mother? I gotta park the what car. What is he doing? <laughs> I get someone to do that. Come sure? on. See, see the wig, Vicks? What you been doing? Yeah. Come in, I'll show you. No, oh, come on. He's, he can't. <laughs> he just looked oh, yeah. Turns and smiles to the camera. Yes. Just keep it going. Oh, wait a minute. Mom, say something to me. Mother, who did this? That's Judy Bagwell. What? Oh, my God. She's not breathing. She's breathing? Yeah, what, check her, man? What are you doing? Mom. What kind of man is Chris Canyon? Uh, yes, obviously she's not going to take an actual canyon cutter there. On the concrete, no less. No. Uh, obvious, obvious wig mix, right? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> oh my God! Mike Awesome uh, beat Rick Stone with a roll up while Booker was on commentary. Jeff Jarrett beat Canyon with a stroke. Late in the match, Bagwell ran out and beat up Canyon. Short time later, Jarrett scored a pin. Afterwards, Booker and Jarrett exchanged words. Yeah, watch this Thunder, folks, just for all the Canyon stuff alone. Yeah, I, I don't think it had its own chapter mark, but the best one, of course, is the one where it's a huge watch. 
Or maybe it was the outside one. Isn't there also a wide shot of the actual inside of the arena where there's like a speck of canyon that hits a cutter that's not even a knowledge by the announcers? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was one, of the, one, of the, one of the most creative things they did. All right, done on a 13 to a 2.51 rating, 4.3 share. Numbers are fairly consistent with the usual patterns. Pete Pierce are 2.7 and 2.72 for Booker and Steiner, and for Douglas and Wilson and Daphne Crowbar match. Of course, we'll have Nitro ratings later in the Raw segment. So. 2.51 to 4.3 share, that's still pretty good. At 2,000, I guess. Yeah. All right, back to the torch. Russo's now going to hold creative staff meetings every other Friday at WCB headquarters and be in office every Tuesday. He has conceded he needs to be more visible to corporate structure and be more of a leader and less of a loner in writing TVs. Wednesdays will be set aside for the bookie meetings with the core creative team. Well, I guess he was trying. Mike Tanay's role is apparently to play a Jim Gray light role of someone who does sit down interviews, confronts the wrestlers, and they storm off on him, similar to the much publicized Gray interview of Pete Rose. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he does. The best one is yet to come. Yes. Stacey Keyboard, which we've covered in the past. Yes. Kevin Nash hasn't been shy about telling everyone he's getting ready in about 15 months to go back to the WF4 and last run as Big Daddy Cool, get in shape for the final main event runs with Austin and Rock and whoever else, and retire for a job on the booking committee. While Dave's always believed that when push came to shove, McMahon would take Nash back. A few months ago when Nash came calling, saying he wanted WCW and tried to get a release, McMahon gave him a low ball figure and told him it would be best for him to stay put because he couldn't match the $1.6 million that Nash was getting in WCW. Which is a nice way of saying we don't have a spot for you. After pulling, uh, pulling some in the front office, all of whom were very negative about the prospects of bringing him into the, what W officials called the best locker room environment the company ever had. Nash may also be saying this to get an early jump on a renewal, and a few more years at the same rate, even though he's old, does nothing in the ring, and has a drawn or in range for a long time, but may feel that if he can get over in the WF, will push it big. WCW would spend bid to keep him. Jim Ross actually on WF website wrote about older injury-prone guys using WF as leverage that the WF has no interest in. One could take that at face value, which is actually how Dave would take it. Dave gets one could also take it that WF wants someone, they publicly say they don't. It drives everybody to WCW down, so they make them a lower offer. They're about making it easier for WF to sign them. But still, Dave doesn't see WF having any reason to want Kevin Nash, Lex Luger, or Hulk Hogan at this point. Because there are more long-run downsides to and potential upsides. Even if there may be short-term money in all of them, as surely as with Hogan, they would be messing with a successful formula at a time the formula is still working. And the tour says key source in WF said there's more of a welcome map for Hulk Hogan in WF than Kevin Nash. Some of Nash's supposed friends in WF may not want him in the WF locker room, disrupting the chemistry with his manipulative juvenile ways. Think about that, how... Hulk Hogan would be more welcome than Kevin Nash in the locker room. That's oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what I make of that. <laughs> well. It's a, it sounds like Triple H may not, want, uh, may not want him around at that time. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know what to think about that well, I mean, that's it, the obvious way to read that. Yeah. So, now let's move on to uh, drama. It is doubt. This is torture. It is doubtful that Brad Siegel allow Scott Hall to return due to an incident that occurred between Hall and Siegel's niece Emily Sherman. Sherman's fish title with WCW's vice president of international coordination has been reported in past issues. Hall and Sherman had an on again, off again relationship while he was separated from his wife Dana. 
Friends stayed at during the last WCW Germany tour. Hall and Sherman went out for a private dinner, and Sherman later told friends she confronted Hall about regard, regarding his drinking problem. According to the story, when confronted, Hall stood up and threw his plate of food on her, slapped her, and stormed out of the restaurant. One source recalled seeing Sherman crying at the hotel bar following the incident. The next day, Hall wasn't allowed to board an airplane due to his behavior at the airport and ended up missing Nitro as a result. Upon returning to Atlanta, Sherman met with Siegel and told him what had happened. Sources say because of the incident, Siegel may never allow Hall to return. Hall said to have a contract similar to Lex Luger's and that it would cost WCW more money to release him than it does to pay him to sit at home. There are others in WCW who believe Hall will be part of the September angle involving Bischoff, Hogan, and Nash. Oh, he's done. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Yeah, he's done. Um, famously released right after the WWF lawsuit is settled, right? Mm-hmm. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, October 2000. So basically, right when the lawsuit was settled. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking. I mean, he has a zero termination cycle contract. So that must mean he's fired for cause, right? Well, this will be the cause. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, okay, let me look at the actual memo from October 31st. Uh, does it actually say? It, just, no, it says we terminated three contracts. Oh, okay. So this is all throughout all of October. We terminated three contracts. Scott Hall, Anibal Gonzalez, Hoovy, and Bret Hart. Oh, guess whose contract they also added in October 2000? Uh, that would be Lenita Erickson at a cost of $125,000 a year plus $500 <laughs> per event. Oh, yeah. Plus the uh, developmental deals for Scott Oberholzer. Who's that? Is that? That's uh, Scott Saber. Okay, yes, and Chris Harris. At seven fifty a week plus three hundred per event. Sources believe Eric Bischoff's planning rumors he has struck a deal with Fox. Many believe he's spreading the rumor to make people believe the pay per view would incident with Vince Russo and Hulk Hogan was a shoot. Sounds about right. Yeah. Conan underwent surgery in Birmingham with Dr. James Andrews on July sixth for a torn left tricep. He won't be cleared to wrestle until October. Okay then. Rick Flair had six, two and a half hour surgery for his torn rotator cuff on July seventh, where they put staples in the rotator cuff. He can't do any lifting for two for three months. The original idea was for him to come back at Fall Brawl, but the angle has already been destroyed since Russo is taking himself off TV, which means Flair was screwed again. The angle he waited 25 years to do, getting his head shaved. And wouldn't you know it, once again, there is no comeback. The odds were against him making it back all time anyway, and now he's hoping for Halloween Havoc. That is the thing that we never really talk about. Ric Flair got his head shaved. And there was no nothing else from it. Nothing. Bro. Think about that. Think about that. Yep. Bret Hart showed a word in a few weeks about getting a battery or test done officially as to what if he had any kind of in-ring wrestling future. It's believed Bret suffered multiple concussions within a short time period. Yeah, I'd say so. Yes, and one thing that's worth mentioning since doesn't get brought up a lot. He doesn't outright say it, but going by Bret's book it seems clear that he at least thinks that Goldberg actually concussed him three times in the Starcade match. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And now, oh, I, I can hear the fireworks on the adjacent buildings getting closer and louder. I'm not sure if you can hear that. I can't hear anything. Oh, good. Okay. Because it was very loud last year. I'm guessing it's a lot louder on my roof right now. But anyway. WCW is planning on taping the Nitro in London in November. <laughs> good luck with that. WCW Radio is plummeted in the UK, down to about 80,000 viewers for both Thunder and Nitro. Only 
fourth of what Nitro was drawn in 1999. Partially because of WWE product on apart, but even more because its availability has dropped with the restructuring of the Turner European package. And you want to hold Nitro in London with that shit rating? Come on. A lot of internal panic among office employees increased when Robin Shaw, who is the daughter of Bill Shaw, who formerly ran WCW, and is a longtime bigwig at Turner, transferred out of WCW to another Turner company. Hmm. Well, that's what they do, Bix. They don't get rid of anybody. They just transfer them. Right. And they do another European tour. I mean, another British tour. They don't tape Nitro. Yes, they do. They tape Nitro in England? November 10th. For oh, the well, shit. November that... uh, 13th show. Holy shit. How about that? I totally forgot that. There yes, you go. And they taped Thunder on the 12th for the 15th. Wow. How about Which that? Which was, I believe, the, yeah, the second set of British tape. Well, no, they didn't do tapings on the first tour that year, the March tour. But they're doing good business there. And then when was Australia? It's not long. Okay, that's October. Huh, how about that? Yes, although that, that was the deal where they ended up losing money when they shouldn't have because the deal was written in a way where they had to pay the uh, local promoters for every unsold ticket, but no one thought to uh, make it clear that production kills would not be counted in that figure. <laughs> so they lost money because they had to pay them for the production kills. Of course. WC everybody. everybody. Yes. Alright, WC management assumes Buff Bagwell plans to jump to WF when his deal expires, but his less than stellar reputation WCW could cause him problems if he ever wants to jump to the WF. His attitude and inflated self-perception is considered a liability. He interviewed Vince McMahon earlier this year while deciding whether to renew with WCW or not. Well, we all know what will happen here. Yeah. Pretty much. It was, it was announced on Power Pro Wrestling that Ali, real name Steve Sharp, had signed with WCW. Kid Romeo, coming off a successful tour of Japan, the Super Juniors Tournament, was released by WCW. Romeo was released for unprofessional conduct and unreliability in that he was booked on spot shows and he no-showed. They have spot shows? Well, he and he well he would get brought back, so... Yes, he was that. brought back uh, in the early 2000s. I mean, 2001, yes. Yeah. Back to the torch. Nitro producer Craig Leathers met with Brad Siegel a while back and asked to be pulled from the road so he could spend more time with his family. The next day, Siegel informed Leather's assistant, Annette Yothers, that she was being Yelder. pulled from the road. Whatever fucking matters. So she was being pulled from the road also. Sources say that Yother, it says Yothers, Bix, is furious and plans to meet with Siegel when he, she, he returns to the office. She's telling friends that if Siegel doesn't give in to whatever she's asking, she has plenty of juicy things to tell Time Warner's human resources department. <laughs> Well, that's interesting to read right there on the Pro Wrestling Torch, isn't it? <laughs> she is telling friends that if Brad Siegel does not give in to whatever she is asking, she has plenty of juicy things to tell Time Warner's Human Resources Department. Does that mean about him or in general? Who knows, but this is interesting to read in, and coming up next. Terry Taylor's been pulled from announcing the Saturday morning show on TBS because of his added duties. So there's Visco's been doing the show with usually Scott Hudson or sometimes Mike Tanay. The show's going to be relaunched with a new name, WCW Blast Off, with Chad Damiani and Spice as the host, although no date has been given to it. That was the same name of a short-lived WCW show in the early 90s on WGN in Chicago. No, it was the name of a short-lived WWF show in the mid to late 90s <laughs> on WGN in Chicago. Annette Yoda may have had some things on Terry Taylor. Who knows? But how about that, huh? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh -huh. 
Back to the torch. They were talking to using Stevie Ray as an announcer ended quickly. Apparently, the idea was suggested by Disco Inferno. He gave them the idea after they laughed at him as soon as he presented them with the idea. Not so fast. Nope. Suckers got to know. Yep. One source defended the author criticized WCW announcers by saying it's hard to do that job when they aren't told what's going to happen. The source said he would like to hear what WCW announcers sound like if they were prepared as well as WF's announcers. Okay. JR always says he does not like to be smartened up to angles within reason because he wants to react naturally. So are we to think this means that or that it's more about um, just having a proper format? Probably the proper format. Okay. Vampiro is trying to work himself to a program The Great Muda, which is smart because it's a hot program in the United States would make him viable in New Japan if he ever wants to leave WCW. He may also have to change his makeup pattern because of legal action by the Misfits, the rock band that worked WCW as opposed to the current group in WCW. Yeah, it never came out how he had his uh, friendship with the Misfits split up, is it? It did it, right? No, it's not. No. Clearly something happened, though. And Vampiro worked us up to a program of Great Muda, but as his tag partner. Dark the prevailing talk in the yeah. yep. The prevailing talk in the company right now is they need to make a big push for September. Feeling the ratings will increase big when Raw moves TNN, and fans who traditionally turn to USA and see a movie will then watch TNT. Of course, fans are going to realize soon enough what station WCW is on, and CBS has spent to spend eight million dollars on an ad campaign to push the switch, and WF will push a hard on SmackDown as well. This yeah. goes to the theory about the September stuff. Mm-hmm. It appears the philosophy of teaching actors to be wrestlers is really being considered by more than just Russo as a new method of attempting to turn things around. Again, WCW setting the trends. <laughs> that WWE would copy it 22 years later. Well, and also JD. <laughs> yeah. They had the actresses act, 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 or whatever. And there's fireworks going off around me. So there we go. Okay. All right. There was a large hand in Australia paper on July 8th for the WCW Down Under tour with a photo of Goldberg on the ad calling him the current world champion. Goldberg has held the title since losing in the Starcade 1998. The original plans, but those were scrapped when Russo and Bischoff took back over in April, asked for Goldberg to win the title at this past weekend's Bash to the Beach pay-per-view. Dave thinks this is more of a lack of communications from WCW's publicity people than a foreshadowing that Goldberg would be holding the title imminently and on that October tour. Well, it was the original plans. Plans change, but it's been three months. Yes. Debbie's everybody. And let's close by going back to the Nitro book. Oh, boy. <clears throat> On Monday, July the 10th, the boards of AOL and Time Warner joined in Atlanta for their inaugural meeting. Already the differences in culture, relative these organizations were showing to themselves to be a concern. Whereas Time Warner, led by Jerry Levin, tended to stick carefully to an agenda, considered thoughtfully upon a three-course lunch, ALS meetings bordered on anarchy. Speakers drifted in and out of discussion frequently, stopping intermittently to chomp on Pringles before launching non-sequiturs with abandon. It went on endlessly, Levin, Levin, Levin later observed on the first joint meeting, but evidently losing his enthusiasm. It was like a fraternity party with people shouting, not what I was used to. The times, they are changing. Ah, yes, the worst merger in the history of corporate America. But the one thing that never changes and holds true, even to this day, as we close this segment out, WCW, everybody. Yep. Well, finally, let's go to something else. (laughs) To that marathon. 
And we'll go to the land of the rising sun and all Japan pro wrestling to start. And this is a new beginning for all Japan pro wrestling. It appears they are setting up an impromptu angle with new Japan since on July the 9th at the Cork and Hall show, Masafuchi talked about a meeting with the meeting with new Japan saying negotiations broke down. The idea is that all Japan wants to shut Kawada booked evenly with the top guys in new Japan, i.e. trading wins. As opposed to New Japan just promoting shows that will draw huge gates and guzzling up because they're the stronger group. Also, said in the angle, they announced that Shiro Koshinaka will wrestle for All Japan on July 11th, but the story is Koshinaka's doing it on his own and not with New Japan's blessing. Well, I mean, Kawada is booked evenly with the top guys in New Japan. But, I mean, it's New Japan promoting shows that drew huge gates. And they never put the belt on him. Never put the belt on him, but I mean, the one thing All Japan got out of the whole th- you know, promotional deal is they got Muto mm-hmm. and Kojima. Yeah. So, I mean, they got two of the top New Japan guys in the end. Yeah. Now, so they won in that regard, I guess. With hindsight, though, they absolutely should have put just put the belt on Kawada when he beat Sasaki, right? That should have just been a title match. Like, I don't get the point of vacating the Japanese title. Re- Japanese wrestling politics, Bix. I mean, he get he gets the win back anyway at the next Dome show. Japanese for the title. <laughs> I know, but it's Japanese wrestling politics. We'll have a big discussion on that on next week's show too, by the way, the, the Japanese wrestling politics and how it came in, in, into play in a major way on the uh, Noah Tokyo Dome show. Yes. But, and, uh, oh, and we should know, too, that it doesn't happen right away, but Koshinaka ends up in the storyline uh, moving to the All Japan side. In a way. <laughs> because, I mean, he, he's, you know, back working all the New Japan shows in 2001, for sure. Right. So he may have went over there for a little bit. Yes. But not he, not long. He's in the Triple Crown title tournament. He's considered an All Japan wrestler, at least during the feud proper. With the idea being yeah. he's going back to where he trained originally. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave saw, I guess, the Kawada-Fuchi match on July 1st. and said, you wouldn't believe how badly Kawada destroyed Fuchi's chest in their debut show. From the photos, Fuchi's upper chest was beaten totally raw from the kicks and the chops. He looked worse than Flair in the mid-80s when he was working every night with Ronnie Garvin. Yeah. Yeah, Kawada was uh, lighting him up. You could, you could tell Kawada was, uh, I guess, taking out some frustrations on Fuchi, who was more than willing to, you know, fire off his own and, you know, go toe-to-toe with him. Yeah, and I remember when those photos showed up, I guess, the next day on, would have been, what, Tokyo Sports Online? Well, I mean, there's different websites back then. Um, but that would have been the main source. That would have been the source of the actual photos that would have gone online first, right? Uh, no. Tokyo Sports did. Re- there, I mean, they were a magazine, so they wouldn't come out till like a, during the week. I mean, you had Nikon Sports. Well, I thought every, they were the same company. Day. That's what I'm talking. That's why I said that. They're no, not no. the same company. Oh, okay. Nikon Sports would come out every day with stuff. Okay. Oh God! Now you're making me trying to remember everything. All right. So <laughs> Sports Navi wasn't around yet. 
Uh, Nikon Sports was it was every day. Oh God, there was another one, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. That was every day. That was a website. I can't remember now, but uh, if I have my old computer, I could tell you. But um, yeah, there were a few, and then you had your fan sites that would go to the shows, like Photo Battle and uh, Violence Party and places like that. But, um, yeah, Tokyo, Tokyo sports was, uh, I mean, that was just like a weekly thing with the magazines. If I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, it's been a minute since I did all the Japanese stuff. So, was, you know, I know there's one that they, they didn't have a presence like everything else. Yes. But yeah, his chest was beat right after that match. Oh yeah. I mean, it helps that he is the palest wrestler on the roster too, even before the split. Yeah, and nobody benefited from the split more than he did. He went through a career renaissance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, on the other side, I would say Kikuchi, you know, his old opponent also benefited a lot. Yeah. Because, you know, we talked about it a little bit before. I don't know what the perception was in Japan. I'm guessing it was at least similar because of how he had been moved down to the old man comedy matches for the most part. The Western, you know, Japanese wrestling fans' view of Kikuchi was basically he was too beat up and brain damaged to be a serious wrestler ever again. And, and, that, and that was part of it, but also part of it too was, I mean, he was Fuchi a decade later because Fuchi was put in that spot a decade earlier. I mean, in Japan, Fuchi. Be- I mean, Fuchi became more known as being Russia Kamura's foil. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Kikuchi gets in that whole mix himself. A, you know, a decade later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all right. So let's look at what all Japan looked like here post split. January, uh, July 9th, two thousand at Corken Hall for our twenty one hundred fans. We have Tuko Scorpio beating Shinobi in your opening match. Jinsei Shinzaki over Yuto Ajima. Johnny Smith and Yuki Shikawa over Masafuchi and Shigeo Okamura in 20 minutes. Mike Barton and Kamala Two over Dr. Steve Williams and Wolf Hawkfield, Jungle Jim Steele. And then your main event, Toshio Kawada, Monaki Mossman over Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Muhammad Yone. So the last three matches went 2046, 1926, and 2053. So a five match show. You're looking at four, six, eight, ten, twelve, sixteen wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, Shinobi was Kageki? Shinobi was just an indie guy. I don't think he okay. really say, say he really had a true home. And what about Ayajima and Okamura? At this point in time, um, there were indie guys, too, that would become all Japan guys. Okay. So basically, and no, this is a not this is an Al Snow a Shinobi, folks. No. no, this is the Japanese indie wrestler all cap Shinobi. Yes, I mean Shinobi worked a lot for IWA Japan. Yeah, so I guess you could I guess you could link him more there than anywhere else in a way. Right. So basically, what we have here is the foreigners: Kawada, Fuchi, 
battle arts guys and just other indie wrestlers that were oh, friendly sh- with all japan i forgot that uh he vamos was shinobi's promotion that's right i totally forgot about that indie scum promotion yeah as soon as he said it i was like yes that was it been over 20 years so i had to look that up and the research that one because i knew he had something but uh yeah vamos but yeah he was trained in mexico by uh the spectro crew so uh Chiriaki Yamamoto, real name. All right, uh, the shows of the past week were drawn what would be considered so-so crowds, which under circumstances, everyone given the small crew when most of the stars having left were taking as a good sign. The biggest show of the week was July 11th at Osaka Fritsu Gym, which drew 2,600 for the main event of Mossman and Kawada over Shinzaki and Yuki Shikawa subbing for the injured Alexander Otsuka. The attendance was even admitted by Kawada as being poor. Well, yes, this is a soccer professional gym, and they drew 2,600 fans. Not good. Uh, Kawana said they wouldn't have titles for some time because Masao left everyone that left for everyone that held the belts. All right, the results of this show, Shigeo Kamura over Ryuji Takada in your opener. Johnny Smith over Yuto Ajima. Mike Barton and Wolf Hotfield over Kamala 2 and Scorpio. Dr. Defo Muhammad Yone. Masafuchi and Yoshiaki Fujiwara went to a 30-minute draw. And a Kawada Mossman over Shinzaki in Chicago in 25-15. So, yeah, Battle Arts is really helping them out, too, in a major way. So, at least they're getting that. And Battle Arts at that time was one of the hottest indies in, in the country. So at least they're getting help from them. And then Yone goes to Noah. Yone goes to Noah, yeah. Well, help is more helps on the way, as Motoko Baba also announced that Sushio Nita would be returning to All Japan after his 16-year hiatus later this year. Yep, and he did. Yep. So uh, all the guys, uh, Koshinaka, Onita, coming back. Yep, and we should know too. We'll probably talk about this a little more later. That We're, our week ends right before the contractual obligations that the NOAA guys had to make. Yes, they had to work four shows on this tour as part of a contract deal. And they were all non-televised shows. So yeah, they go into the next week, 13, 15, 17, and 20, if I'm not mistaken. and um, All undercard all trios NOAA, matches, basically. Yeah, all undercard trios matches, basically, and all were the opening matches on the show. And they all got... They all came on the Noah bus, they did their matches, they stayed in the locker room, and they left. And the only guy that went in there was Fuji from All Japan to, you know, I guess, be cordial and talk to him and this, that, and the other. Yes, and then Tenru... So, so that'd be weird. So Tenru had actually made his return appearance on the second, but he doesn't wrestle until the tag with Kawada against... Um, Mossman and Hansen, which is the end of the tour, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so he's not he's not back back yet, no. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, All Japan uh, about to go through quite the uh, interesting ride here as uh, we go in, in 2000, going to 2001. 
And yeah, that was July uh, 23rd, which I think is the last night of the tour. Yeah, New Japan. Sorry. Yeah, of course it is. Go ahead. Yes. New Japan Pro Wrestling. The biggest show the past week was on July 9th in Hirosaki, which is Kinoka Shin's hometown. He had one of his friends promote the show and drew a sell of 4,500. Yes, this is a thing, folks, that you may not know in Japanese wrestling. The wrestlers were spot show promoters on a lot, a lot, a lot of the time. I know Yuji Nagata did spot show promoting. Manabu Nakanishi did spot show promoting. The wrestlers were, especially in New Japan, were very active as spot show promoters in their home regions. And uh, this was a TV taping as well. They brought in Great Sasuke and Grand Hamada from Michinoku Pro. They faced Kashin and Liger and put them in the semi-main event with Kashin using the armbar submission to make Sasuke tap out. Kazuki Fujita was at the show, so he'd be representing New Japan at the Pride show at the Seibu Dome and said he was looking forward to Tokamichi Isazawa, Kashin's real name, doing the same at the show where fans were chanting Isazawa. Well, this is at Amori Budokan on uh, July 9th from the 4500. Opening match, Wataru Inoue over Hiroshi Tanahashi. Koji Kanemoto, Shinjiro Otani, and Tatsuito Takeiwa over El Samurai, Negro Casas, and Shinya Makabe. Brian Johnston and Robbie Rage over Takashi Azuka and Dan Devine. A lot of meat in that match. Satoshi Kojima over Tadao Yasuda. Yuji Nagata over Osama Nishimura. Liger and Kashin over Sasuke and Hamada. And then T2000, Masahiro Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Tatsuto Goto over Kensuke Sasaki, Manabu Nakanishi, and Yuji Nagata. Now, another show was uh, July 11th in Iwate, a perfectual gym in front of 3100. Where opening match, and boy, this would be a match that would be interesting to watch in 2022. Hiroshi Tanahashi over Negro Casas. Then you have Shinya Makabe over Wataru Inoue. Osama Nishimura over Dan Devine. Brian Johnston and Yutaka Yoshie over Tadao Yasuda and Robbie Rage. That's a match. Liger, Samurai, and Kashin over Kanemoto, Otani, and Takeiwa. I'm sure that was great. Satoshi Kojima and Tatsushi Goto over Shoko Shinaka, Tagashi Azuka. And Kensuke Sasaki, Manama Nakanishi, and Yuji Nagata over Masahiro Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, and making one of his random appearances, Akira, in the main event. Bix, did you know that? Did you know that the wrestlers uh, were spot show promoters? In Japan, in general, yeah. I think and we've talked about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that went deep into the 2000s. I mean, I don't know if it still goes on today. I know we're deep into the 2000s that they were that wrestlers were able to do that in their home areas. And you know what? It's not a bad idea. You know, I mean, American promotions would do that from time to time. Give give a wrestler t- a town to run. Yeah. You know. See how they do. Give some experience in promoting. Definitely not the not the worst thing in the world to do. So. uh yeah, interesting time period here in New Japan, as two two thousand is really starting to catch steam, and uh, we got the Choshu All Stars running the he- the heavyweight division. So, uh, mm. yeah, getting in G one season. Yeah, and they're developing their new foreign talent too. You know, such such as Robbie Rage, from the WWE Tag Team High Voltage, and Dan Devine, a power plant trainee on the current tour. High Voltage improved greatly in Japan a few years ago when they were used as low-car regulars. Oh, absolutely, they improved their career. 
they were a whole lot better when they came at WCW after working, you know, New Japan. Because the guys were they were athletic, they they had they had potential, and it took them going to Japan to, you know, get that extra seasoning. What a novel concept! <laughs> what a novel concept! Uh, it's too bad though that they didn't do this more because. Yes, did High Voltage and Dan Fakur have more upside than most of the power plant guys of that era? Yes. But it still shows there was a lot of untapped potential there in what they could have done in seasoning guys over there. Well, I mean, I mean, we just talked about Sean O'Hare. Send Sean O'Hare over there for a tour. And let him work over there. Mm-hmm. Let him work those guys. It definitely can't, I mean, hurt him. No. You know? So, anyway. All right, we talked about Noah guys a while ago. Let's go to Pro Wrestling Noah. Weekly Fight Magazine reported that the financial backer of this promotion is not the Gulliver Corporation, a used car sales company, but a different car company. I don't remember who that was. Me neither. <laughs> Gulliver. Uh, they held a press conference on July 10th, announcing a third show on August 19th at Differ Ariaki. They've also announced running three Osaka area shows in September before starting full-time touring in October. The plan for 2001 is to run 120 house shows, including two shows at the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> Good luck with that. And also run Yokohama Arena as well as Budokan Hall. It's going to be a minute before they run the Tokyo Dome. So, what they had high hopes. And you know what? If Kabashi isn't hurt, maybe they do. Maybe they do run a Tokyo Dome. Mm. It's possible. Because the August 5th debut show will sell out the small Differiaki building easily, they will be broadcasting shows to the parking lot like a drive-in movie type deal for a thousand cars, spending 50 grand to set the screen for the show. Hmm. Uh, that's, an, that's another novel concept. Which I'm surprised somebody over here hasn't tried to do. You mm-hmm. know? Do we think they like, had I mean, the uh, the commentary going out over FM signals? Probably not. Where they had the like the little thing in their car they could listen? Yeah. Well, I don't think they were they even doing live commentary anyway. On that uh, show, I don't know. Uh, All Japan, uh, Japan originally had that date, but canceled the show. Masao was officially announced as the company president. Uh, this is at the press conference during our week. Mitsuo Momoda, Yoshio Momoda, was uh, announced as the vice president. Akira Tawe, Katakabashi, and Yoshihiro Momoda as managers. That's Mitsuo's brother, Rikito Zen's other son. That did wrestle for many years, but retired in the early 80s. And Haruka Egan as business manager. Ryu Nakata, former Ultimate Ring announcer in charge of arena bookings. Yeah, Ruka Hagen had that gimmick, you know, where he spit in the crowd. But, I mean, he was a guy who was a very valuable front office employee in all Japan and in NOAA. Yes, and Ryu Nakata gets more power as uh, uh, yes, time sure does. goes on. Um, he sure does. What was I going to say here, though? Oh, and of course, interesting in light of All Japan having had a different Ariaki date book, 
This is where the NOAA offices end up being located. Mm-hmm. Home base for NOAA, basically. Yes. Kanakabashi City will be back for the August 5th debut of the promotion after getting double knee surgery on June 22nd. The idea they are building is Kobashi versus Junakayama for the company's first main event to have a blowaway kickoff. Kobashi's doctor told him, no way can he wrestle on that quickly. <laughs> Just you wait and see. They haven't announced the lineup because Masawa doesn't want to advertise a main event that isn't certain won't fall apart. Yeah. Hmm. But Kobashi wrestling after that double knee surgery is really what puts him in a bad shape. It caused him to miss a lot of time after that, over a full year. So, may I should listen to that doctor? You know? Hmm. If I remember right, the first night is a two out of three falls tag match, and then Kabashi Akiyama is the second night. Yeah. All right. Now let's go to AAA Japan. After the first trip Mania at Cork and Hall on July the 5th, the AAA tour from Japan was not a success. The July 7th show in Nagoya, for example, drew only 459 fans for a show billed as another one of the Trip Mania series. Um, here's some results from some other shows that happened that they that they didn't talk about here. Yokohama on the 6th. We had Soshiyamada and Ayakahamada over Chaparita Sari Nesta Moreno, Hector Garza, or as Vince Russo would say, Hector Gaza, Pathfinder, and Oscar Sevilla over Picudo, Espiritu, and Charlie Munson. Granamata, Minoru Fujita, and Pedro Aguayo Jr. over Secosis AAA, Manaco, and Hysteria. Alibrije, Heavy Metal, and Otoconcito over Abismo Negro, Electro Shock, and Mini Abismo Negro. Oriental and Tagamas 4 over Sumo Dandy Fuji and Kick Boxer. And then we had a dog collar match with Latin Lover over Supernetico. Bull Terrier match in uh, Mexico. Yes. And then we have Octagon and Great Sasuke over Sasuke the Great and Pentagon. Well, if you're working with Mishinoku Pro, that's a match you have to book. <laughs> Classic. I so forgot about that one. Orihara and Pentagon against Sasuke and Octagon. Now, on July the 9th in Osaka, Abismo Negro and Electro Short won the Mexican national tag titles from Heta Garza and Pedro Aguayo Jr. The rest of that show, we have uh, Pentagon Pentagon Black, Soshiamara and Mini Abismo Negro over Oriental, Estomoreno, and Otoconcito. Oh, so we have uh, the married couples and their mini friends. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. It's a family affair. Uh, Oscar Sevilla, Genki Horiguchi, and Pathfinder over M2K. Mozuki, Masaki Mozuki, and Yasushi Kanda by disqualification. Then we have the tag title change. Heavy Metal over Kick Boxer. Crazy Max, Shima, Sua, and Sumo Dandy Fuji over Charlie Munson, Espiritu, and Pakudo. And then we had a Lumberjack match where Supernetico team with Minyako, Sakosis AAA, Hysteria, Los Vipers over Octagon, Takamas 4, Latin Lover, and Alebrije. Don't you miss AAA and Mishinoku Pro and Torimon and RC and all being one big happy family? Well, I just miss shows like this because it's always fun. Yes. See my log going to Japan with their crew. and I mean, I just miss stuff like that. Yes. Yes, it was fun. But I miss Japanese independent wrestling promotions and all that stuff where all these different things are going on. 
We don't yes. have that. Speaking of which, okay, you have this listed as Masao or higher promotions. Isn't this Mobius? Um, this was actually listed as a Michinoku Pro show on the wrestling result website, but Dave has a list as Masao or promotions. So I'm guessing Mobius. Okay. And it is a one night trios tournament. For but if if it's but I don't think it's Apex of Triangle. No, because... there's no titles. There's nothing, yeah. Apex of Triangle is... I forget if it's before or after, but a, I remember Apex of Triangle had the baby faces winning the tournament, so this can't be that show. Yeah, this is not a... Uh, a I just say tournament that was held. Yeah. All right, so it's a trios tournament. So we had Great Sasuke, Taika Mask 4, and Great Sasuke, Taika Power Type over Onro Shinigami and Shigeo Kato. And I believe Sasuke Tiga is Yuki Ishikawa, right? Yes, yes. Sasuke the Great, Mass Tiger 2, and Naniwa over Muhammad Yone, Ikoto Hidaka, and Juju.com. Then we have Crazy Max, Sumodeni Fuji, Shima, and Sua over Sentro Takagi, Exciting Yoshida, and Showa. Then Sasuke, Tiger Mass 4, Sasuke Tiga Power Type over Sasuke the Great, Tiger 2, and Naniwa. Subo Genjin over Stalker Chikawa and your comedy extravaganza. I'm sure that was a hoot. Oh, wait, the baby faces do go over. I think this is Apex of Triangle, then. Well, there's not listed as, as that. And it's Sasuke Tarmask and Sasuke Tika Power Type over Fuji, Shima, and Suwa. Okay, there's a reason I'm looking. If I Google Mobius Apex of Triangle... Uh, okay, there's one on Cage Match. Okay, that was in April, according to this... And okay, that 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 was that. Okay, this sounds right. So yes, three months. Oh no, excuse me, that's April two thousand one. So yeah, that one has a finals of Great Sasuke, Tiger Mask, and Grand Hamada over Kaka Orihara. And it says Kaka Orihara and Ono, but I'm pretty sure it was Sasuke the Great and Masked Tiger because I don't think I don't think they were unmasked there. So I'm a little confused, but. That, that's the one – either way, the one I'm thinking of is the one where the babyfaces win and then uh, Sasuke the Great reveals that the uh, prize money that I guess they said was 100 million yen or whatever was actually 100 million Sasuke the Great dollars. <laughs> yes. With his picture on it. Yes. Wonderful. Don't you miss that? The well, yeah, well, Kano was still in his gimmick. All right, this is international, so let's go to uh, Mexico here because we don't have enough for our own section. All right, Triple A. Uh, super. It appears Super Crazy is going back to Triple A until his paperwork is straightened out, and he can return to ECW. Probably a Sankri Chikana's tag partner in a feud with Triple L. So Crazy just hangs around until he's able to get back to ECW. So that's basically what happens. CMLL. They have a. Uh, well, they ha the original plan was to have a tag tournament, the end of the tournament on July 7th in Mexico, with Rey Bucanero and Guerrero against Mr. Niebla and Miller Charles Jr., but the match never took place, nor was it advertised, and the lineup came out, nor was Dave aware of an explanation given. Similar, everybody. The main event instead was Pedro Aguayo Sr. in the Bianos, 4 and 5, against Pedro, Dr. Biden Jr., Mascara Añoros Mila, for the fourth straight week with the same basic main event. They had the same run in DQ finish. CML used to never used to do run-ins, so now that they do them, they're getting carried away with the idea. 
you know, the Desmart was injured once again. The undercard had to be stretched out in the semi-main event. All right, full results here. Hocco Negro and Carlos Fagotti Jr. over Starman and Tigre Blanco. Arcajan de la Muerte and Rico Latino over Astori Jr. Mascara Magica. Onti, onti, onti Faz, Donorte, Felino, and Safari went to a draw with Los Nuevos Infernales, Rebe Cañero, Sotanico, Nuz Guerrero, Los Guapos, Bestia Salvaje, Scorpio Jr., Shocker over Atlantis, Elidis Mark, and Miss Niebla, and then Pedro Sr., Vianos 4 and 5, over Dr. Wagner, Mascara Hundus Mill, and Pedro by Countout. I mean, by the Q, excuse me. Yes, Dave's right. I mean, similarly, Mel never did that finish. And then they just started doing them all the time in, in, in the early 2000s. Syria A E Estable. Serious and stable fix. Similar. Not so much. <laughs> Times they are changing. Yeah. So, any thoughts? Um, hmm. I haven't seen that much 2000 stuff. 2001 is when I really started watching week to week. Um, So, okay, wait, where are we in... Okay, so there is no Tarzan boy in the mix with the Infernalis yet, right? Oh, no, 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 no. So at this point, they are just straight up a United Heel trio. Oh, very. Very. Okay. You know, I mean, not to belabor the point, we always bring up some of the best booking of this era. Just how they got over Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero, and then eventually Tarzan Boy, and then eventually the you know next wave of Infernales as big stars through all this. Yeah. Uh, Simulel is expressing interest in psychosis. They're not the only ones, but it's going to be a while for that takes place. So there's that. All right, IWRG, they take TV on July the 6th at Rino Capon. Haleen over Maligno was your opening match. El Millionario and Wake Cuervo over Nuevo Motifasiteco and Volo Jr. That, the Volo Jr. Yo de Diablo, Mega, and Super Mega over the Stone family. Super Calo, Alan Stone, and Motocross. Bombero Infernal, Dr. Cerebro, Mascarillo Merced, and Super Crazy over Sikon Ramirez, El Dandy, Katakan Lee, and Super Parka. And then our main event for the IWRG Intercontinental Heavyweight title, Scorpio Jr. retained over Mission Niebla. Then we had the house show on Sunday at Rudnakapan on the July 9th. Bad Boy and Sangre Africana over the Abisman, 1 and 2. Rio Saito in Zonic over Prince Brujo in Spider Black. Sticon Ramirez, Nuevo Multifaceteco, and Miki Segura Suicida beat up Bombero Fanal, Colt, and Dr. Cerebro by disqualification. Mega and Super Mega over Fantasy and Starter Boy. And the Io de Diablo, Guardia, and Oficial over Alan Stone, Motocross, and Ultimo Vampiro. Of course, Thursday is the uh, better looking of the cards because it's TV. Yes. So you see, I mean, you can see why Volder Jr. is working the show because Daddy's in the semi-main event. <laughs> and Volder Jr. at this point in time, let's see how old he is. This is uh, July. T- uh, he is just 19. 19 mm. and a half. 
So yes. I don't think I realized he was in his forties, but good for him. He's, he's 40, holding up 41, well. Forty one years old. Well, yeah, I mean, good lord. All the shit he's done in his career. God bless him. Yeah. And what else do we have here? Cyclone Ramirez comeback was fun until he went back to prison or whatever happened. <laughs> well, yeah. Um we got, you know, the Technerudos team of Supercolo and his brothers, of course. And was there anything else that jumped out here? I don't think the Sunday show Tercera is like the really big, like, praise Cyclone Ramirez and Mickey Segura trios from that time frame, right? It, well, it, it can't be because it went taped. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not taped. That's why it can't be. Yes. Not so much. What a great Rudo Bombero Infernal was, by the way. Oh, God, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of great talent in this promotion at this time. Monterrey, Arena Colosseum, Monterrey on July 9th. We have La Bruja, La Serpiente, and La Tigresa over Diana La Casadora, La Intrusa, and Miss America. Esfinge and Gavadan Negro over Arquero and Flyboy, not Rock a Rock. Gitano del Norte and the Orientales over Crazy Demon, Neon, and Super Araña 2000. Arandu, Diluvio Negro 1, Grama Cristina and Pepe de Escalada over Mosca de la Merced, Olimpico, Salcero, and Silver Star. And then we got our Monterrey Atomicos main event. Tatamana Jr., Fuzzle Guerrera, Pedoff, and Silver King over Antifaz del Norte, Emilio Charles Jr., La Parca, and Super Parca. Yeah, this is a Monterey right here. Definitely a main event because you look at your Technico team and it's two guys that are, are CMLL guys and two guys that can't wear CMLL, basically. Mm. And then you, you're... Well, no, at this time they can. Huh? At this time they can. Uh, no. Nah. <laughs> They're not. If they weren't there, it's on Sunday. Okay. At, at, at Reno City. They're not... Yeah, they're not TV. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And then you have, uh, you know, the Rudos are basically CML guys. So the Silver King wasn't wasn't there yet. So, but it's his brother. So, yeah, classic Monterey stuff here. Now Tijuana, Nicho El Millonario, the original Psicosis, turned back Technico in Tijuana on July the seventh. Nicho was booked as a Technico in a match team with La Parca and Catacombe Junior. Against Rey Mysterio Sr., Damian, and Halloween, La Familia Tijuana. Early in the show, Nietzsche continued his Rudo turn by coming out with Damian and Halloween as La Familia and hugged his brother, also a Rudo named Phobia, who worked the undercar. In the sixth man, Nietzsche helped the Rudos to keep beating on his partners. In the second fall, La Familia helped Parker and gave Nietzsche a chair. Instead, he laid out La Familia. Okay. Of course, this was a dumb move since the Technicos were already laid out. So La Familia beat the crap out of Nietzsche. Finally, Katakumli Sr. hit the ring to help his son. Then Phobia came out to help his brother. Nietzsche gave Phobia a chair while he and Kato Sr. held Ray Sr. But Phobia then caught Nietzsche with a chair. This was actually the semi-main event. The main event that followed that sucked. Which had Cien Caras, Universal Desmond, Paulo Dantes beating Arroyo de Lisco Jr., Tinebles Jr., and Tinebles. Aluche was with Tenebulous, so Dave guess that angle where he'd been kidnapped must have either ended or it's only in Mexico City. It's only in Mexico City. 
<laughs> but uh, good lord, talk about your over fucking booking. Where where <laughs> will the <laughs> When did Vicente Russo show up in Tijuana? <laughs> oh my God! Is that Vince Russo's Senor Spielbergo? <laughs> I mean, you had Nicho was helping the Rudos beat up his partners in the first fall. Then he decides to help his partners in the second fall. Then he, his brother comes out to help him. And his brother turns on. What? What? Hermano. Oh, I can't do Ru- I can't do the Russo voice while saying Hermano. It doesn't work. Those lucha libras. How, do, how would you say fake wrestling in Spanish? <laughs> uh, fraud. Uh, fraud de lucha. <laughs> Well, the uh, hermano, uh, esta lucha fraude. I can't get the, I can't get the Russo accent in while I'm trying to say Spanish words, though it doesn't work. All right, well, let's close this out. IWA Puerto Rico, the Star Corporation, Victor the Bodyguard, and Chiki Star won the IWA Tag Titles from Club WWF. Well, actually, wait a second. Uh, Google Steve Translate says lucha libre falsa. Club WSC, Bradley, Andy Anderson on July the 8th in Manatee, Puerto Rico. So. Mm, yeah, Andy Anderson, that great WWF wrestler. Well, so, see, Bradley uh, had his a lot of time in WWF too, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and they're both under contract, but still. Dang it. All right. Well, that's it for this segment. It's halftime, which is definitely a lot of show before we get to halftime, but that's just the way Yeah, we could have done it after WCW, but whatever. We could have, but we did So anyway, after halftime, we have some these uh, 2000 commercials we'll play, so we'll play that. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back, where we'll go back to uh, the United States, and we have a wild ECW section to talk about, as um, they have two shows during our week, and one including Bob Backlund backstage causing a scene in Poughkeepsie. All that more after the break. Don't run off. The show will be right back. Patrick, know what the best thing about summer is? Jellyfishing. Oh, no, wait. Uh, it's jellyfishing. Ah, uh, better than that. It's SpongeBob Nicktoon Summer Splash. Yay! What is it? All summer, Nick is showing six episodes of your favorite Nicktoons in a row. Best of all, it's hosted by us, SpongeBob and Patrick. Yay! The Summer Splash, today at 2-1 Central. I like a SpongeBob. Ah, as do I, Patrick. So Megan calls and tells me she's eating Reese's. I say, whoa, you have candy for breakfast? She says, not candy, Reese's puff cereal. So that's from Roscoe. She's eating Reese's puffs too. They start talking about how it's got a Reese's gum taste. I'm on hold. So I snag a box of my own and crunch into this incredible combo of peanut butter and chocolatey taste. And Reese's puffs are part of a good breakfast. Reese's puffs. It's Reese's. Hello. For breakfast. Hey kids, I just arrived from the color workshop where I learned all kinds of new tricks with the brand new magic color change blow pens. 
Come on and discover the magical world of the Magic Color Change Blow Pens. They're so much fun. Insert the marker felt tip first into the jet tube. Add the cap, aim, and blow like magic. It changes color right before your eyes. You also get the secret writer to write cool hidden messages. Use them freehand or with stencils. Take it to the max with Flow Pens. So much creativity, so much fun for everyone. But that's not all. You also get four cool neon fabric Flow Pens for creating cool tees and sweatshirts. You get ten Flow Pens, one secret writer for crazy cool fun, eight jumbo stencils, and four cool neon fabric Flow Pens, free with your paid order. Also available for $14.99, our turbocharging foot pump with five cool colors. To order your magic color changing blow pens by credit card for $19.99, call the number on your screen. You must be 18 years or older to call. Sorry, no check or COD. How you doing? I'm Terry. How are you? I'm Mark. How you doing? This is Danny. What's up? I'm Paul. I'm wearing my town. I know I never realized. Now, an exclusive look at Ireland's hit music group, My Town. We've been together about two and a half years. We have written all the songs on the album, but they're collaborations with other people like the likes of Boyz Men and the likes of Teddy Royal. It just took us pretty much like a week. Then we were just all gelling, coming out with lyrics and melodies and everything. We've been all over the world, from places like you know Bosnia as far as Australia. I'm loving every minute of it. We are really serious, serious musicians. Nickelodeon, we'd just like to say thank you very much. We really love you. Yep, absolutely. And don't forget, coming up really soon. You gotta check it out. Is our Nick. Special. Catch My Town in the Snick House Underground Concert, Saturday, July 15th, only on Nickelodeon. Now back to the show. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 2000 commercials as we pivoted to the halftime segment show where we began talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets and, uh, Wow. <laughs> We're recording this on Friday, July the 8th, hours after the big Wall Street Journal story came out, their second one on Vincent Mann and uh, more money that they paid, that he paid out, the Warburton Entertainment paid out to uh, different employees for uh, – Various things, and um, yeah, I mean, Titan Gate 2022 is definitely in full effect. And again, the timing is just crazy considering that we're discussing Titan Gate 1992 on patreon.com/slash between the sheets. And there are a lot of parallels there in a lot of ways, although this one, this one is, is different. Because of the climate we're in these days and the fact that we could have more and more people come forward and tell all kinds of stuff that could really just, you know, struck a huge blow to that company and possibly force the exit of Vince McMahon. I mean, I'm just saying, believe me, I mean, folks, I mean, it's Vince McMahon, but the pressure could finally get there where he may have to be removed from power. It's going to take the networks and major partners to, uh, to really you know, put the pressure on that, on the board directors and all that stuff to do. But, 
you know, JD Oliva, former guest of ours, uh, you know, asked me on Twitter, do you think this could be the, this could be the thing that does it? And, uh, I told him, I said, this is the closest that we've been since 1994 since the, the steroid trial. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, Patreon.com slash Twin Machines. You can listen to us talk about 1992 and all the stuff that was going on there. You know, and Vince is heavily involved in that too with the Rita Chatterton stuff on there, which, you know, has come back to light in recent weeks. And um, we talked about that, you know, on previous episodes of Between the Sheets as well. So, was old as new again, Bex, in 2022? Uh, yes. And. I mean, also just the company culture, too, because remember, the law firm that is apparently a legit law firm for doing real independent investigations that the independent board members hire, like, they're also looking at the company culture, and that's, I mean, that's most of the Titan Gate stuff, you know? Um, I I don't mean to say only, but the Rita Chatterton allegation is the the only direct implication of Vincent Titan Gate. The major difference between now and then is 1992, it was more about the homosexual and, part of oh, it. And how homophobia was intertwined with that, and it made it easier to not take it seriously then, and also it made it easier to discard some of it now, because, look, even though there was other credible stuff, Pat Patterson had two false allegations against him in that time. So I mean that's that's the the big thing and, and with that even though you know Rita Rita Chatterton's there, but the main stories were Mel Phillips, Pat Patterson, all that stuff when it came to uh, the sexual thing. The cream team. Yeah. Now we have, and it it was, I mean, you had you know Barry Orton and stuff like that, but it was mainly non wrestlers. Now we have actual wrestlers. Although none of them have put their names out no, there. But, no, but that that could be coming. That could be coming. I you mean, know? it wouldn't shock me because, look, if the Wall Street Journal included enough information that people could figure it out, it wouldn't exactly shock me if they had some kind of permission to do that. You know what I mean? And I don't know that one way or the other. I'm just saying, like... We're talking Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporters. I don't think they're going to be fast and loose with that kind of thing. You know? No, it's going to take the approval of the the parties that's talking to do that. They're not going to w- release it willy-nilly out there. Right. You know, for, for, but everybody who has an idea who it is, you know, who they are, you know, I mean – you have you have your own conclusions, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens if anything. Ha- if anything happens, but I mean, this this is going to be this is going to be something. This, like I said, this is the closest since 1994. I think that that we've come to Vince being in, in serious trouble, and um, because yeah, you talk about the culture of the company. I mean, yeah, I mean the culture of the company has been bad for many many years. And it starts with it starts with Vince and Kevin Dunn, and, and Kevin Dunn is Vince's closest confidant. And Kevin Dunn, Vince Vince already, Vince already was a you know, a shady character. You know, going back to you know we talk about Rita. I mean, Kevin Dunn wasn't nowhere near power in the power position he was. I mean, he is now back then. Right. But now 
But Kevin Dunn is a big time influencer on Vince as well. And um, he's part of, and there are others too, I'm sure, that, that we don't even know about that could be part of this whole inner, inner sanctum of that of that company. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I, again, I highly suggest people that are interested in this 2022 stuff, go listen to our 1992 stuff, $5 a month. And we'll have our last installment at the end of this month as we're going to move on, as we, we've come to the end of the line. But we may, we've got four parts of this. So I think we, we definitely uh, beat the drum loudly on Titan Gate 92, and we want everybody to listen to these shows. So $5 a month. And if you're somebody who has, you know, never thought about subscribing to a Patreon or stuff like that, or why should I pay for a podcast? I mean, you get a ton of audio to choose from, not just the Titan Gate stuff, all the stuff that we've done in our almost six full years of the Patreon. I mean, there's so much there that is available to listen to that could, you know, whet your appetite on that. And we have Patreon shows up on the free feed that we have done that we put up there for people to listen to to try to get the gist of what we do on our Patreon. And if you, so if you're unsure or you're undecided or whatever, then go look up one of the old shows that we put up, whether it's uh, the global stuff or ECW or Sid or whatever that we put up, go listen to one of those shows. That'll give you a taste of what we do. And believe me, you don't want to miss this Titan Gate series. And what we're talking about for August, you know, you don't want to miss that either. So we're going to shift into another direction. And, uh, but it's a direction familiar to our patrons. So uh, we'll announce that on the July Patreon show. We already had that idea in mind. So anyway, $5 a month, patreon.com slash tween the sheets. All the audio is, believe me, it's a must if you're a fan of wrestling. Yes. And real quick, um, and I know I keep promising and I keep forgetting to do the stuff with Red Circle to make it that the feed has every episode. But if you go to betweentheSheetsPod.com, which is where you have the full archive, the Patreon shows that you can hear for free are Genesis of the Global Wrestling Federation, the Herb Abrams UWF Supercut that has both of our Herb Abrams UWF shows, the rise and fall of Sid Justice about Sid leaving WCW, going to WWF, and then leaving WWF originally, ECW on TNN Part 1, which is one of our very best shows, and also another one of our best shows, ECW's Road to Pay-Per-View, where we were joined by John Filipovich. There you go. There you go. So a great, a great selection of shows for you to whet your appetite. Yes. These are our deep dives. That's the thing. That's the best ones we do. So it should be because you're paying for it. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord. Thanks to this segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week like we have this week. And, um, yeah, I mean, you see what the, the – Interesting. This show has been that we're talking about yeah. this week that Sean Dickinson has picked for us, and um, yeah, I mean, we got another show coming up after this week—a hundred-dollar show. We'll talk about in a second. We got a fifty-dollar show coming up after that. So we got all the tiers hitting in July. But twenty-five dollars allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the show how you could do that. 
So I'm not going to reiterate that all again. $50, you can get sent in for a segment of the show, 100 for the whole show, if you choose. That's if you want to. You don't have to. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. Uh, yeah, considering when we're recording and everything going on, and you had another uh, appearance that we'll, we'll talk about in the plugs with John and Way. So, yes, I'm pretty sure that we have an uptick on patrons. So, who we have to thank this week as our new and or returning patrons? All right. We would like to thank Alan Smith. Thanks, Alan. A year-long subscription from Little Tyke. Thanks, Little Tyke. And yes, that's 5040 yes. for a yearly subscription. Yes, 16% off. 16% off. Uh, we've got the return of William Lanham. Thank you, William. Then we got Brandy Jeffries. Thanks, Brandy. One of my personal She's favorites. Fine. She's a fine girl, what I heard. She's a Okay. <laughs> Great song. Yes. One of my favorite 70 songs. Uh, one of my favorite Patreon display names, Future Re- Recluse. Thank you, Future Recluse. Devin Axtman. Thanks, Devin. Clint Halford. Thanks, Clint. Laron Mason. Thanks, Laron. Justin Delacave. Thanks, Justin. Sean Watts. Thanks, Sean. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this one. Because um, it's Mark C-R-N-O-L-A-T-A-S. Just, I'm not going to even bother. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mark. Well, yeah. at least you spelled it out, you know, and, try, and tried. Yes. Uh, uptick from dollar a month to $5 from Edgar Muniz Jr. Thanks, Edgar. One that I could have sworn we just saw, but I guess not. Uh, James Kajawa. Thanks, James. Frank4421. Thanks, Frank. Jesse P. Thanks, Jesse. Philip. Thanks, Philip. And Nick Obradovich. Nick Obradovich. It's a great uh, Chicago Bear named Ed Obradovich. I always like that last name, but thanks, Nick. So Patreon. we thank all you, oh, yeah, thank all you new patrons, you old patrons. Patrons been there from the beginning. Patrons that have come along the way. We thank all of you for uh, being a part of our Patreon and supporting us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And real quick before we move on, I did want to mention too, speaking of timely things, if you have not checked out the Patreon yet, or at least since these dropped in uh, November and December. Uh, given everything that happened with, uh, what is it, World Entertainment Series, Wrestling Entertainment Series, whatever WES <laughs> stands for this week, you probably want to check out the MECW shows we did uh, lately. Yes! Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Definitely the John Collins specials. Yes, where we also talk about everything that was in the newsletters about Superfed and Wrestle Express. Mm-hmm. So get all of your uh, startup promotion grifts of that era covered here. and. These are some of my favorite shows that we've ever done. And, and Bo James also is great on those because he was in the thick of things. with the, He was involved. With John Collins at the time. Although he got paid, unlike most people. The Like the only person. <sighs> yeah, it's patreon.com slash between the sheets. Because, yeah, we, we're going to be at 70 whole, uh, you know, Patreon shows this month. And that's not the total because we have mailbags that we've done. We have greetings from the grocery store. We have like one or two and a half, you know, type shows. Like there was the half AWA show and maybe one or two other things I'm forgetting. So 
Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Yeah. All right. Bix IWTV. I'm sure they have a lot going on. So what's going on with them this week? Slower week as far as live streams, but still plenty. Uh, you know, day this comes out, Monday, on uh, Uncharted Territory. Well, Southeast First presents Uncharted Territory. Got a neat-looking episode, including Anthony Henry versus Alan Angels, Jaden Newman versus Effie, Kevin Koo versus Brogan Finley, and more, including, you know, more of the Discovery Gauntlet with featuring Noah Hossman. So that looks like a fun show there. And then what else do we have? Of course, there's going to be Wrestling Open on Thursday. I don't know if they ever really put out a lineup before a day or two out. So that's it. As far as that, there is going to be a Newcastle Pro Wrestling live stream live from... What is this? Newcastle, England, I guess? Oh, no. Newcastle, Australia. Excuse me. And that'll be Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> so that's <laughs> I think that's the first live stream they've done from Australia, right? Uh, that's the first one I know you talked about. There's going to be more, though, because I believe the the ICW No Holds Barred uh, Deathmatch Down Under combined shows later this year are going to be live streams. But I guess this is the first. And did I just open the wrong thing? There was one more on the schedule that I opened, but I think I clicked the wrong link. So give me a second to find that before then I go back to the VOD. <laughs> yeah, how about that Australia live stream? Well, good for them. Oh, there's a Paradigm uh, show next week. That's the one that I didn't open properly. And that's Paradigm Pro Terminal Combat 2. That's going to be Friday at uh, 7.30 Eastern. And it's a Paradigm show, so there are a lot of matches. <laughs> Just to say that. So all that's on the live streams, and then also as far as VOD, besides some of the recent live streams, they've put up some archival uh, CZW. Should I click one of these just to see? Well, I mean, if we're talking about archive, everybody needs to watch the Wild Side archive. Oh, yes. Because, I mean, we talked about it on the Exxon Bastry, which I plugged last week. The latest show came out on uh, March 2002, Hardcore Hell. So that's, that's up there, and uh, TV that built to it. There's a lot of great wild side ups. I mean, so if you want to watch the probably the best independent wrestling promotion of the early 2000s, definitely with week to week television. And I mean, it's like a territory. Go watch the Wild Side Archive on IWTV. Yeah. And hold on. Now that I go back to this real quick, there was, I, let me just click one of these. Uh, well, let's see. We got 06's Tournament of Death. No, excuse me. 05 and 06's Tournament of Death. We got a show from 2011. Let's go with the. Uh, Oh, wait, is this another one here? Oh, they got the 04 Tournament of Death, too. So which which of these shows should I click, just to see what's on it? It don't matter. Whatever you want to do. All right, let's go with the 2011 one, just to see. So we've got New Heights, where, let's see, of course, we've got Joe Gacy in a tag match. AR Fox versus, okay, thank God, Jake Christ. Uh, Sammy Kyle and Necro Butcher. Oh, that's right. At this, at this point, they're more deathmatch again. So... Let me let me just see what's on one of these early tournament of deaths. Uh, from Smyrna, Delaware, 04 includes oh god, some of these names I miss. Arsenal versus Evil Ninja in the first round. Those are both Montreal guys, right? I think so. Nick Gage versus Ruckus. 
sex oh sexy eddie versus ian knox is that the sexy getty drink sexy getty sexy eddie drinking the blood spurting out of his arm match i don't remember i could be but yeah so if you've been wanting to watch some of those earlier tournament of death shows uh those are now up on IWTV. So not already a subscriber, use code BDSPOD when you sign up at independentwrestling.tv and we will get a referral as long as you stay a paid subscriber to IWTV. So that's code BTSPOD at independentwrestling.tv. All right. This week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. The private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, Advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. None faster, folks. Zero, nada. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of the deals that we have for you, for you BTS listeners. So let's talk about that, shall we? Our first deal is a monthly deal, your basic monthly deal, eleven ninety five a month. Then you I go for the yearly deal, which is $3.33 a month at $39.95 a year. But the best deal of all, 83% off. You get a three year with four free months for $1.98 a month or $79 for three years. That is an amazing deal covered by the 30 day money back guarantee. There's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. It's insane how cheap that is. And if you get it right now, you can take private internet access private internet access's thirty day risk free challenge. Try it out for thirty days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for the full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and you try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk free. Next week on Between the Sheets. Another Patreon requested show, Keith Harris, who has been on the show before, a dear friend of ours from the UK, will be joining us. He requested the show. He put the $100 down. He's off for the whole show. And uh, he wants us to talk about Noah's Tokyo Dome show in July 2005, a show which he was there in person. This is their second Dome show, a major show in the history of the promotion. Some major matches such as Kentakabashi against Kensuke Sasaki and Mitsuhama Sawa and Toshiaki Kawada going one-on-one for the first time in over five years. For the last time period. For the last time period, plus Hiroshi Tanahashi challenging for the GAC heavyweight title and a match that was uh, very interesting at the time, to say the least. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more from that show. Plus, we'll have... Brian Alvarez TV reports of Raw, SmackDown, No no Surrender, pay-per-view for Impact. We got uh, all kinds of other news and stuff, of course, from the Indies, all over the world, WWE, and their craziness going on there. So, um, yeah, it should be quite the show next week as we go back to 2005. And we just did a 2005 show last month, so 
We'll have a some loose ends kind of tied, especially regarding the Matt Hardy, Edge, and Lita storyline. As uh, Matt Hardy and Lita had a very interesting uh, episode of Bike This during our week, and a whole lot more. So, uh, and more CM Punk and Ring of Honor news as uh, he has a title defense during our week. So, a lot going on. So, listen to us next week on Between the Sheets with that. And, of course, Exile on Bash Street, the Wild Side Show. Everybody listen to that as well if you haven't already. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, like I said a while ago, you were on Post Wrestling's Daily Show with John and Way talking the big Vince news. So uh, talk about that and anything else that's going on. Yeah, that was on about an hour's notice. Uh, well, I mean, it broke Friday morning, so. Well, also what happened was there was a like nationwide, I think, Rogers internet outage. That I covered- saw that both um their mobile and broadband service so john had no idea john had no idea for a while that there was any news and that and he ended up he he was i think at way's house in a separate room from way uh doing his side of the show so he was like like your uh like your like, like somebody's grandparents that are on the phone uh, that are on the same phone line but in different rooms talking to you or something like that Kind of, but not exactly. <laughs> one of one of those types of deals. Yes. But yeah, so you were on there. Anything yes. else? And that is that is also on because it's the Friday show. That is on their main free podcast feed as well, not just the YouTube and the Patreon. So, uh, yeah. everyone, check that out. Did I have any new articles come out this week? I don't think so. So hopefully next week for that. So uh, I guess that's it. All right. Well. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? So it uh, should be quite the week as we move forward. And, yes, uh, it's going to be interesting when we do our next Patreon show and everything going on there. Yeah. Oh, so, by the way, I checked. The settlement that went to the former wrestler, even if you adjusted it for inflation from 2005 to 2018 when uh, she got the money for the NDA, it was – if you adjust for inflation – he still paid more in that one settlement than he did for WCW. It's crazy, isn't it? And I mean the total cost of WCW, <laughs> not just the purchase price, the related costs as well. But I, I want to say with inflation, the $4.3 million went up to like 6.1. So still a little less than a million and a half dollars less than the one settlement to this one former talent. Crazy shit, folks. All right. And yes, believe me. I've had people, you know, already Twitter tweeting me and stuff. Believe me, if if we're if we're still here in 2032, I'm already regretting that this week in 2032. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this whole time period, I know all of you guys are chomping at the bit for that, but yeah, I'm I'm fully regretting it. So, have mercy on us ten, in ten years. All right. On that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, well, let's move on now to Extreme Championship Wrestling. Legal threats, although no lawsuits have yet been filed, have been talked about in the press regarding USA Network threatening an appeal to the verdict where they lost WF programming and ECW threatening to sue TNN over the cancellation of the show. USA Appeal was expected by WF as those close to the situation felt no matter what decision Judge William Chandler would have reached in the case, that because of the high stakes involved, the losing side was going to appeal. Is believed that USA Network, which is in grave danger of losing this spot as the highest-rated primetime cable network with a loss of Raw and Sunday Night Heat, has to show its stockholders it's taken every avenue possible to maintain what its franchise shows. 
what was his franchise shows. Since it hasn't been filed, there's no time to, but at this point, it doesn't appear this will have any effect on the WF starting on TNN and MTV in the fall. It was WF and Viacom's victory in a lawsuit that led to TNN subsequently dropping ECW effective September 22nd. According to Daily Variety, ECW is starting legal action claiming TNN violated their contract by not supporting the show with promotion, publicity, and exposure, as, a vague, as was vaguely worded in the contract. Apparently, the written contract, according to TNN's spokesman David Schwartz, was that ECW failed to average a 2.0 rating for the season. It was also specified in the contract. Paul Heyman stated on several occasions that ECW only had to reach a .6 rating to avoid cancellation. It was known before the season TNN sold ads for the show based on delivering a 2.0 weekly rating. So the show, which averaged just under half that, was underperforming, even though it was the highest rated show on their highly promoted Friday Night Thrill Zone. Schwartz claimed, based on a conversation Heyman had months ago with Brad Hughes at TNN when the television angle began, that everything that happened on the air was storyline. The irony is that Heyman was very much pulling up Brian Pillman. In fact, he let people in on the idea that the shoot for the public was really a work. But the primary people he was working was actually TNN because through that he was able to weekly downgrade a network and turn his fan base against them. Starting at the point, Heyman recognized that the show had no hope of doing a 2.0. And now with the expected WF move, he was going to lose his time slot. Apparently, the offshoot of the popular heel owner gimmick angle was also to make it appear that the ECW fan base to the ECW fan base that the show didn't fail. It just simply the network that was against them canceling them because of WF. Most likely, ECW wouldn't have been canceled if the WF deal hadn't gone through. And while ECW most likely would have done a two point, wouldn't have done a 2.0 average for promotion, it can make a case it has done so for months about a lack of such. According to contract attorney contacted by the Observer, the vague supplying the promotion publicity exposure phrase alone in the contract would be difficult to make stick as a reason for the show underperforming based on the levels the contract specify. And ECW probably would have to come up with strong evidence that TNN specifically didn't promote the show and that it made full, a full point's worth of difference. And we'll probably make a case TNN tanked the show once they realized they were getting the WF and ECW had no long-term future to build. The damage to ECW provided they don't get another outlet, if they can prove all that, would be substantial. Both the USA appeal and the ECW lawsuit threat on, seem on the surface to make unlikely emer any merger between the two sides, and each came up losers by the Viacom deal, which Heyman was clearly hoping for as the end result of the WS move. We talked about all this on the Patreon show, and... Um, I mean, if you want to listen to that, patreon.com slash between the sheets, we did a mega series on this whole deal with ECW and uh, TNN. Um, anything new you want to talk about here or anything? Well, I did dig a little bit to see if there's anything else, um, especially with this type of story. Uh, and we do have a Heyman quote in uh, Rick Russo's column and then, you know, his, uh, excuse me, his wrestling column that was syndicated by Knight Ritter Tribune News Service. Uh, and I quote, I can tell you this. It's going to be a war. Right now, we are checking all of our options so we can devise. I love devise. That's such a Heyman thing to say. Mm -hmm. A plan that will ensure the future success of extreme championship wrestling. <laughs> devise. Also, ECW attorney Steve Cern, who I'm sure sounded nothing like Paul Heyman's roommate Dave. Um, said, as it stands right now, Extreme Championship Wrestling is number three professional wrestling outfit in the industry, and that comes from very little promotion and very little national exposure. Imagine where it would be if it had a big media outlet behind it supporting it properly. Uh, the court ruling in Delaware last week changed the landscape to the playing field in terms of professional wrestling on television. Discussions are taking place on several fronts in regard to ECW. 
Well, on that note, let's go to the Pearls of Torch. A neutral source estimates ECW is having a 50% chance of striking a deal with USA Network. The source said, oh, for those of you who remember the Patreon show, you'll know about this crap. The source adds that Paul Heyman and his advisors are speaking with USA officials on a semi-regular basis. With USA Network now appealing the court's decision in its case against the WWF, USA is still free to negotiate but will not sign a deal until the appeal is resolved. Most sources still believe that the network would insist on owning at least a minority interest in the company. There is a chance that USA wants to buy ECW entirely. If so, sources believe that Heyman is willing to sell under the right circumstances, which would include his remaining in creative control. In related news, some of NTNN believe Viacom's executives acted too quickly and canceled ECW's television show. The fear is that USA will somehow win the appeal, leaving them without any wrestling show. You fucking mark! Oh, I'm not done yet. Uh, stay with the torch. Strong sources say that barring a settlement, ECW has no way off of TNN until the scheduled September 22nd cancellation date. ECW officials hope to meet with TNN officials to discuss the settlement, but the network is refusing to meet until the judge rules on USA's appeal to the WF court case. The same source says ECW isn't in jeopardy of having to file for bankruptcy anytime this summer. However, he says if the company continues to operate as it does now, it may not survive another six months. He adds that if ECW is able to land a solid TV deal, it would more than likely raise the possibility of bankruptcy for the foreseeable future. Well, and April's the foreseeable future, so... Boy, this source is clued in. Neutral source, though. Yes, very neutral. Neutral. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, there was more from Heyman. If we would have had the proper backing from management, we may have been able to fend off some of those raids of our talent. Unfortunately, we just don't have as deep pockets as the other guys do. And uh, TNN spokesman David Schwartz said... ECW was not doing as well as expected. We appreciate the efforts of ECW and Paul Heyman have. We appreciate the efforts ECW and Paul Heyman have made to bring wrestling fans to TNN. And then, of course, from Paul, our crew features some of the toughest, hardworking SOBs in the business. This will motivate us to do better and try harder. Dave's right. You know, his original thing, though, I mean, no matter what they would have done, probably promotion-wise, they still wouldn't have done a 2.0 rating. No. They would have done better. Just, yeah, it would have been better, but it wouldn't have done a 2.0 rating. Uh, we talked about it on the Patreon show. That it just, it always seemed pie in the sky, anyway. Yeah, because ECW, at that time, did not have the talent that they ha- had you know, a couple years earlier. If they had their 97 roster, they would have been in better shape. The roster they had here is, is just missing so many guys. Well, Advertising Age magazine this past week listed Heyman as one of their top 100 marketers. The article described that Heyman was too extreme for the Turner Wrestling Company and then built his own thriving business. Thriving? This probably what. And this probably wasn't the best way for that story to come out for the credibility of that journal, being that the word came out just days earlier of Heyman's show being canceled for other performing ratings and the company's future, at least in staying at his current level, being very questionable. Yeah, definitely not the best timing for that to come out. No, and we did read this on the Patreon show. I, I'm not sure if it's from our week per se. Uh, okay, it's in the ad age dated June 26th, looks like. Marketers, huh? Uh, Top marketers. 
Paul Heyman was fired from his job with cable TV's Turner Broadcasting Company for being too controversial, he says. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot this part. The, the end of the profile is... Mr. Heyman contends ECW is now attracting a 70% share of the estimated 30 million people who watch wrestling each month. Wrestling is my life, he says. 70% yeah, share of 30 million fans? Lord. Wonderful. Mm -mm -mm. All right, well, Heyman's got more stuff here, of course. And then now let's talk about Scott Lee. Heyman, regarding Scott Levy's release, said he felt that after the first day he was in ECW that he did nothing for the company. And you, <laughs> oh, God, and you, this is shit <laughs> And used his tenure in ECW to party and get out of shape and didn't clean up and start losing weight until he realized WF wouldn't take it. In that condition, and that his rep had taken a major tumble. He said he feels Levy owes him 10 months, so now he's in no hurry to release him. Levy's contract expires on August 26th. Levy said that Heyman told him that the July 8th arena show would be his final night, and wrestlers were planning a farewell party for him. After what Heyman said publicly, the wrestlers, believing it wasn't his final night, canceled the party. Then Levy got to the building, and Heyman told him what he said publicly was all a work. If that was the case, Dave can't come up with one good idea as to what the purpose that served, and asked him to put over to Jerry. He nixed that. Heyman asked him to take Rhino's pile driver off the apron through a table. He nixed that because he didn't want to take that bump this close to a WF debut. He finally agreed to be getting speared through a table by Rhino, being saved by Sandman, and he and Sandman hugging, which, as expected, drew a big final pop. Heyman had not, as of the weekend, actually given Levy his paperwork release form, but Levy started following his paperwork out to start with the WF. Feeling his paperwork out. Uh, now we go to the torch. Raven told friends that his ECW arena show was indeed his final with the company. Raven said to notify WF officials that Heyman told him at the arena that he was free to leave the company. However, Heyman has yet to present Raven with his release papers. When asked whether Raven will appear at the pay-per-view, Heyman told the Torch, we have not invited him to or booked him on the pay-per-view. Heyman did not indicate when or if he will give Raven his release for his contract as far as April 20th, August 26th. The Dolphins is willing to patiently wait until Raven is released of his ECW deal before it expires. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Raven drama fix. How long did the story drag on on the Patreon shows? It was months, wasn't it, his release? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he owes me a year. <laughs> it's rich for him. He was talking about that all he was doing was partying. He went, that's basically what they all did. So, uh. cool. Alright, notes from that July 8th arena show, which for several reports was a really hot show. A lot of younger wrestlers like Easy Money, Kid Cash, C.W. Anderson, etc. looking really good. Blue Meanie and Jackson St. Clair came out with Louie Dangerously and announced that Beatty would be known as either Blue Boy or Bluey Dangerously. It was Blue Boy. St. Clair had been working with XPW, which is ECW's somewhat rival, and that, that there is legal action by ECW out against him. Jazz came out and destroyed Louie, Meanie, and St. Clair. Then you got Yoshio Dejiri beating uh, Mikey Whipwreck in what was said to be great. Styles and Gartner did the TN and open, and Raven came out to bid farewell. There were you sold out chants at him until Cyrus came out and yelled at Raven and turned him babyface. Scotty Anton and Rhino beat up Raven, including the spear to the table, till Sandman and Lori Fullington made the save with the cane. Yes, they even brought Lori Fullington out for this. Uh, at one point, when Cyrus was doing his interview, the fans were chanting USA for USA Network, <laughs> they presume. And not because Cyrus is Canadian. 
I think it was for USA Network. Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger said they wanted to get rid of their silly entourage. Aww. Sibby Anderson came out with them, and they beat up the entourage until Danny Doring and Roadkill came out. It was three, three on two until Bobby Eaton debuted, making the save to the old Midnight Express music and a real big reaction. CW cut off Eaton, and Anderson, Swinger, and Diamond laid the other ones out. What a way to bring Bobby Eaton out, huh? Major Pop, yeah, I'm coming out and make a save, and then... He gets cut off while his, the guys he was saving get the shit kicked out of him. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Just incredible. Retain each every title against Pierre Ouellette, who apparently looked really good, and even powerbomb Francine off the ropes to a table. Fans gave both men a standing ovation after the match. Yeah, folks, there's your PCO ECW sighting here. Yes, and I'm guessing what happened here is Carl was like, can you get me a visa? And Paul was like, I will get right on that. I'm sorry, I'm doing <laughs> it so much this week. And that was that, because as the story went, the only reason that, the, excuse me, the reason that the following month Carl is only in WCW for a weekend is because they were in Canada. Yes. After the, uh, excuse me, after the, after Which is a shame, though, because he would have been a great addition to the roster at the time. Mm-hmm. They should have just stayed in Canada running shows. <laughs> DeVito and Angel won a four-way over Nova and Chris Chatty. Guido and Tony Mamaluke. And the debuting Joy Matthews and Christian York, who got mixed reviews. Kid, uh, Kid Cash for Easy Money and what we were told was the best match on the show with the money powerbomb while standing on the top row turned to Hurricane Rana. Sam and Jerry Lynn beat Rhino and Steve Carino, so Jerry Lynn at this point is no longer having the heel turn teased. Sam and Pan Rhino hasn't done many jobs of late when Spike Dudley interfered and they did a 3D. Main event was Van Dam over Balls Mahoney. Fans are chanting, where's Sikosis during this match? Since word was that he was debuting and seemed everyone in the building was expecting him, which Heyman appeared mad about the chance. Why? He had travel problems, according to those who contacted Issa about him not being there. That's why he was mad. He wasn't there. <sighs> travel problems in ECW, huh? But, uh... Yeah, you, I mean, this... We're just going on the results of the show and just talk about the show. You can see where ECW is in the situation it's in where they're, I mean, like I said, even if they got all kind of promotion, they're not doing a whole lot to get people to eyes to the product. Yeah. It's not, it's not that interesting. Now, granted, this is the point where Paul is finally rebuilding the roster in a real way. You know, yeah, and it just, pays off with show quality over the next few months, but yeah, but there, there's nothing to draw you in. Yeah. The previous night by Kipsy was another taping. This is for the TNN taping. Or this is Hardcore TV tape, one of the two. No, this, would, this would be TNN. I th well, no. Well, uh, we had Cyrus on the other one, so I don't know, actually. probably It's probably for syndicated. They did a strange deal with Bob Backlund. Everyone was swearing wasn't an angle. Backlund was invited to the show, although word was given that he came on his own. He was backstage for the show. During a kick cash CW Anderson match, he started John with fans, doing his gimmick right in the middle of the match, and it took heat away from the match. He was thrown out of the building by security. Dave didn't believe this was safe for television, but if it, it gets if it airs, then it's an angle. It also took attention away from the Swinger Diamond post-match run-in. We'll show you more back in a second. Excuse me. Um, Credible and Tajiri had a real good title match, although Credible didn't come on of it very well. They had a miscommunication on the spot. 
resulting in Tajiri throwing a kick that not one of Credible's bat molars out and chipping other teeth. Oof. He also nailed him on a cane shot. Credible looked really beaten up for the next night in the arena. Rhino basically squashed Raven on the way out, kicking out of his DDT and then spearing him for the win. Dreamer and Jerry Lynn beat uh, the Baldies in a brawl, but afterwards were left laying in a post-match attack by Carino and Scotty Anton. And Van Dam's now using his springboard kick all the way across the ring as his finisher. Now, let's have more Backlund here. I can't quit yawn. From the Pro Wrestle Torch. Bob Backlund showed up uninvited at the July 7th house show and caused a scene. Well, TV tape. Before the show, Backlund went backstage and offered to work an angle on the show for free. He told Paul Heyman that he had a Planet fan waiting in the crowd. While Heyman thought Backlund was being presumptuous, he told him he would, he would be interested. They wanted to talk it over later in the show. Evidently, Backlund became impatient and decided to go through with his angle without notifying anyone. During the Cash Anderson match, Backlund walked through the crowd starting to argue with his Planet fan. Heyman ordered security to remove Backlund from the building, which they did. When asked for Cobbett, Heyman told the torch, if he did it to two veterans or main eventers, that'd be one thing. But to do it to two kids that have waited this long for a break, who clearly paid their dues, is another. Instead of being a veteran who sets an example for the next generation by being A, smart, B, a professional, he shows up to be A, a dumb fuck, and B, just another selfish prick looking to suck every last little bit of life out of a business that provided for him and his family for many years. Heyman said, also says the incident has not been mentioned on East Debbie's website, nor will it be airing on television. Heyman said he never invited Backlund to the Poughkeepsie show. He said if Backlund was invited, it wasn't by himself, Steve Carroll, or Tommy Dreamer. He said Backlund arrived, came in the back, wanted to shoot an angle. Heyman said if he considered after the tapings were over. Heyman said the guy who heckled Backlund to be a character was a plan brought up by Backlund. And they distracted the crowd from the Cash Anderson mansion. He ordered out security to throw him out. He says never mentioned on the website, pushed on TV, all the hardcore TV show during that match. You could tell when it was all happening. He said Backlund wanted to apologize about it afterwards. Those close to Backlund said security apologized to Backlund afterwards. Sorry, Bob. So, I mean, it sounds to me that Heyman's telling the truth here, Bex. I don't think he's lying on this one. For once. <laughs> I know it's a rarity. I think he's telling the truth. It seems that way, yes. And what, and what, and what, what about Backlund? I mean, come on. I always found it weird how, like, everyone acts like he lost his mind and became Mr. Backlund, but no one is really ever able to point to how or why that happened. Or if it's really just him working or what. I think it's him working. Because, I mean, you watched... Have you watched the shooting interview he did with Terry Funk? No, but I know of it. I mean, that... Terry, you know, sometimes in an interview, this is this is the real Bobby right here. This is the Bobby I knew in Amarillo. He's just so mild mannered, soft spoken, you know, all this stuff. But he talks about the in an interview that when he does the Mister Backlund character, he he changes. Hmm. So, I just think he's doing the character. And he's probably trying to figure out a way to get a payday here. Yes. So, and I mean, we did about Heyman. How about Heyman's excuse, okay, or, or his reasoning? I would have let it go if it was a match featuring veterans and main eventers. What? Well, why even say that? You know, just say th this type of actions would not be tolerated no matter who was wrestling. I mean, that, that made no sense to me. Yeah, why are you even going to qualify it? It's still bad. Yeah. I don't know. Stand with the torch. Sources. 
said that Heyman was furious with Boss Mahoney after the Poughkeepsie show after do- doing the job for Van Damme in the main event. Mahoney stood up almost immediately and cut a brief promo congratulating Van Damme. Once backstage, Heyman chewed out Mahoney for several minutes and said that threatened to fire him. Due to a messed up finish, Heyman reshot the match for TV the next night at the arena. <sighs> yeah, I mean, obviously there's something going on there, but who knows? Uh, Stamina Tour, Heyman did not address the issue of late paychecks, but wrestlers were told they would be receiving their re- regular schedule checks in Los Angeles. You fucking mark! Yeah, for those of you who listen to Patreon between the sheets, you know this is an ongoing storyline in ECW. Yes, where both of us keep yelling, You fucking mark! Yeah, pretty much. That's about the boys. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heels with Jerry's different from his match with Justin Crowell and Poughkeepsie last weekend. At one point, Tajiri gave Justin a stiff kick that resulted in a black eye, which Tajiri did apologize for afterwards. After Justin his finisher and pinned him, Tajiri stood up almost immediately and didn't sell the pinfall. Twice on the same show! Hmm. Also, several sources say during the match, Tajiri tried to hold down Justin for an unscheduled pinfall. What? The sources said the referee had to stop his count, which drew boost in the crowd. Others in ECW say that Tajiri did release the pin and tip at the two counts, and the incident was blown out of proportion. There is talk the ECW will air the match on next week's TNN show. Tajiri is getting a reputation for not selling for other wrestlers since his babyface turn. You believe this? Other than the errant kick? I mean, do you believe he was sandbagging? Here? No. So who's talking this shit, I wonder? Who would have a reason to? I don't know. Is there anyone who's Here, been but... aced out by his turn? That would be a torch source? I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Tommy Dream and Don Marie appeared at a convention in Las Vegas, Nevada, for Pioneer Video on the same night as the ECW Arena show. VSTA or something like that, I guess. Yeah, I guess. New Jack was backstage at the shows, but he's still ways away from being able to work. Uh, Torch, Sakosis, and Gorgeous George goes for the, but then I appeared at ECW Arena. Sakosis is claiming his original flight out of California was canceled. He said he caught a second flight, which was delayed in Detroit. It caused him to miss a show. Gordis George is claiming that she had a dental emergency that prevented her from appearing at ECW show. He said his management is looking to both stores, but both first to appear to pay-per-view. Did they? Gordis George did, not I think. Hmm. There was a story that wasn't in our week about George hmm. that people were saying, were thinking that Randy Savage had told her that she needed to ghost ECW. Well, let's continue with The Observer now. Uh, Dusty Rhodes missed the weekend due to an eye infection. At this point, he's not booked for the pay-per-view. Oh, here it is. How about that? It wasn't our week. The rumor going around the locker room is that George didn't appear because Randy Savage told her to stay in the wrestling business. Nowhere in the validity of that rumor, though. Well, there it is. Well, I mean, have they split up yet at this point? I think they... Ha- I don't think they have, but I don't think it's on good terms. Right. So, I think the rumor's bullshit. And we know it wasn't on good terms, so... Yeah. Luminous Warrior, who does an ultra warrior type gimmick from Texas, had a trial before the shows. Who was Luminous Warrior? Luminous Warrior. I vaguely remember that. Luminous Warrior. Luminous Warrior was also the uh, high risk. Oh, okay. It's the guy who worked Australia's high risk warrior. Okay. Not to be confused with icon John Zandig. And, well, he's a a Monster Factory guy, trained by Larry Sharp. Okay, that explains the confusion then, because was Zanding Monster Factory, or was he... I don't know. 
Still New Jersey. I don't even... Yeah. So you have two fake warriors hovering around New Jersey around the same time. Of course, they're going to get confused. This guy was also uh, Luminous the Magnificent and Warrior 2000 and Texas Warrior. Texas Warrior. Walker, Texas Warrior. What about Texas Scott? Texas Warrior <laughs> and Texas Scott. <laughs> I don't know. All right, the TNN show that aired during our wait on July 7th from Chicago opened with a few clips of matches taped for the Hardcore Syndicated show. They showed Gorgeous George, as in the blonde former WCW Valley at Randy Savage in the ring. And Francine gave her a good Singapore cane shot. They did the Styles Gertner open with Gertner doing his Lou poem before Cyrus came out and did his usual fun interplay. Gertner threatened Cyrus, but before anything could happen, Spike Dudley came out with his leg and a heavy cast. It's a heavy grace. Brace, I guess. Yeah, I guess brace. He was talking totally out of character, more Matt Heisen like than his character on the permanent acid trip. He blamed Cyrus and the network for getting super crazy deported. What a great job of shifting the blame that was. He threatened Cyrus when Rhino came out and threatened Spike. Pitbull Gary Wolf then came out. Rhino pinned him through a table and piled him off the apron through another table for the pin in 129. So Pitbull Gary Wolf showing up. There you go. All right. Uh, ECW had a most amazing sponsor. This is Dave on this one. They may have had it before and Dave didn't notice it. This is commercials with the teenage girl athletes telling young kids, don't blow it, regarding staying away from drugs that always airs on WF. And considering the portrayal of women in WF, Dave was surprised that it aired there. Although WF does so well in the teenage demos, it's another way a prime spot for the ad. Each demo, on the other hand, is the strangest show for that commercial to air, since their biggest baby faces are a guy who talks about pot smoking in Van Damme, and Sandman, whose gimmick, which he brings to reality in the ring a little too much, is that he's always drunk. And Raven, who may have cleaned himself up because he needed to, or he had no shake in WF, whose character portrayal is certainly not someone who doesn't love a good party. So they have teenage girls in the middle of a show where the audience is heavily male, and the role of women on the show, with no exception of jazz, are purely as sexual fantasy creatures telling people to stay away from drugs in a promotion which uses the fact that his top baby faces are party animal, animals and marketing drugs. Party animals. <laughs> Maybe I'm on some. I don't know. <laughs> ECW, everybody. <laughs> Sounds like the PSAs we were getting on Observer Live, too. Yeah? Baby, please tell me what's on my mind. My anti-drug is music. ECW should have just went full full force in this and had like our, Rob Van Dam do the, uh, like, there's no hope with dope Undertaker thing. Wouldn't that have been funny? <laughs> this is Rob Zakowski. Rob Van Dam was a character who uh, may enjoy a little uh, imbibing. <laughs> well, not imbibing. That's a different thing. Um, well, still. Anyway, where were we? Yeah, to, did you pin, yes. To Jerry Pin, Jerry and Lennon, 739 of a great TV match. These are probably the two best all around workers in the company have great chemistry together. Cyrus came out in Jerry's corner to give the idea Jerry had joined the network. Finish saw Tajiri blow the miss in Cyrus, put him in Tarantula. After the bump, Carino attacked Lynn, sending Tajiri for the win with her low drop kick. So the storyline got even more confusing in that you don't know when Lynn, where Lynn stands, but he does appear to be with the network. Incredible did a promo staring right at Francine's breast, which were sitting there on a table, saying it's the hottest thing he ever seen in his life. Another camera shot showed he was actually talking about the ECW title belt and not Francine's boobs. Dun, 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 dun. 
<laughs> uh, very quick three-way. Saw a diamond and a swing over Chris Chattianova and during a row kill. CW got his big TV push, trying to make him look a modern-day Arn Anderson, landing everyone in the match with a, le- with a left and giving Roadkill a spine bust before leaving. Diamond pin Nova first with a Simonizer, which is reverse DDT. Swinger pin Dorian to win the match with a DDT in 359. The team main events saw Justin Credible pin Sandman 714. Don Marie came out as a referee, but Justin Credible came there immediately. This show had a pretty decent Matt raunch factor with no digitizing or major editing. Credible took a lot of good bumps to carry it. Rep bump early. Sandman had him pinned, and Dusty Rose came in to count, but Francine stopped his count. Carino and Victory came in to sell for Dusty's elbows. Francine had a bunch of cane shots till Gorgeous George showed up making the save, having the cat fight, where her bruise nearly fell out of her dress. Sandman went for another pinfall, but H.C. Lote came in the ref. Scotty Anton attacked him. Raven attacked Anton, giving him the DDT, but Credible came Raven immediately. Raven and Anton fought to the back. Sandman hip-tossed Credible through a table, but Rhino then speared Sandman th- into the table and so Credible hitting Sandman with a spinning tombstone for the pin. Dreamer and Jazz came out. Dreamer laid out Rhino and Paul Joe Credible on barbed wire with Dr- Credible juicing. The best thing about this was an arena football game immediately after this ended, and they didn't promo the game as this show hit its climax. Uh, convoluted much on that, Bix? Good lord. When isn't it? I mean, let's have more people run out. Might as well. I'm shocked that Danny Daniels didn't run in as well. Yeah. <laughs> Prodigy, come on down. Tom Marquez. By the way, you know I mean, <laughs> is Danny the person who had the biggest role as an ECW on-screen character who no one remembers was in ECW? Uh, I don't know. That's kind of tough. Because I feel like people remember Loke as the babyface ref, but as the babyface hardcore ref, but not Danny as the heel hardcore ref. Well, Danny has done so much after that. That's why he, they, they forget that. Yes. Uh, the show did a point nine rating and a one point nine share. As usual. All right, we got a limited amount of uh, indie coverage here because the show's so big. So let's go to the K Town Showdown. Oh, so we are doing all one section. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna do all one section on July seventh. Wait, no, it's K Town SmackDown, isn't it? It's a K Town Showdown right here on July seventh. Which ran head to head with a free show put on by Terry Landell, no relation to Buddy, other than taking his working name, in the parking lot down the street from Chihuahua Park. But still drew the normal crowd about 700, while Landell's free show drew about 100. They tried an old style Texas death match with Dirty White Boy against Big Money Marcus, Mark Kyle, Killer Kyle, doing the Godfather gimmick, with a name based on Big Money Mark, which is an inside gimmick. Says promoter Ron Fuller was known for selling his territory for big profits to Money Mark. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> We've brought this up before. Where does this come from outside of David Woods? <laughs> it's it's one of those things that once it gets out there and, and it becomes a popular wrestling belief, that's what it is, Bix. I mean the only two the only people that Ron Fuller ever sold the territory to were David Woods and Jim Barnett, right? Yes. I don't get it. I I don't get where the story came from. Now, did other members of the family do stuff like that? Um, probably. I guess that's it. I, it. I think I even asked Bo once when he was on, and he couldn't figure out where that whole thing came from, that it was repeated so much over the years. Well, that's when those wrestling beliefs, Bix. I guess so. You know, when, once it's out there, it's, it's the gospel. Yes. Oh, and there was one, one more line about that match, though, after the parenthetical there. 
That's where I have um, the cursor. Anyway, they did eight falls. The fans didn't get into the falls. Hmm. By far, the best match on the show was Rico Constantino, Tracy Smothers, and Steve Armstrong over Robbie D, Russ McCullough, and Damager, who is now top face in OVW, but a heel here. Well, that's a match. Rico Constantino and the Southern Boys. <laughs> they did an angle where Jimmy Golden uh, faced the Mongolian Stomper, the famed Archie Golden, well into his 60s, which saw Golden put an object in Stomper's trunks, told the ref for the DQ. Promoter Ron Fuller said the match stunk, but because Golden won, he'd give him the promise $10,000. But at that point, Buddy Landell attacked Jimmy Golden and grabbed the check. And Bob Armstrong beat Jim Cornette in Lumberjack match the main event, which is setting up the next week where Cornette will face Bob Armstrong in a loose-leave town match. Oh, my God, they're bringing the bullet back. There was an angle they were working with Fuller and Landell. Cornette, who has major heat with Landell, stood back when he ran Smoky Mountain, and Landell was a major thorn in the side of Knoxville when he recognized Landell, when he recognized what they were doing was an angle, after being restrained by the police from chasing Landell before he knew it was an angle. We're talking about Terry, not Buddy, to be clear. Yes, Told Fuller that he, if he worked with Landell, Cornette would pull out all the OVW talent and WF talent from his shows. Fuller then dropped the angle. In retaliation, Landell on his local TV show aired handheld footage of the last WF <laughs> show in Knoxville and ran down Cornette and Fuller, not as an angle, and also ran the free show down the street from Fuller's event. Amazing. <laughs> so how long after this is the uh, whole car thing? Oh, it's got to be not too long. Uh, that's what I would think, yeah. Terry Landell, Jim Cornette. Well, I tell you. Uh, well, speaking of which. Ohio Valley Wrestling. July 11th at St. Teresa's Gym in Louisville. We have Derek King over Randy Orton in your opening match. Sure. Rob Conway with Rico Constantino. The Collector, Sylvester K. over Shelton Benjamin. Robbie D. over Mark Henry by disqualification. Disciples of Sin... Damian and Slash retained the Southern Tag Tiles, beating the Pain Thrillers, BJ Payne and Scotty Saber. And then we had a hardcore title match. Trailer Park Trash retained over Jack Black, not the actor. Is that Mr. And Black or someone else? It just says Jack Black, so probably Mr. Black. Yeah. And then Ohio Valley title match. Nick Densmore defeated Flash by disqualification, and Flash retained his title. Hmm. Fun-looking show here, and I haven't seen that much from 2000, but I guess... The Disciples of Sin versus Pain Thrillers feud is what transitions into BJ Payne replacing Slash in the Disciples of Sin. Yeah, because Scotty Saber joins WCW. Right. Scott Overholz. Yes. So yeah, there's that too. All right. Major City Wrestling. No, Memphis Championship Wrestling. Memphis Championship Wrestling. Excuse me. Excuse me. Because whatchamacallit, Music City's NWA worldwide by this point, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, this is Memphis Championship Wrestling. Uh, July 6th TV tape, June 21st in Memphis at the New Daisy Theater. Lance Russell, Kevin Kelly, your host. Steven Regal cut a promo claim he would make Jerry Lawler tap out on television. Before the opening montage aired, it's from The Torch. Pete Gass and Rodney, kicking ass like Rodney and Pete Gass, with Joey Ass beat the Kingpins. K-Crush, Ron Killings beat Lance K with a top rope leg drop. Afterward, the fan, quote-unquote, jumped Kate again, whatever that is. Spanky and the fabulous Rocker, who are storyline brothers, argued over who would win the lightweight title tournament, which featured fabulous Rocker beating Spanky to win the Power Pro lightweight title when America Dragon interfered. So this is during the interpromotional era. Yes. Lance K cut a promo next. Then Reckless Youth beat Ronnie James, not Ronnie James Dio, by using Rose for leverage. 
Curtis Hughes beat Biddy Little with a sidewalk slam. Hughes is still holding Hollywood Little captive. Well, shouldn't it be East Hollywood Little to escape? Because Mr. Hughes is always sleeping all the time, so she can get, get out of there. Outside the building, Bull Payne told Alkeholic they doesn't know what to think of Todd Morton anymore. Alkeholic. The referee uh, Alkeholic. Yes. Uh, Steven Regal with Lady Ophelia. Bex. Holly Holly. Yep. Beat Jerry Lawler with the cat to win the Power Pro Southern title. Late in the match, Viscera ran out and attacked Lawler. K-Crush ran out and helped Viscera grab the cat while Regal locked in the SDF on Lawler. The heels ordered Lawler to submit the SDF and instead of grabbing the rose, which he could have done, or said they would hurt the cat, Lawler tapped out as instructed. Said it before, show for show, unique mix of talent, just kind of different kind of vibe to it. Memphis Championship Wrestling is my favorite WWF developmental promotion. Yeah, at, at, at that time. Ohio Valley would, would get better as they went along. I mean, 2001 Ohio Valley is as you know, stout as it gets in my mind. But, sure, uh, but you can't really beat Lance Russell calling Brian and Danielson matches, can you? I mean, no. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a hell of a thing. Yes, and I think we're still in the era where... Uh, Bull Payne and friends are angry that the company is no longer kick-ass wrestling, and they are team KAW. Yeah. All right, uh, we close out this with Rep Pro Wrestling. They ran a show in Anaheim on July the 6th. No venue listed. We had Matt Sinister over Anthony Hart, Buddy George and Ryzen Son over Gallinero and Kid Chrome, Disco Machine over Excalibur. Mr. Excitement over Donovan Morgan down south here. And then our main event, Super Dragon of our dear friend Ultra Taro Jr. Is this the one we had the tape of, or is that the not, is that a match from 99 as far as Dragon Taro? I think it might be this one. Uh, it's possible. Hell of a match, if I remember right. Well, yes. To be expected from these guys. Well, but Retro also... We weren't getting a lot of it on tape in that era, though. Well, yeah. We had to rely on James Cobo's uh, novel long show reports at the Death Valley Driver Forum. <laughs> yeah, Repro was a uh, a treat. You know, you would get it every so often. I mean, Ron Rivera was sometimes sell the stuff because, hell, he worked shows. Well, wasn't Repro his promotion? Yeah, <laughs> there's that, too. <laughs> But I think we're also in the era of, of Ron Rivera getting out of the tape selling business, too. Yeah. Which is a whole other story that we should, probably should not get into for legal reasons. <laughs> All right, let's close that with the World Wrestling Federation. Dr. Pepper and 7-Up, Dr. Pepper 7-Up Inc., excuse me, on July 11th announced it was the latest major heavyweight advertiser pulling out of the WF programming, and for that matter, all advertising of pro wrestling. Since WF has toned the show down greatly and companies keep bailing, it once again shows how poor WF handled the controversy by turning it into a feud. It does take a genius to see how the Stephen Richards character, which Dave actually finds kind of funny, and the way they announced the portrayal on television, is only going to make the PTC work harder at getting sponsors to bail. Back last year, the WF should have worked out a compromise, saying they'll get rid of this, this, and this. All things they can get rid of without hurting the product in the least. Kept the ones they probably needed. 
or at least tone them down and try not to make a difference of opinion into personal antagonism. Fact is, when SmackDown toned down, its ratings went up. So after the first round of controversy, everyone won. And should have all ended at that point, except it was made into a personal issue. Well, that wouldn't fit the McMahon never back down publicly aura. It is that you want to fight, come get some WF attitude trademark that has probably as much as, uh, if not more, the content itself. There's certainly more content today in the toned down version of the show that keeps this story alive. Instead of doing what the smart thing to do, once a heavyweight like Coca Cola pulled out, because as anyone who's followed UFC controversy knows, there's a domino effect in these things, and logic isn't what enters into the fray. They've made the situation worse. Dave wants to make clear his thoughts on this. The WF was, sitting, was a sitting duck for this with the raunchy television programming they were presenting through last fall, combined with such young, skewing demographics, particularly in the 11 and underage group. That product mix only got sleazy after the first warning when Wrigley's, which is another major heavyweight advertiser, pulled out in early 1999. And that had nothing to do with the PTC. Coco's pulling out also may have had nothing to do with the PTC either, but certainly did wonders for them gaining momentum with others when the Coke thing got national publicity and created national awareness of the data product mix at the time and made that product mix into a major media story. Sensing trouble and with stock prices falling, the WF toned down SmackDown. They had no other choice. But they also started attacking not only Coca-Cola, which was so unbelievably stupid, but trying to act like it was a one-man vendetta by El Brett Bozell, the PTC, and running a, smilly, a silly smear piece on him. While Dave doesn't share Bozell's beliefs, if last year when all this went down, you read point by point, throwing out the inflammatory remarks, Bozell's points to WF counters, WF was the more dishonest, and Bozell's arguments generally were stronger, yes, some of his points were stupid. And there are major contradictions on both sides. Many wrestling fans grow to hate the anti-wrestling people without realizing if wrestling gives them the ammunition to get things done negatively towards wrestling, particularly when anyone can see how these things are going down, they should also question why the people are running wrestling, making the decisions that give their enemies such strong ammunition. Any company, particularly one publicly traded, would have nipped all this in the bud the minute Coca-Cola pulled out. By making this into a personal vendetta, it only served to cause his enemies, in this case the PTC, to work harder on their project. At this point, SmackDown's pretty tame, but it's now become like UFC where injuries aren't severe. There are plenty of rules in place, but all logic arguments don't work in the real world. And to this day, they still can't get their baby shows on cable and have fallen from WF level buy rates to obscurity because of it. Dave actually found the Stephen Richards character really funny, but the minute he came out, he knew it was absolutely the stupidest thing they could do. It only took two weeks before the evidence was in when another heavyweight pulled out because no doubt having this character only made the people that Dove was trying to mock with the character work harder on what, through the fault of both sides, has become on both sides a personal vendetta. I mean, I, here's the thing. WBF was their most successful when they were at their raunchiest. You agree with that? As far as the business. I think we can agree with that, right? 2000 did better than 99 did, though. Yeah, but we're in 2000 right now, halfway through. Sure. So. But they'd already been toning down. Yeah, but they're doing more. I mean, it's becoming more of a thing right now. But when you look at television ratings, that's what I'm talking about. You know, the TV ratings were not what they were in 1999. No. Still great. Still outstanding, yes. Yeah, they weren't what they were in 1999. So that's the thing. The people that they were aiming for 
wanted to see this problem. And what's the, what's the whole argument that we we've heard all these uh, well all the years, you know, now going over fifteen years now, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the WWE, WWE, you know, going PG has made them this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Yes, their TV is not what it was. Absolutely. Although not all of that is the PG stuff, in part because PG can mean whatever they want it to mean. Yeah, but part of the reason why they that they started getting back in the good graces of the advertisers in corporate America again is because they toned down their product. Well, Mattel allegedly insisted on it, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they were the linchpin. And then look what look what's happened since. Yeah. Do you think if WWE put a product out today that was <laughs> raunchy, so to speak, that they would be in the position with corporate America that they are they're in right now? No. Absolutely not. I mean, NXT is pretty much the raunchiest of their wrestling shows. But even then, it's still nowhere near the Attitude Era. Not even close. Yeah. NXT is just weird, though, because it's also, it's the, it's the show that has the most TNA, TNA-style presentation, but when you have the women who were signed with prior wrestling experience, they're still more or less presented seriously. Yeah. It's like a, it's a weird hybrid. But... I mean, it it took it took a minute, but I mean, th- this is when I mean they the advertisers got scared of WWF, you know. I mean, and they pulled out. Yes, but also then there was a lot of bullshit in what the PTC was saying, which is why they were able to sue the PTC and get a settlement that included a public apology. Yeah. As I pull up the Fighting Spirit article I wrote in, when was this? El Brimpozo was he became kind of a big deal at this point in time. He was a talking head, and he got he definitely had his name out there. Well, remember what the big thing that becomes an issue too is uh, Joe Lieberman is on the PTC board. Yes, who's running for vice president of the United States? Well, at this point, he's technically running for president, right? In July two thousand, did he have? No. Did he not have his own campaign? He's on. Well, he, no, at this point, he's. I think he's with Gore about by or, or about to be with Gore. Well, there hadn't been a convention yet. I don't know if he would have pulled out, but he did have his own campaign earlier in the cycle, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was chose August seventh. Okay. So we're a month away. Yes. So the <laughs> I'm looking at the short list of of, of vice presidential candidates. Yeah. Oh, this is a this is a something else. Uh, Evan Bayh. Okay. John Edwards, Dick Gephardt, John Kerry, Joe Lieberman, and Gene Shaheen. Huh. What a crew. I guess since we haven't mentioned it yet, we should probably point out that uh, Brent Bozell Sr. Oh, no, excuse me, Brent Bozell Jr., because this is Brent Bozell III, uh, was one of Joe McCarthy's speechwriters. Does it surprise you? No. Looking for them damn commies, Binks. <laughs> Oh, God, I forgot about the quote-unquote threatening letter, as they refer to it, that Vince sent them in October 99. Yeah, I mean, they were, they, were, they were a bunch of bitches, you know? But. <laughs> and they made stuff up, like, about the wrestling deaths and 
about content and uh, yeah. like what was it that Lionel Tate used the Stone Cold Stunner to kill Tiffany Eunuch was one of them too. And that was a thing too. And I remember I, talking to people at the time that were actually employed by WWF. Um, that the Lionel Tate thing was one thing that Vince just got incensed about. And you know what? Rightfully so, because. As I'm refreshing my memory reading this Fighting Spirit article I did for in uh, – it was November 2014, so it was the 15th anniversary of the lawsuit being filed. Um, I think that's what it was. The only reference to wrestling in the early part of the case is that he referred to the way he grabbed Tiffany Eunuch as a bear hug. But that's not exclusively a wrestling term either. No. The wrestling defense is something his lawyer came up with after the fact that had nothing to do with what happened. Yeah. So. Youngest uh, person ever to receive life without parole, at least up to that point in time. But, I mean, th this is, you know, you can see where these advertisers would would just become suckers to this, you know, this guy, this kid killed a kid with a wrestling move. You know, turned out he didn't use a breath. I know, move, but, or, but but still, you know, it was out there as that. Yes, and also uh, elaborate on the advertiser situation a little bit. Reading from my article, uh, when Coca Cola pulled out at the end of November '99, uh, its move came on the heels of several branches of the U.S. military pulling their own spots. In short order, AT and T, M and M, Mars, and Wrigley all abandoned ship too. Well, Vince McMahon initially branded Coca-Cola's actions as, quote-unquote, discriminatory, hypocritical, and a front to free speech. Uh, just days after, excuse me, just days later, WWF spokesman Jim Byrne declared that the company was, quote, willing to initiate change, end quote, and promised less, quote, you, excuse me, promised, quote, less use of colorful language and less sexuality, end quote. That's when the show went from TV 14 to TV PG, and Raw was also toned down as well, but still TV 14. Yeah, so that's how all that actually went down at the time, um, and and when Coca Cola pulled out, Jim Byrne did brag that their ad inventory was quote immediately snapped up by the movie studios and video game manufacturers at a premium, <laughs> which I guess is the be I mean not necessarily for video games, but is the beginning of no, it's the beginning though of new of movies constantly advertising on Raw though I guess, yeah. Which is a great partnership for him because, I mean, it's a good tie-in. Well, and then especially SmackDown, it's a Thursday show, Thursday night. Yeah. Thursday yeah. night's the biggest night of the week because of movies. Mm-hmm. Because that's the most valuable ad space to get people to movies for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the torch here. Vince McMahon has been more hands-on backstage at TV events than he is preoccupied with his own on-air material. The writers have a rough idea of what they're going to do on SmackDown, but much of the actual scripting and final details are decided after reviewing how everything came across on Raw. The writing staff accepts comments and suggestions from other wrestlers and WWE personnel, plus reviews fan reaction and certain writers' feedback on the internet. Hmm. I doubt that happens that way now. No. <laughs> Did you see there was a Twitter th uh, thread a few weeks ago where um, I shared the Stephanie 9-11 video again? And Seth Mates quote tweeted it with something saying something to the effect of, "Imagine being the uh, person at, w at WWE who had to gather all the fan feedback the day after this aired." 
Yeah. Basically, what he did was he was tactful but honest and gave one hard copy to his direct superior instead of emailing it to everyone. Yeah. Smart move on Seth's part, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, since I think he stayed there for a while and ended up on the creative team, didn't he? Yeah, he he was on there. Yeah, so... Especially since he was pretty young, I think, too. Very politically savvy handling of that on his part. Oh, absolutely. All right, uh, SmackDown on July the 6th. Let's talk about that. Kurt, and we go back to the torch for this. Kurt Angle beat Chris Jericho. Late in the match, Stephen McMahon Helmsley ran out and low-blow Jericho. Angle followed up with the Olympic Slam for the pinfall. Backstage, Angle celebrated in his own way. So let's go to Kurt Angle's celebration. Look behind you. Lydian, tell me this is your fight. Please tell me this is your Dude, I hate to break it to you. That's Taker, Scooter Man. I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> Why is his bike just sitting there behind the catering table? In the middle because of nowhere? It was supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> Lawler's face. Michael Holes. Michael Cole's frosted it. Kurt what? Angle just poured milk all over the Undertaker's motorcycle. I know Kurt milk does a body good, but I don't think it applies to motorcycles, especially not the Undertaker. Really, the Undertaker was in a foul mood Monday night on Raw. Wait till he checks out his motorcycle. Oh my lord! Taxi, oh. hey, ho! Hold up! Oh, ho, ho, ho! Oh! Hey, convenient taxi showed up. Oh, it's a security well, guard just... reporting for her shift, I guess. Yeah. King Kurt, Kurt Angle's getting out of Dodge. I, I think that's maybe the wisest thing that Kurt can do right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, Kurt. <sighs> this is his breakout time period right here, though. So, yeah, he's... Yeah. All right, so Foley came to the ring for a promo call for either Shane McMahon or Chris Wall to come out to explain their actions. Explain their actions? Yes. Benoit came out, fully demanded to know why Chris injured China and attacked Rock on Raw. Benoit said he has no remorse or compassion. Obviously. Uh, Benoit, oh. asked, <laughs> Benoit asked fully for a Dayatana match against Rock, Edge, and Christian. Excuse me. Benoit asked for a, a Dayatana match against The Rock, period. Edge and Christian walked to the ring and put over Benoit's a fellow Canadian. Foley announced that uh, Benoit and Christian would wrestle China, Eddie, and Rock in the main event. Backstage, Triple H arrived and told the waiting Steph not to worry about where he'd been. He got mad at Steph for assisting Kurt Angle earlier. Hmm, wonder where he's been. The Dudleys beat D'Lo Brown and Chaz. During the match, Steven Richards walked out and stole a toe from the Dudleys. In the end, the Dudleys hit a 3D on Chaz and scored the pin. Backstage, Kevin Kelly interviewed Steven Richards. A shot aired of Zach Thomas and the Miami Dolphins sitting in the crowd, which is funny because Vince has the XFL getting hot and heavy now. Backstage, Triple H demanded that Foley give him a match against Jericho. Foley said that he makes the matches and insisted that Triple H win an elimination match in order to get Jericho in the ring. 
Jackie and Ivory beat Dean Malenko when Crash Holly interfered. Yeah, Dean Malenko's already here, folks. Yes, pervert uh, Dean Malenko, to be clear. Yes. Val Venus beat Rikishi to win the WF Intercontinental title. Late in the match, Taz snuck in, hit Rikishi with a TV camera. Val followed up with a money shot for the win. Just a random mid-card Intercontinental title change. But they had a good feud. Uh, yeah, I just I don't remember none of it. Steve Blackman beat the boss man when Al Snow interfered. And next, we get The Undertaker finding out what happened to his motorcycle, thanks to Midian, BSK uh, member in standing. So let's go to that, shall we? Look at this, King! Oh, no. Uh-oh. Are you back through here celebrating something? I said, watch out behind you. Undertaker's motorcycle is there. He started throwing stuff all over the place. I said, Kurt, stop it. You're trashing his bike. No, you didn't. He wouldn't listen to me. He just went crazy. Dude, I, I, I came and got you, man. Don't shoot the messenger, man. You know. Oh. I'm just surprised they didn't shoot it to make Undertaker look taller. Yeah? Yeah, there is that. Because for about 99% of that, they look like they're the same height. Mm-hmm. Undertaker K beat TNA with Trish Stratus. In the end, Kane chose Sam Albert and scored the pinfall. Kayatai and the Brooklyn Brawler beat Triple H in an elimination match. After Triple H beat all the members of Kayatai, Jericho ran out and attacked him. Moments later, Brawler scored the pinfall. Afterwards, Jericho walked backstage and told Triple H's limo driver to leave. Backstage, Kevin Kelly interviewed China and Eddie. Also backstage, Coach interviewed The Rock. Which led to Rock and China with Eddie Guerrero beating Chris Benoit, Edge and Christian. In the end, China powerbomb Christian scored the pinfall. After the match, Shane ran in and lured Rock in to chase him outside the ring, where Benoit grabbed him and locked him in the crippled crossface to close the show. Smackdown. Yeah, that's also a good reminder of just how uneventful Smackdown could be in this era. Yeah. Uh, the show drew a 4.35 rating, though, an 8.0 share. 8 even share? Yeah, even though the networks were in rerun programming and Smackdown's first run, the show is showing a noticeable decline over the past few weeks because the share is showing a drop. And that eliminates blaming the drop on fewer people watch TV because it's summer. So eight share was a drop. Huh. <laughs> and and drop noticeable enough for Dave to talk about it. Huh. All right, Raw. Raw on July 10th, just uh, 13733 paying 408 287 to the San Jose Arena. Is Dave there Same. or no? No. Don't think so. He didn't say he's there. At the Shark Tank. Okay. Benoit Shane came out and they pushed hard that Foley wasn't there and was in Southeast Asia. Well, Dave's doing Niata this time, so yeah, he's not there. Right, because he would be in San Francisco until 8 o'clock Eastern anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Rock came out to set up their match. Eddie and China ended up running out, running out, and China hit Shane with a chair while Benoit left untouched. China was wearing a lot more clothing than usual, which may be toning down content due to advertisers getting squeamish. TNA won a three-way over two. Huh? Go ahead. I was just going to say, is she? Well, go to, let's go to it. Let's, I mean, you know, no, we don't have to watch the whole thing. Well, no, but... just see what she's at. Just see where she's at. Just find her. Yeah. Find her while I'm reading. Let's just do it that way. Yeah. All right. T- TNA won a three-way over two cool in the Hardys. First, Jeff used a swanton on test. But the Albert gave him. <laughs> That's what it says. The Albert gave him the neck-hanging tree slam. And test got the pin eliminating them. All right, let's see what we got here. She's wearing her usual 
bottom sure, sure. half, but a shirt. Yeah, a tied-off shirt T-shirt. So yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's covering her chest basically. Yeah. So yeah. Also, uh, go ahead. Holy shit! Does Benoit look smaller than he would later, despite looking monstrously roided up? Yes. We do not talk enough about just how much bigger he gets while he's in WWE. Oh, it's, he's gigantic. His up, his upper body is huge. I feel like in real time it wasn't as noticeable because he was he was more proportional when he got bigger. Whereas before he got, I'm guessing what happened was it was before he got on growth hormone. He was more like, you know, like people used to say, Little Road Warrior Hawk with the huge traps and shoulders and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he looked more symmetrical when he was bigger. So it kind of hit it at first, but yeah. he looks much different as time goes on. Yeah. All right, Tess eliminated them. This guy too hot. He went for the worm, but Tess came out and choked him out, allowing Tess to pin him after no belt at the top in a good match. Jericho beat the road dog in 509 when a lion saw that looked particularly dangerous since Jericho's knee caught dog in the face. Triple H, obsessed with Jericho, threw a fit backstage. He shoved road dog down and X-Pac acted as a peacemaker. Undertaker came out and challenged Angle. Undertaker's might work was bad, but he can get away with it because he's such an icon. Still, this segment was dragging before Angle came out. And Angle's might work was well below his standards, so it dragged when he came out as well. Great. Angle... Angle was funny in saying that they couldn't wait such a great match for a city like San Jose and suggested it for the pay-per-view instead. He also said he didn't know if anyone actually wanted to see them wrestle. That must have been a, some funny inside rib because on paper, the match isn't going to be pretty. It will be kept short and the jerk of Triple H Benoit Rock put on time. Angle told the Undertaker to clean up his image and came out with this lame motor scooter for him to use the, the bike. Undertaker chased him, but Angle escaped which was no surprise given the respective foot speed of the two. Undertaker knocked the scooter off the ramp. Then we get a three-way for the IC title, which saw Valvius get DQ for hitting Rikishi with the belt in 542. Kane was the third man in the match. Very little heat for the Rikishi-Venus feud, and Kane was thrown in for no reason. And next we get Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley, and she has a proposition for one Chris Jericho. So let's go to that, shall we? Oh, dear. WWF New York. Saturday. Well, that's one way of putting it, I guess. 
Jericho. Uh-oh. Y2J. I have a proposition for you. She sounds like a different human. Well, yeah. She's young, but I got I get you. Yes. One of the all-time great Dave Meltzer lines, was it an t- early Twitter thing, or was it... I don't remember where it was, but someone asked him, or was it like... Oh, oh was he doing Observer website mailbags very briefly at one point, where he would respond? I think it was, that was it. Someone asked, like, why has Stephanie McMahon's voice changed? Is it, pop- is it possibly a complication from her breast implants? And Dave's response, I think, was just something like, it's not her breast implants. <laughs> A what? Proposition? Why don't you, um, come down to this ring and... Well, let's make up. Make up? I promise you I'll make it worth your while. Now, she's a married woman. What is... Oh, but look at those lips. Now, I know that Chris has said (laughs) some some not very nice things about me. Horrible. But I know that he didn't mean them. He didn't? And I've also said and, well, done some things that that I'm not very proud of. Wow. But I have a secret. What is it? Now, Hunter might get a little bit jealous about this, but uh, at King of the Ring, Uh when you laid that big old kiss on me. What? I kind of liked it. She kind of liked it. Well, I never. I can't believe. And I think you liked it too. Oh, sure, he liked it. What is going on? So before this whole thing blows up with Triple H and and you, Chris, and me, let's let's put the past behind us. Let's be friends. Now there's an offer you can't refuse. So pucker up, Chris. Pucker up. And let's. Makeup. He's on the Titantron. Um, I just wanted to note, it is bizarre to watch an in-ring promo from the, you know, the era of Raw once they started having the stage and Titantron set up, where the promo is not into the hard cam at all. Yeah. It's, it's nice, but it's weird to look back and also no edits while she's talking. Yeah. What's the live show? No, but I mean, no no cuts or anything. Well, that's something that Kevin Dunn has really started doing heavily more in recent years. Right. There he is! Stephanie, I'm absolutely ecstatic that you feel that way. I mean, I've been thinking about nothing but that wonderful, wonderful kiss for the last two weeks. Speaking of people who sound like different humans. Oh, my God, and, lo- and totally looking different. Well, I, it, it's... 22 years ago. I know, but still. He sounds completely different, though. Mm-hmm. Some of it's just that he has the stronger Canadian accent, because he hasn't been living in the yeah. States that long. But There is that, too. It's thrown my life absolutely upside down. To be honest, I've been waiting. I've been pining for the day when I get to taste the wine of your ruby-colored, rose-colored lips once again. I mean, I want to take your shapely curvaceous, pulchritudinous female form and hold it next to mine and squeeze for everything (laughs) I've got. And now my dreams are coming true again. What the heck? My heart is racing. My blood is pumping. And I'm coming out there 
Provided I don't embarrass myself, I'm gonna give you the biggest smooch you have ever, ever had in your entire life. Uh, so for the record, when he said, provided I don't embarrass myself, he looked down at his groin. <laughs> so yes. I believe the suggestion was, provided I do not get visibly aroused in the middle of the arena. <laughs> Well, Dave knows that he seemed intrigued by the idea. <laughs> Attitude error, everybody. I'm coming right out, Sugar Muffin. You wait right there for me. The biggest... He's, what in the heck is going on? He's going to plant a big wet one on those puckered lips of Stephanie? I don't... Well, who wouldn't want to, but... I don't get this. Why should he get to do that? Well, I guess we're going to find out. Here comes Jericho. I don't understand. Jericho's already been out here once tonight, and... J says he's. I just don't understand this, people. I'm confused. With, with what's going on? Well, let's well, not. Wait, wait a minute. Let's not cheer. It's a trap. This is a trap. That's all this was. Was a trap. There's Road Dog and. They were lying in wait, wait, Jericho, but where's Jericho? Hello? Look up there, Triple H. This is a damn trap. Seriously, that was the most pathetic attempt at an ambush I've ever seen in my entire life. Orchestrated by Triple H, the biggest jackass I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, that plan was as painfully obvious as the fact that Stephanie McMahon Helmsley is nothing more than oh, no. a filthy, dirty, disgusting, brutal, skanky, bottom-feeding trash bag hoe. And... A rancid, reeking, foul-smelling, stinking piece of roadkill. Oh, no! Triple H, I know why you're so miserable. Because you have to live with the fact that Y2J got more action from a 10-second kiss with your wife than you've gotten from her in the entire 10 months that you've been together. Wow! Oh, my gosh. Man! Ken? Well, that fully loaded trip... If you want action, Y2J <laughs> is going to give you all of the action you can handle, Jerky. Because now, you're still the game. But I have become the hunter. What? The hunter? This is Jericho one up on, on oh, the look game. Out, look out, look out. Jericho going to snap. Tonight might not be the night. But Jericho, mark my words. Mark my words. Fully loaded. Your ass is mine! Triple H is losing it. He's losing it. Thanks to Chris Jericho. Triple H is losing it, King. You gotta admit that wasn't a very good plan. Triple H thought that was foolproof. Triple H is losing it. He must have been so pissed that Jericho called him Trip. <laughs> Dave, I don't know why I find it so funny when he called Triple H Trip. <laughs> and Dave noted that it's Monday, not Thursday, so you can call Stephanie a hoe. Huh. Um, I mean, this is like the first, the early days of the, tri the Triple H Jericho's things. Although this kind of gets dropped, and it's not until the later one where we get the full Jericho burial on, with from Triple H. But uh, mm. I mean. You look at it here, I mean, Jericho's getting over on him in yeah. that way, so there's that. But Yeah, of course. The the actual best Jericho Triple H story is the one from Jericho's uh, second book, where 
uh, Hunter had been like, yeah, yeah, if, if you ever need anything, just call. And Jargo called him to ask for directions to the B arena because he hadn't been there before. And uh, Paul responded, get a map. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Hilarious. That is funny. Oh, man. All right. Um, Andrew Christian interview about the Tag Title match with the Ike Alliance. Christian said he had the sniffles that couldn't wrestle. If you think about it, him getting away with that makes the WF look really lame. And by the way, since it's Edge. 2000, they're not Edge and Christian. They are the team of Edge and Christian. Yes. Uh, Edge pinned Bradshaw to singles match at three minutes. Christian tried to interfere, but Bradshaw laid the hell out of him. Edge got the ring bell. Christian dropped and hit Bradshaw with it for the pin. Lita beat Trish Stratus in a street fight in 82 seconds. Fans were really into Lita. She did a moonsault and took Trish's top off. Steven Richards came out to censor it, seeing Stratus in her bra, and stopped the match. When Richards came out, there was an anti-PTC sign in the crowd that the camera zoomed in on. Naturally. Rhodes thought pretending to leave because he was mad about a Triple H versus X-Pop match. They wrestled for a few minutes before Jericho came out and attacked Triple H, but it was a trap. They all attacked Jericho, and Dog came back with a sledgehammer. Stephanie slapped him. This was a big-time attempt at a heat angle with several sledgehammer shots. Jericho coughed up blood and eventually went out in the ambulance with his head covered in the proverbial crimson mask. So they got his revenge after all. And then Benoit on the Rock ended with Shane attacking Earl Hebner and taking over as the referee. Benoit got the cross face on. Rob put his hand down, reached for the ropes, and punched the match twice. Shane took it as a tap for the win at 456. Hebner got up, reversed the decision for Shane's interference. Rock did get up to deliver Rock bottom to another rep, but this way sold the hell out of his neck to get over Benoit's crossface as a threat. This, I believe, was the least of the Benoit Rock matches. Well, at least he sold. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, man. Uh, TN then edited off the show the sledgehammer and blood aspects of the Jericho angle on the uh, July 10th Raw show. But not calling Shock. her a hoe. Well, no. All right, uh, Ratings. As far as any bump from doing the big angle at Bash of the Beach, WCW got none. On July 10th, Raw drew a 6.03 rating, 5.17 first hour, 6.79 second hour, and a 9.8 share. Nitro did a 2.58 rating, 3.07 first hour, 2.14 second hour, 4.4 share. The total wrestling viewing audience of 8.6 million was the lowest, except for the holiday week, the previous week in several years. Think about that. 8.6 was the lowest non-holiday week in several years. Nice work if you can get it. And everybody brags today about, uh, you know, uh, a a 2.0 rating and stuff like that. Well, 2.0 2. is a lot higher than people are praying about these days. I know, but I'm talking about you know, SmackDown or Raw, you know, Raw getting close to 2. Oh, you mean 2 million, like, 2 million viewers. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, 2, uh, 2.0 ratings. That's what I'm talking about, the, the point .0s. Yeah, but we don't see those anymore. We only see those for the demo now. Well, you know, well, Dave's, Dave doesn't have the demo stuff in this back then. I know, so. but I'm saying, so the whatchamacallit, the overall rating would be even lower. Yeah. The Rob Benoit main event drew a 6.77 final quarter and a 7.37 overrun. 
which is good for Benoit because those numbers are slightly above normal. Although one good question, given the way the pay-per-view main event on Raw list two weeks before the show. There is that. Nitro's four-way main event with Jarrett, Canyon, Goldberg, and Scott Steiner drew a 2.54 rating on the overrun. Raw also got a very strong unopposed 7.08 quarter from Lita and Trish and Triple H next spot with the Jericho attack. For the head-to-head quarters, Raw did a 4.56 for the Benoit, Shane, and Rock interview to a 2.36 with Cat, Nitro, Canyon, and Jarrett. Raw did a 4.98 for Two Cool TNA and the Hardys against Nitro's 2.24, Vito, Smiley, and Ralphus. Raw did a 5.1 with Dog and Jericho against a 2.0 on Nitro, Storm versus Artist, Chronic versus MIA. Raw did a 5.67, The Undertaker, Angle Angle, and Venus Rikishi came to a 1.74 Vampiro Demon Angle. Holy shit. Wow. But, I mean, this is crazy. And, and, and I mean, and, here, and here's the weekend ratings. Let's talk about this. For the weekend of July 8th to the 9th, Livewire did a 1.3. Four highest rated show on station that day. Superstars did a 1.5. Second highest on the station. Heat did a 2.77, the highest rating on their station. WCW Saturday morning did a second straight .08, which is the lowest rated show on TPS, between 11 a.m. and 2.30 a.m. the next day. And the second lowest during the period from 8 a.m. to 2.30 a.m. So it's not drawing competitive numbers. Oof. Oof. Yeah, that's not good. Not good at all. All right, SmackDown tapings on July 11th in Oakland. You will sell out a 14823 Before the taping started, prototype John Cena, S-E-N-A, Beat Damian Steele, kind of, a spinning back suplex in 4.36. 4.36. 436. Yes. Prototype also was a featured guy about the same time on Discovery Channel special. Match is really bad, but Prototype showed a ton of charisma, and he's going to make it someday. He sure is. And also, Rodney and Pete, Rodney and Joey Abs beat the Ducks when Pete Gass interfered in 508. The dubs are big guys who can move, but at this point, they aren't that good. So this would be uh, Otto Schwanz and Mike Maverick. Yes. But yeah, that John Cena, he's going to make it someday, Biggs. Yeah. Sounds about right. Anaheim on July 8th, just sold a 14,887 paying 457.644. Sacramento on July 9th, drew a near sell of 14,822 paying 428.81. Merchandise for the arenas for the week. Was four hundred seventeen thousand seven hundred two at seven seventy four ahead. Not bad. No. Now Undertaker suffered a minor injury at Hyper Extended Elbow at the Sunday House Show. He continues to be slowed by a number of nagging injuries. His presence in the locker room is said to be already positive, though, on the younger wrestlers. He is a quiet leader who leads by example, but when he does speak, whoever he's talking to listens. Chris Jericho came out of his Sunday House Show match against Chris Benoit roughed up. Observers say it appeared to be more of a case of Jericho running to Benoit than Benoit being stiff with him. Torch asked one WF wrestler if he thought any more moves should be banned for safety reasons. His reply, everything in Chris Jericho's offense. (laughs) I wonder who that wrestler was. Was he wearing a Kangol hat and a lot of denim? (laughs) Some notes from the Anaheim show. Everything in Jericho's offense. (laughs) 
Dean Malenko beat Perry Saturn in a match described as excellent old style, but the fans didn't get into it, and they were boring chants. Part of the problem is you got two guys that are heels against each other, and part is because Saturn really hasn't been pushed as having much of a discernible personality of late. Oh, just you wait. Rikishi beat Valvinas in an IC title match with a low-blow finish. Then he put the stink face on Trish after the match. Benoit won a three-way over Jericho and Angle when Triple H hit Jericho with a chair, leading Benoit winning with the crossface. Undertaker and Kane beat Bossman and Buchanan. They're still teaming? In what was called the best match, Edge and Christian went over two cool in the Hardys. Main event was Rock over Triple H. Both Benoit and Jericho interfered in the main event as a way to get them over as headliners. Leaning the near falls. That'd be a great show with a strong, real strong crowd reaction to the tag title match. Robert Triple H was ex-fucking road dog wins over, win over Dudley's. For Sacramento, did the same. Raw Triple H match on top. Jericho interfered first. Triple H kicked out the pin. Then Benoit interfered. And Triple H got the pin. The second ref told the first ref by the interference. The match restarted with Rock using the Rock bottom. All right, uh, let's go to some other things here. Steve Austin said be much better condition, particularly his thighs. Said to be stronger than he'd been in years, which is an indication that he's been training very intensely with his fiance Deborah Marshall. It won't be until late August till he gets evaluated as to when and if and how much he'll be able to do as far as resuming his career. We told WF is that he wants to return and do as much as he can, but he won't return if he has to live off his name and be like Hulk Hogan. If he can't wrestle, he'll have plenty of acting opportunities as he's the person possibly the most demand as part of a Viacom CBS deal or potential TV acting work, including a possible spinoff series of the Jake Cage character he played on several episodes of Nash Bridges over the past two seasons. And we talked about that the last time we talked about the, you know him doing that show. It is crazy how he did not get his own show. Yeah, well... Me, at least. Let's go to the Night Ritter Tribune news service during our week for an article by Gail Sh- uh, Schister. Schister? Chance, quote-unquote, very good for wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin show. Pasadena, California. Holy body slam. World Wrestling Federation star Stone Cold Steve Austin may get his own network series next season. WWF Entertainment reps are in discussion with CBS King Finn Liz Moonves about co-producing, or producing, a Stone Cold Action Venture series for the Eye, said WWF Entertainment President Linda McMahon in an interview during the TV Critics Association meetings here. WWF recently ditched Barry Diller's USA Cable for a five-year deal with Viacom, which owns CBS. The chances are very good it will happen, said McMahon, wife of WWF Titan Vince McMahon. I forgot it got this far as Linda saying that it was probably happening. Um... Targeted for mid-season or fall 2001, the show could revolve around Austin's Nash Bridges character, Bounty Hunter Jake Cage, or it could be something a la Miami Vice. Fellow WWF tough guy The Rock may be featured. Whatever the storyline, WWF has creative control. Stone Cold is one of our intellectual properties. We're not going to allow him to be involved in, in any form that would hurt his image. We won't see him playing a proper polite English professor. I feel like we're missing something here with this quote. Um, with its truckload of wrestling shows syndicated to 150 countries and translated into 11 languages, 150, con- 150 countries, 11 different languages, to over half billion people each week. The World Wrestling Federation. Uh, WWF already, quote, creates a mini action series every week, McMahon said. It's so proper with sibling rivalries, professional rivalries. We write scripts. Our wrestlers are global personalities. As for the wrestling shows themselves, despite appearances, the WWF does have limits on violence. We don't kill anyone, McMahon said, but, Not quote, <laughs> we will hit you over the head with a steel chair or a shiny new trash can. Well, wait a minute. They already have killed somebody. They killed somebody the year before. Who? Owen. Oh, I thought you meant in the... Uh, 
yes, they did. But uh, we, we, yeah. And then the writer puts in a parenthesis, we feel better already. And then there's some other non-WWF TCA stuff in here, too. But we don't need to read that. Although it does talk, does talk about the introduction of Big Brother. <laughs> yes. What a show that would turn out to be. So, yeah, the, the, the Jake Cage show was potentially a thing. It wasn't just a weird internet rumor. I'm just surprised it didn't happen. You mean given the injury no. and everything? Yeah, and Austin, you know, how... how Hot he was and everything. I'm just surprised it didn't happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on here. As Perry Saturn and D'Lo Brown's tag team's already broken up, they apparently had some singles plans for Saturn and lined us up with a Shaman Man stable, which at times has also been talked of, including Kane as well as Benoit or as a Man Project. So Chaz Warrington was put into the team with D'Lo. Shane's knee has been bothering him since he's taken the bump off the top rope through the table of King of the Ring. He's getting MRI this week and he may require surgery. So Saturn was going to be put into a team with D'Lo, which we hmm. saw how that would work with D'Lo and Chaz. Yes. So that tells you how many how much plans they have for Saturn. Yes. Even though when they first signed the Radicals, the word was was that he and Benoit were the two priorities. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Michael Hayes will be helpful with TV writing. They have a three-man team of former TV writers, and Hayes is used to bounce ideas and tweak them to where they'll fit within the pro wrestling environment before Vincent Mann sees the show. Hmm. Yeah, because he was not involved in creative. I, I, you know, for you know, I think I don't know if he was how much he was involved. Period. As Doc Hendricks, I'm a, I, I don't think he really was. I think he had been a road agent for a year or, two or so, but that yeah. was about it. Yeah, so this is the beginning of that. They've been talking about breaking up the Road Dog at X-Pac. And then we're primarily singles, although not necessarily soon. With Tori on the shelf for two months or so after shoulder surgery, it isn't definite that she'll return online with X-Pac. Did she ever return as an on-screen wrestler or just a tough enough coach? I, I think that was it, yeah. Former UFC fighter Ron Waterman, who somewhat represent, resembles a 260-pound Bill Goldberg, has signed a developmental contract and will start with Ohio Valley Wrestling. Waterman only suffered one loss in UFC competition. That to another indie pro wrestler, Andre Roberts, by knockout in the match he was dominating. He was a Division II All-American College wrestler in Northern Colorado, but in his early 30s, he's on the old side to be starting wrestling. Yes. And we'll have more on Ron Waterman next week on Between the Sheets. <laughs> uh, Tracy Smothers is scheduled to start as WF trainer in Memphis. And probably does not get enough credit for the development of... Kendrick, Danielson, Cade, and all those guys. Yeah. One of the great names. Frosty Moore was hired to be a permanent Godfather lady and started in Oakland. Although Godfather on Heat rather than Smackdown on Raw did his entire old catchphrase and was a pimp. There's been talk that like Valvinus will become a player and the hose won't be hose, but just his women. Although that wasn't the case this week. Well, no, they're going to make him the good father. Yes. And... <laughs> I had to look this up to remember. Do you remember who Frosty Moore ends up being? What her name is and everything. Um. Oh God. So um, I completely forgot this was a thing until I read this just now. I know that she was. Her and Victoria were like the two main ones. With yes. Godfather. Yes. Mandy and Victoria. Mandy and Victoria. Yes. Yes. Um. From uh, Pro Wrestling Wiki. Uh, Pro Wrestling Fandom dot com. 
July 2000, Mandy and Victoria made their debut as Hoes. Uh, and then when he turned heel, he turned his back on them. They began a Save the Hose campaign. Uh, led to them being attacked by Right to Center, Censor. Uh, they returned with Rikishi, became valets for Too Cool. This continued till October when GTV discovered Eddie Guerrero in the shower with them while he was with China. Um, she beat them up off screen, and Mandy was never seen again. Frosty Moore. Yes. All right, uh, David Wissiff and Diana Hartsmith have filed for divorce. David was getting hospitalized this past week. Hmm. So yeah, not to mention all his health issues, he's getting divorced. Yeah. All right, Torch now with a lot of quick hits. In fact, I think they got the rest of the show. They do. Yeah. Blue Meanie and Vic Grimes have been officially released. Derek was happy about Meanie's efforts to get better shape, but just didn't have any ideas for him. Grimes was signed because of his wild bumps, but those are going out of style. And he didn't improve in other areas as WF had hoped. Meanies and ECW, so there you go. Yes. Val Venus decided himself to cut his hair to look more contemporary and less like an 80s indie wrestler. They're moving away from the porn star gimmick because the occupational-oriented gimmicks in WF are considered passe. The occupational-oriented gimmicks, huh? Like porn star. Well, WF was the king of having occupational-oriented gimmicks, though. Yes. Especially in the 90s. Futurosi, Isaac Yankum, IRS. T.O. Hopper. Yeah. The Goon. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm about Venus, well, about Venus cutting his hair. I mean, I remember that was like a big thing. Yes. Where, 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 did, you, where did you stand on the Val Venus hair? Were you for the short hair or for the long hair? I like I, I like the short hair. Yeah, I think it worked better. Yes. Now I'm curious, did MILFHunter.com exist yet? I'm checking the Wayback Machine. Uh, probably so. Let's see. Uh, they have no uh, crawls for it before early 2002. Okay. Well, the, I'm sure there was something similar. Uh, says one WF wrestler, Taz is so paranoid he has expressed concern that Perry Saturn is stealing his gimmick, his moves, and even his style of luggage. <laughs> These two guys, you know, I mean, remember the ECW thing, you know, where they started having heat there towards the end. Stealing my gimmick part, by putting a towel on his head, brother. I think that's some residual shit from that. Big Show probably returning July 24th for all day at the backlash. There's a lot of pressure on Big Show to show up in shape and stay that way. Otherwise, he may be relegated to mid-card status. There's still a feeling backstage in some circles that Rock doesn't sell as much or as long as he should for his opponents. It's believed to be motivated for not wanting to look vulnerable rather than being overly cautious about suffering injuries. That's been a wrap on him for years, but he's considered better now than a couple of years ago. Which is funny because Rock, you know, Rock's kind of notorious for some of his sales. You know? Hmm. The, the Stone Cold Stunner cell and other cells. Yeah, um... I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, he's, they get the heat on him all the time, though, in his matches. So I'm not sure where this is coming from. And the thing that really becomes noticeable around this time because he's constantly working with Benoit is he wants to improve. But it, working with Benoit is where it becomes obvious how mechanically kind of sloppy his work was still at that time. Mm-hmm. Which gets better, but gets better right as he becomes a part-time wrestler and starts finishing up. You know, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
And a close. Rena Mero, who last year sued WWE for $100,000 million. That's what it says here. $100,000 million. It was $100 million that she asked for. $100 million in a sexual discrimination lawsuit has contacted WWF looking for work. The WWF is not interested in using her or her husband, Mark Mero, at this time, but there's a possibility of an eventual return if she's patched up a number of hostile relationships. Odds are strong against any WWF Mero alliance for at least six months. Precedents have been set where wrestlers who sued WWF work with them later, most probably Jesse Ventura. Well, it takes two years. Yeah, but how about that, huh? She's already looking for work. This early. Uh... Her, that media tour she went on when she filed the lawsuit is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Going on call-in shows where little kids call in and are like, is this Sable? And she's like, it's, it's, it's Rena. <laughs> Very uncomfortable viewing. Um, I know they've always acted like she didn't really get anything in the lawsuit, but I mean, they settled. Yep, and, and they settled the fairly quickly, too. So, I don't know. Then she wanted to go right back to work with him. Yeah. And Mark Mark gave up his contract for all this, too. Yeah, he's the one that really got screwed. <laughs> he voluntarily gave up his contract for all this. Yeah. But I need to remind myself, though, what the actual uh, claims were in the lawsuit, though. Because it was not technically a sexual harassment lawsuit, but I'm not sure if it was listed as discrimination or not because there's like we've talked about on the patreon show i think there's this whole thing where you have to get eoc approval to actually file a sexual harassment claim and all that and it doesn't necessarily apply to independent contractors so yeah but i forgot about this story like once once you read it now it did jog my memory but i forgot that this was out there you know a year after she left mm-hmm Trying to get back in. Yes, and then she's constantly being groped by Vince McMahon on TV when that happens. Mm-hmm. But she met her she met her husband out of the deal, so there's that. Yeah, she did. Um, what an interesting couple they are. <laughs> yes, they are. All right, well, that's it for this week. Next week, number two of the 2000 shows, Patreon requested. And Keith Harris will be joining us for the entire show. As far as I know, he put the hunter down, so he's he's going to be had the opportunity. Yes, and I will uh, I'll double check with him, but I believe he's okay to do about our usual recording time. Thank God. Yeah, because he's on the UK, so he's a, a big difference for timeline. He's in uh, he's in the Glasgow area, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, he wants us to do two thousand and five. And boy, there's a lot going on here. <clears throat> Total nonstop action. We have the No Surrender pay-per-view to talk about. And other things involving uh, up there on their television. So we'll have Brian Alvarez's review of that pay-per-view. Uh, we got a interesting indie show, the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, which drew, drew a, a big house. So we'll talk about that. And a few other indies. We kind of played light with that. Uh, because of uh, how big the show is. So there's that. But we do have Ring of Honor to talk about, as CM Punk has another defense of his title. And Dave Meltzer has thoughts on this angle, and whether it's time to give it up. So we'll have that. 
We got some big shows in Puerto Rico, including the Bruiser Brody, Brody Memorial Show at the place he was murdered. So oh, he's on there. That's and great. In other, in other wild and wacky Puerto Rican news during our week, we got some uh, Lucha stuff to talk about as usual. Then we got uh, an update on FWA in UK. I'm sure Keith has a, will have some takes on this mm-hmm. regarding their difficulties. <laughs> We got some Japanese wrestling to talk about, a few indie results and other things. So I made sure we had that. New Japan run a big show in Sapporo where they changed the uh, IWGP heavyweight title. We'll talk about that. And we'll have uh, news on Shin Hashimoto, his funeral that took place during our week. But, of course, the big deal during our week in Japan and why Keith Harris is on the show is because <laughs> – Noah at the Tokyo Dome, which he was att- attended there live. Yes, as part of the uh, group that went from the real in Memphis message board. That's right, yes. So who else would that have been? John Lister, I believe, definitely went. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, maybe? Mo Chatra. I don't know if Mo was around there at the time. Uh, Probably so. What a Bobbins? Whatever happened to Bobbins? I don't know. That's a blast in the past. But anyway, we'll, we'll have all that because he'll. I'm sure Keith will tell us all the details there. And we, uh, we of course, we have WWE, where we'll have news on some news on Ohio Valley to talk about, as well as um, the wild and wacky angle of Matt Hardy and Lita as Matt Hardy is back in the fold. And a very weird episode of Bite This. We have a big firing in the company of a non wrestler. News on Triple H. And what's going on with him? We got TV reviews from Brian Alvarez. And the shit has hit the fan. We talked about this week about the advertisers pulling out for the negative media publicity over the raunchy television. Well, WWE's in more hot water during our week. As we talked about the angle before, but now we're talking about the backlash. As the the media has uh, sunk their teeth into Muhammad Hassan and his terrorist angle on SmackDown against The Undertaker. And boy, there's a lot of interesting stuff written in the media, and including a show featuring Tucker Carlson and Matt Kellerman talking about this. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. So we did the week of 7-7? Yes. Okay, I have no memory of this. We did did July 5th through the 11th. What show number was that? That's very early. Show 103? How did we get to a – was that a Patreon pick that we did it that early? No. No, that was me. Okay. I think we did it as a, uh, an a anniversary for Hashimoto's death or something like that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that sounds right. Although a Patreon may, a Patreon may have picked that show. It was 103, so that's very possible. So yeah. somebody may have picked it. I can't remember. It's been yes. 103. We're at 362 now, so that's a lot of shows. Yeah. But anyway – so, yes, we will have this next week on Between the Sheets and another 40-page show. So there's yes. that. Yes. All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris says so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Yes, yes.
the sheets patreon special edition number 69 ha 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 i'm your host chris zoner joined as always by my co-host david bixen span and bix it's time for round three of titan gate the 92 version not the 2022 version although i've already had people on twitter telling me that they're they're wanting to request this week in 10 years for the sh- the, the, the main show so oh that's something i look forward to but anyway uh, here we are it's time to Delve back in time 30 years to uh, talk about stuff that is ringing hollow even more today. The uh, post-wrestling and WrestleNomics endorsed uh, Titan Gate series, we should say, too, especially after. Absolutely. Yes, we all definitely want to uh, thank John and Way and Brandon for uh, doing that and uh, an honor for them to put us over like that. We appreciate that. And yeah, so hopefully we gain some new patrons from that. And uh, for those of you new patrons, make sure you listen to some of the old stuff that we've done too. There's a lot of great stuff on on these shows. And tell your friends about it. Let's spread that word. Patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Get it out there. But anyway, so let's uh, quit dilly-dallying and let's get started, shall we? But if that was bizarre, what was going on behind the scenes and putting together the store was far more bizarre. This probably best explains John Stone's despair in putting it together. Who's John Stone? I think the, the whichever current affair reporter was anchoring the segment. Let me see if it's Inclu- at the beginning here. Okay, well, you find that while I read. John Stone's despair in putting it together and close the comments. That's hard to tell the good guys from oh, the John villains. John Johnston, not John Stone. John Johnston, there we go. Both in and out of the ring. A new personality came forward, claiming his name was Paul Baumgartner, claiming to be a former pro wrestler. To now can be told producer Brutskolsky. Baumgartner is apparently a small time independent promoter in Ohio reality. According to Skolsky, he claimed to have a videotape showing something in fairness to the person he claims it is of. We shouldn't elaborate on because I don't believe for a second he has such a video. But if he had what he claimed, it would have been up a story that now can be told was going to do a follow up pro wrestling segment based on climaxing the show with that video. In a later conversation, Bob Gartner claimed to have been good friends with Rita Chatterton. The woman who's gone on two television shows talk about an incident involving McMahon directly. Baumgartner supposedly told Skolsky that he didn't know for certain, but that he believed Chatterton's claim. He later claimed that there were parties trying to get him to change his story to discredit Chatterton. Just a few days later, McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, comes forward to a current affair with a man named Bill Gardner, who they claim was coming forward to say Chatterton told him he was making up her story. A current affair interviewed the man at what was supposedly his home in Ohio, who claimed to have been a former wrestler for WWF and then Vince McMahon Sr. using the name The Wolfman. There was a WWF wrestler in the late 60s and early 70s who used the ring name The Wolfman, but that was Willie Farkas. And Dave knows that, has no idea if that was the same person. He told him he was coming forward because he knew Chatterton was making up her story because she had told him personally. 
He also said Chatterton would never go to court and reclaim because he would be there to testify for McMahon against her. He went on to say that he was coming forward because McMahon was such a great man and had done so much good for the wrestling business and done so much work for charity and was being unfairly accused. Chatterton's attorney, Robert Wolf, said that Chatterton had never heard nor remembers even meeting a Bill Gardner or a Paul Baumgartner or the Wolfman, let alone what he claims he told her. Wolf theorized something strange based on a conversation he had a few days earlier with Skolsky, who told him that an ex-wrestler named Paul Baumgartner had claimed to her that someone was attempting to get him to discredit Chatterton. This is crazy. As it turns out, Gardner and Baumgartner, according to Skolsky, are the same person. His phone was disconnected the next day, and a current affairs investigating him found out the house he claimed was his, that the interview him in wasn't his. They contacted McDevitt, who denied the man's involvement in this, and said that Gardner had to disconnect his phone because he claimed he was being inundated with harassing phone messages from Chatterton. The current affair said they were going to show clips of their interview with Chatterton and with Gardner on the piece and also uncover what they learned about Gardner. However, that segment of the story was edited out because the piece had to be shortened because of a late edition piece to the show that evening covering the riots in Los Angeles. Damn you. Damn you, riots. In addition, Lee Cole, the older brother Tom Cole, the former and current WF Marine boy whose claims of being sexually abused between the ages of 13 and 19 by three members of WF's management, led to this story garnering so much media attention, asked the current affair if he could be interviewed for the piece. He claimed he wanted to set the record straight in an interview where he would tell them a story negative to WF about the settlement and talk about the terms of the agreement made between his brother and the WF. However, Cole, just before he was scheduled to leave for the interview, allegedly asked for $2,500 to do the interview and was turned down. Okay. Day bring Day brings us something here in this whole thing that we've now hit that time that I think with it happening totally changes the media covering this story and other stories like this in particular. The LA riots. Mm-hmm. When you have when you have something like that, a major story that is going on like that was at that time. Then stories like this would either be buried to, you know, a peripheral spot on the on a show or just not covered basically at all. Mm-hmm. It's left. It's it's, you know, it, it's basically the um, uh, it's the Chandra Levy to 9-11 type thing. Remember that? Which the, also ended up being bad for Con Gary Condit because it Gary Condit, yeah, because it fell out of view by the time it turned out he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, the whole Gary Condit Chandra Levy thing, yes, which was a major story in this country, and then nine eleven hits and that knocks it out completely. Mm-hmm. So the Rodney King riots totally changes, you know, a lot of the media's trajectory on covering stories like this. They're going to spend most of their time covering that. Now, but go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, about Gardner, Baumgartner, whatever the fuck his name is. Okay. Reading this, as you're going through all this, the gears in my head are turning. This is all conjecture on my part, but... So, three and a half years later, when we hear about Marty Bergman, what do we hear? That he would go to media as both a friendly who was going to help them get dirt on WWF. And at other times, he was pretending, you know, to be... He was, you know, pretending to be, you know, either his brother or confuse people with his brother, who was, you know, the legendary uh, 60 Minutes producer, uh, Lowell Bergman, or whatever. 
in a way, and he was being sneakier in a different way to get information about WWF, or or he'd be claiming to be on the WWF side, or whatever. Boy, does this feel like it has Marty Bergman's fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. It's almost exact. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. And also, but McDevitt put the put him in touch with Current Affair. Uh huh. But also, there's no reason to think that Laura Brevetti's in the mix yet either, which makes you wonder <laughs> if it's not Marty Bergman so much as McDevitt. I wouldn't go far as to say that, but I get what you're, it, that it would be coming from that side and wouldn't that kind of plan would not necessarily be his idea in and of itself, I guess was what I was trying to say. Um, but, you know, I have and I've posted, you know, the FBI docs that at least were released under Freedom of Information Act to me about Bergman. There's nothing about this, but I guess it's not really obstruction of justice or anything at this time, so they wouldn't be looking into it. Um, huh. And I guess we should we should note too, because no one knows this at the time, the first subpoena that Titan got making them aware of the grand jury was the day of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. So they they know when most people don't that shit is on in a way that in a way that is a very big deal. Yes. What a weird so I wonder who this who do you think this was? Who knows? <laughs> but that's why that's something I I don't think I've ever heard of this story talked about since it happened. It's first I've really heard of it. I remember most of the other stuff from around the scandal like shows, and I don't remember this. Like, you know, even in going back over coverage, I did not remember this whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Wow. <laughs> wow. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.